You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media. Let's make some noise. to the projection booth i'm your host mike white joining me is the one and only ms heather drain welcome to planet ego well, it's been over a year since we've pulled back the curtain and done one of these ego fest shows so if uh if you've not heard what we call an ego fest it's just uh pretty much a show all about the show and uh, it's about the projection booth itself nothing to do with a particular film or more just the inner workings of things uh the real dirt as it were so on the show we like to talk about movies some personal stuff comes up but uh, mostly we talk about movies and how they've affected our lives and how the lives of our guests have been affected our co-hosts how they've uh, made movies how they've been affected by movies that uh, it's not really a good time to go, you know, bragging about ourselves, but that is what the Ego Fest is for. So that said, I want to say that over the last 10 months, I have been honored to be interviewed a few times. I wanted to share a few of those. Most recently, the Projection Booth was one of a handful of podcasts featured in a story in the Washington Post. You are fake news. So Stephanie Mary, a listener of the Projection Booth, wrote a story called Those Movie Nerds Behind the Video Store Counter Are Back and They're Doing Podcasts, which is quite a mouthful. I'm not sure if all the podcasts in the article were... Uh, hosted by actual video store movie counter nerds. But as listeners to the projection booth know, I was a blockbuster jockey for a number of years after tearing tickets in a movie theater. And so if that doesn't make me an authority on movies, I just don't know what does. How about you, Heather? Do you ever work in a movie theater or video store? Well, um, I never worked in a movie theater. I did uh, for a few years. Actually, I worked in the music department, but I I worked uh, for a local uh, Hastings, uh, which is a a chain that is fastly disappearing. But um, but we did have a large video section and got to you know assist a lot in that. And I tried to steer people correctly. Be like, hey, you know, oh, you want uh, you want this? Have you seen our Criterion section? Have you? you (laughs) I would try to steer them correctly. But um, and yeah, I miss it. I, I miss uh, old school video stores uh, very, very much. I think the cashiers du Cinemart actually was carried by Hastings, at least some Hastings, because as soon as you said the name, I was like, I know that name. Oh, yeah. No, that was kind of the cool thing about Hastings as a chain is that uh, especially in the 90s, if you lived because a lot of those stores were tended to be in smaller towns and like in the Midwest and the South. Um Though I know they had locations elsewhere, but you could you could get you could find stuff there that you couldn't find in other other type media chains. Um, I know in the '90s that's where I was able to find uh, you know everything from like uh, Scary Monsters magazine to Film Threat video. I could never find Film Threat. 
proper, weirdly enough, but film threat video. Uh, so I got to learn about Necromantic and Richard Kern uh, in junior high, <laughs> which was uh, which I'm very grateful for. Though it did warp me, undoubtedly. But yeah, no, Hastings was was really cool uh, because you know as a chain, it did have like a lot of esoteric stuff like that. And when I was music manager, I always tried to order in stuff too. It's like, oh, we don't have any cramps, so I made sure we had some cramp CDs. Same with the plasmatics, you know, stuff like that. So. Um, yeah, it was a cool. Yeah, it was a cool place. Uh, corporate had a lot of issues. Kel, surprise! <laughs> but they were good about carrying, uh, you know, definitely more like cool indie type magazines. So that doesn't surprise me. Well, one other thing that happened uh, over the last few months was I was uh, featured in Outward Film Network, where uh, I got pretty far up my own ass uh, talking about podcasting as a medium of uh, film criticism. Hopefully, people can actually uh, digest all the crap that I had to say about that. And before that, I was featured on Bill Ackerman's Supporting Characters podcast, where, Heather, you were one of his first guests. Yes, I was guest number three, and uh, and it was an honor. It still very much is an honor. Uh, I thought, um, especially for, you know, starting, you know, his very first time podcast, I was very impressed with Bill's uh, level of professionalism and his questions um, and his editing, because I don't have to tell you this, uh, what a lot of listeners probably, unless, you know, you're a fellow podcaster editor, you don't, you don't realize how much editing goes into creating these shows, especially, especially like what you do with the projection booth, Mike, because you're having to edit in, you're having to edit like our discussion or whoever your co-host is at the time, but also interviews along with that, with various levels of, you know, audio quality, depending on like what the other person, I mean, there's so much work that goes into creating a show. So I admire anybody who can do it, like, especially do it as well as you and Bill do. He does a terrific job, and all the people that he's had on the show so far, I'm I'm surprised that I'm amongst the ranks of these luminaries that have been on the podcast, because he's uh, interviewed some terrific people that are doing wonderful work. Not Frederick Douglass-level work, who is getting recognized more and more, but people that are doing some great, great work on there. And he's got some upcoming guests that he's got locked into place. So over the next few months, he'll be talking with Elric Kane, Laird Jimenez, Ashley Clark. And then there's a couple people that are still kind of on the wish list that have yet to lock in. Uh, one of those is Tim Lucas from uh, Video Watchdog. So I'd be very curious what they'll be talking about. And I kind of hope that Bill uh, asks about the whole Spider Baby situation, because that, that still kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth, that whole uh, golden by coastal life. Uh, that, that still kind of rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, it was, I think, well-intentioned, I'm sure. But yeah, I mean, poorly poorly phrased and um you know i think i think if anything good did come out of that whole craziness and it was insane you know everybody that works hard on writing should not have their their work basically piecemealed by somebody who can get away with it because they're cute you know and that's really what it was when it came down to it with, Le- with leanne as far as i could tell but um but it, it did make people i think have good discussions about gender uh in genre writing and how people are treated and, you know, especially because there's always been so many great female writers out there who were working before Leanne and or were about on Leanne's level of age. Now, I don't include myself in that because I'm basically a dude, but <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, the way I view if anything really shitty happens, if you can get something good out of that, 
you know, out of that drama and stress and all of that, if something good can come out of it, even something as simple as discussion that makes some people kind of think, then okay, you know, that's clay we can work with. And um, and you and you helped with that. I mean, you always bring. Uh, so this is ego fist, and I can do this. I can pay you compliments here. <laughs> oh, that, and I can't just demure away from them. You yeah. can't. I guess I can always edit you edit them out. You but. better not. <laughs> but you know, you always bring a level of integrity to what you do. And I think that's, you know, I think that's important. You know, I mean, you're, you don't attack people. You're not a bully. You don't troll or any bullshit like that. You know, you're just like these, you know, everything that you state, you can back it up with a fact. And I think that's, I think that's awesome. You know, and um, if anything out of that whole uh, debacle uh, with Leanne, I, I definitely hope it makes other people in the industry kind of, maybe evaluate how they uh who they want to support as a writer because there, there's so many great writers out there who put blood sweat and tears in what they do and they toil for any sort of exposure they get i mean it's it's fine to be cute and bicoastal and, and lovely but you're a writer you know i don't give a shit if you look like you know uh, <laughs> like like one of the creatures in the dago bar or whatever you know it doesn't matter you know is the writing good and that's ultimately all that matters with film writing or any type of writing well, and, and when it comes to podcasts as well, I mean, do you put the work into it? You know, look at the work that uh, Kat and Sam put into Daughters of Darkness. You know, they put me to shame when it comes to their level of research and their level of dedication. Their shows are, you know, I would say they're head and shoulders above me as far as what they put, put out there. And does it matter that they're women? Not really. Uh, does it matter that they put in the effort? Uh, yeah. So I, I, I would say anybody who puts in the effort, no matter who they are or what they are, it's really about the work at the end of the day. Yeah, when we're all, you know, shuffled off to the Rainbow Bridge, you know, inevitably, um, our work is what we have as our own little, you know, pieces of ourselves out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you want it to hold up. You know, I, you know, as a writer, and I'm nowhere near this man's level, but, you know, Lester Bangs is one of my big spiritual idols and like spiritual writing idols. And uh, the thing is, like, you can still read something he wrote in 71. And it sparks, you know, and even even if you disagree with them, and there's plenty of stuff I disagreed with them on, you know, opinion wise, but the writing it has that vitality and that's beautiful. So anything that we do as writers or podcasters or artists in general, if we if our work has that spark, then fuck, yeah, you know, that's what it's about. Yeah, and I think that's one of the uh, w one of the oddest things when it comes to a writer like uh, Pauline Kale. Where it's like, I disagreed with so much of what she had to say, but I liked the way that she had to say it. Um, but then the problems came in for me when she would kind of use her uh, position as almost a bully pulpit to help um, kind of pro progress the careers of certain people. And it seemed like she had vendettas against some people and really, you know, like her, her children where she was trying to move these people more out into the limelight. And it's like... Okay, you know, there's a whole thing about singing the praises of the unsung, but then there's another, there, there's a level where it's just like, okay, that's a little much, you know, you really shouldn't uh, go out of your way to, uh, especially somebody who's getting recognition, uh, to, to just continue to heap all this stuff upon them just because they're one of your faves. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, you got to be, you know, with any writing, especially nonfiction, you know, whether you're, you know, a political journalist, you know, a financial analyst or a film writer, um, you you want to at least strive to be as objective as you can. Um, you know, is it always 100 percent possible? Well, no, human beings, even when we don't mean to, you know, we're, we're inevitably going to leave a little bit of, of our own stain. <laughs> In a good, in a good or bad way on what we do, but it, at the very least, you got to try. You got to try to be objective and process that data um, as fairly as you can. Like anytime I've I've had to write about films that I wouldn't have personally chosen, I try. I still will absolutely try to like put myself in the filmmaker's shoes or put myself in someone else's shoes to, to process it um, and not completely just be putting myself all over it, you know? I guess I shouldn't use the word stain. That's... <laughs> That's a, well, get your DNA over everything you touch. Exactly. Don't take a black light to anything we do, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, especially my blue dress. Oh, have, have, hello. But no, that's that's an excellent point. See, I love it. We already brought up Kale and Lester Bangs. That's, yeah. Where else are you going to hear that? Heavy hitters. So let's go ahead and open it up for questions. Uh, over the last month or so, I've been asking people to send in any sort of questions that they had. So the first question is one that you actually brought up to me recently, which was, how do you go around picking the movies to discuss? Because that came up because you have suggested movies before. I know Rob has suggested movies in the past. Uh, you know, when I worked with uh, Mondo Justin right out of the gate, we were putting together basically our wish list of all the movies, and that's still the list that I work off of today. Every once in a while, some new stuff kind of comes into there. The people inject things. Uh, and then we have a suggestion box uh, on the site, which uh, I'll talk about in, in a few minutes here. But, uh, yeah, so the, it's pretty much, I would say that the way that, like, the, the list of movies that we're working off of here in 2017, uh, a lot of them have been sitting in the master list for a few years now, and I'm finally just kind of working my way through it. Actually, a few of the movies that we're talking about this year were suggested by uh, Maiden McDonough, uh, and then others have just kind of come up. I mean, we're, we're, uh, we'll be talking about some specials that are, are coming up over the years, and those have been more uh, politically motivated uh, more than anything. Just you know, people talking about particular films and then just saying, okay, well, let's examine these and, and look a little bit more closely but yeah, it's just, I, I hate to say that there's no magic formula when it comes to that. I, I think part of it is, can I get interviews for particular films or do I just need to talk about a particular film? Like, uh, we had no interviews for The Red Shoes. I tried like crazy to get you know, an expert on Powell and Pressburger or somebody who is a, you know, a ballet dancer didn't happen uh but we still went ahead and recorded the episode anyway whereas with other ones uh i will get a whole bunch of interviews and that will kind of make the episode happen so uh, i wish i could say that there was a magic formula to it but there's not yeah well and that's and that's just the reality of it too i mean if if anybody um I don't know if this is your if your particular stance, Mike, but I always feel like if anybody gets like upset with something you haven't written or talked about, or even something maybe you have, maybe they're like, oh, well, why, how come you didn't mention this or this or this in an episode? I always like suggesting, well, make your own. 
Like, and I don't say that flippantly. Like, no, I mean, I don't, uh, I think you and I are the kind of people where we're not like the more the merrier. We're not competitive in the sense of like, we, but you know, there must only be one, you know, this isn't Highlander. Um, though I do love that queen song that it's <laughs> so good, but, um, you know, like, that's the thing. Like we can't, we can't have too many great writers or podcasters, uh, in this realm, but also patience is a virtue. I mean, there, there have been films like back when I started listening to the show, a few years ago that I was like, oh, man, I'd love to hear Mike and Rob, you know, or Mike and Justin. Because I think, yeah, I started when it was Mondo, because Mondo Justin. <clears throat> and then, but then a few years later, you did cover. And I was like, oh, cool, you know. And uh, and that's always kind of a, a groovy thing there. If I were to just work through the list that is out there presently, it would still probably take me till 2020. I mean, I wish I could do this show more often than I do. I mean, it's a once a week thing plus like all the specials and, and uh, extra episodes. I mean, I would say honestly, most months it, rather than just four episodes a month, I'm dropping, I don't know, six or, or seven or sometimes even eight episodes. And it's just like, what am I doing to myself? You know, it's, it's, it's a little much sometimes, and 2017 feels like the the year where I am finally running out of time. You know, there are so many times where it's like, oh, I wish that I had had two more hours to watch this other alternate cut of this film, or you know, just a few more days to read this extra thing about it. And yeah, no, it just I, I'm I'm chasing my own tail this year, so it's it's really. Um, it's really pushing it as far as even just doing the once a week thing, especially now, like, you know, I've got the, the, the granddaughter is here right now. I've been watching her on the weekends. So, and that's usually my time to edit and it's like, ah, oh, man. So I'm now anxiously awaiting nap times and when her mom picks her up so that I can do work late until the, the, the late hours of the night. Oh my God. I don't know how you do it, Mike. I've always you know, I've I've referred to you in past episodes as like one of the hard work, like one of the most hardworking men in podcasting because you you know you do promote uh, promote you do produce just a, a tremendous output and it's always like more importantly it's always really good. I mean, because you think you know prolificness is is fine and all, but if you know. It's got to be, you got to have that consistency and quality and the projection booth always have. I mean, and I can say that objectively because I was, a, I was a fan and a listener um, way before I was ever on the show. Well, you recently asked me to cover a film that I had never heard of before. Oh, my God. Um, this is probably a view into my own personal madness, and I have no shame <laughs> in admitting this. Um, yeah, I mentioned Night Trap, which technically was a full motion video game uh, released in 1992. Uh, but somebody on YouTube, because it's, it's, there is an era, and I'll, I'll make this as brief as I can, where uh, as technology and gaming um, increased in the early 90s, full motion video became kind of like the hip new thing. And you could actually have movie scenes and, and almost you know have these games that are basically like playing a movie that happens to be a game. Um, some were more successful than others. Like Wing Commander 3, which had Mark Hamill, Malcolm McDowell, and Ginger Lynn, uh, or I think she was Ginger Lynn Allen in that <laughs> build as that. Uh, where, you know, they'd start getting stars like that, you know, uh, Night Trap uh, had Dana Plato and she was kind of the big name star in it. But uh, somebody on YouTube has actually put the ultimate movie cut and it's it's really riveting to watch because it's the film is basically 
a cheesy B movie where you have uh, these girls, these you know, teenage girls having a, a sleepover at this lake house. That's also a winery, though you find out the winery is for human blood, and they're being attacked by these mutants called the augurs. It's cheesy, but it's like, you know how some films are really, like, they're so schlocky, but they're compelling, you know? And there's uh, the vampire host family, the Martins, the the main father, Victor, is played by John R. Uh, Ramal, I believe. Uh, he's really great at it. And like I'd go back to watch it because he's totally just brings this level of of sleazy, like not too sleazy, but just, you know, just like this weird charisma. And I researched him and he was like almost an Egyptian prince. Like his mother was a legit princess in Egypt in the 30s or 20s or 30s. But she married a gardener, which took, you know, so, she, you know, she never got to be, you know, get her full royal duties. And so like this, he was a painter. He did stage plays with Sid Charisse. I mean, the guy has, has this amazing – he's no longer with us. has this amazing story. But also the thing about Night Trap was that it was uh, part of a huge Senate hearing spearheaded by uh, Senator Joe Lieberman uh, about the dangers, quote-unquote, of violent video games. And they, they – uh, with Night Trap, because they also mentioned like Mortal Kombat and Doom, uh, but Night Trap was like the big one. And they made it seem like – oh, the way that they, of course, made it sound like is Night Trap. You've seen girls viciously murdered or possibly raped, and there's not – there's no – nudity there's actually very little blood believe it or not i mean if it was honestly if it was released now it'd probably be maybe like a a pg-13 film there's not even any bad language but you know how it goes with censorship most of the things that are attacked are never the most explicit worst things in the world it's more of it's either something is subversive which you see a lot with book bannings in particular or like in the case of um you know there was some preacher in oklahoma and the early 80s that tried to ban tin drum i believe because he thought it was trying to say it was child pornography (laughs) which is obviously beyond the pale ridiculous um and i doubt he even saw the film with night trap i mean it's schlocky there's no real artistic you know i mean it's not yeah it's not the tendrum we'll say that (laughs) but but what but he actually was quoted saying that the game sent out the wrong message and even stated that night trap in particular was helping to contribute to the unacceptable level of violence in our society uh which is complete bullshit now Anytime, like, you see government officials, and I'm just waiting, especially in this climate, anytime things get, you know, where people are trying to, like, oh, don't don't look at all this fucked up stuff we're doing, <laughs> the government, somebody usually will, will find some kind of, like, whipping boy, a video game, a musician, a movie, something cultural to attack as the, the fog, the smoke and mirrors. And in 93, if you look at what was happening politically, you had Waco. Uh, which we all know how that, how well that ended, and don't and don't ask, don't tell, and you know, so it's like, is is Night Trap really the? No, of course not. No video game, even if it is violent, like you know, it's going to make somebody go out and kill. That's that is blatantly clear, um, and all. But that's why I found Night Trap so fascinating. I enjoy it on a B movie level, but also when you look at just the whole backstory behind it, especially because I think so many people assume that. Uh, our government officials that will make these sort of outlandish sort of censor- censorship type moves are always, oh, these conservatives. Joe Lieberman's a Democrat who ran with Al Gore when Gore ran for president. Of course, Gore is also tied to the PMRC. So never forget, you know, it's, it's easy for people to do a lot of, uh, you know, revising of history when it's convenient. But, you know, 
basically they're all crooked. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a tweet recently, and I'm trying to remember how it went. Something like, Fox News is making our grandparents as violent as they said video games would make us. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which gives me a great middle image of, of my grandparents playing Mortal Kombat. But, um, <laughs> God. Yeah, no, it's, you know, I'm just, I'm wondering what the next thing will be, though. You know, because I think, what what was the a more recent one? Like, with, with Colin Bine, of course, there was Marilyn Manson. Um, so, we're, we're kind of overdue. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope people would be smarter than that. But, um, eh. <laughs> Well, I'm surprised, you know, it's uh, Jeff Sessions wants to cr- recriminalize marijuana and, you know, with Snoop Dogg making uh, a parody of Donald Trump, I'm surprised they're not, you know, trying to, to hang him up in the public square. Oh, God, no kidding. Yeah, there's there's no te- there's no telling with that with that bunch. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, what they'll they'll just distract us by bombing more countries. Right. Right. And then, yeah. you know, and then we could have Donald Trump, you know, tweet out an attack on, you know, Snooky or something. Right. <laughs> that's that, I guess that's what's replaced this. But I mean, but just the thing like taxpayer money went to a huge Senate hearing over over fucking Night Trap, which anybody who's you could I mean, you could watch it on YouTube. And I mean, that's. I mean, even if the game was violent, and it's really not. I mean, it is tame as hell. I mean, there are there are Roger Corman movies from the '60s that are way hell more bloody than this game. Even if it was, it's it's so absurd to think that government time and money went into being like this is causing the downfall. Yeah, as opposed to like uh, people, you know, children who need psych, you know, maybe psychiatry care can't afford it, so they don't get it, or you know. How are children being raised by the school system or by their parents? You know, there's so many factors that do contribute to possible violence. It's it's not a fucking game. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I mean, I played Doom as a teenager, and I've I've I am a pacifist as a human. You know, it's a fun game. At least that's what you say. <laughs> Don't look in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also a great movie. So yeah, that was my my spiel on uh, on Night Trap because I always I always love weird cultural things that people don't uh, uh, necessarily view critically. You know, like I love music video, uh, which I want to do more review work on that this year because it's a little parts of cult of creative culture that people don't really typically review um, in that format, and uh, but also just the whole political tie to it. You know, that game probably would not be that well remembered if it hadn't been uh, for for Senator Joe Lieberman. (laughs) One thing when people because people will tweet at me, they'll uh, post stuff on the Facebook group. uh, They'll leave uh, comments on the site and it's just like, you should do this movie. You should do this movie. And I just always tell them there's a suggestion box on the site. You need to go to the site projection-boot.com and put it in there. I've got a real easy to use form. And just do it there because otherwise I will forget it. If you send me an email, if you tweet at me, any of these things, it just it goes. I can't say it goes in one ear and out the other, but I just I don't have the best memory in the world. So just put it into one spot. Now, I was going. The, the plan was Heather. I was going to uh, say, okay, you know, next next year we're going to do like a month worth of request or two months worth of request or something. And then I went and actually looked at the list that has been out there. Now, we've actually done some of the movies that are on the list of requests. So things like uh, Pump Up the Volume was one. 
Um, I'm trying to remember uh, some of the others uh, that that we have covered over the the time. Dick Tracy, I think, was another one. And I looked, and there's like 62 movies out there, plus a few more, and it's just like, oh shit. So if I were to do a request thing, it would be a request year (laughs) if I were to honor all of these. But I have to say there's some really good suggestions out there. I mean, there's some some great movies. And again, there's a lot of movies that I've never seen, some I've never heard of. So like uh, uh, Night Trap, there's stuff that I've never heard of, never never encountered in my life. So it's like, oh, well, these these are really good suggestions. Oh, yeah. What what would you say has been like one of the best suggestions that you've seen that, that you haven't done yet? Well, I've always wanted to do a long goodbye episode. Um, That's so good. I would love to do that. Yeah. And the other one, I mean, I've always wanted to do a Parallax View episode. Mm -hmm. So I love that movie. I love I love conspiracy films, you know. Oh man, the long, you know, it's funny if you if you ever do do the long goodbye, I I do do a Sterling Hayden impersonation from that film. Oh, good, good. So, yeah, I've well, I he I, he is referred to as the Hayden uh, in my household. I love Sterling Hayden, but that's a great, yeah, that's a great film. I'm not familiar with Parallax View, but I'll have to check that out. Oh yeah, that's terrific. That's uh, Alan J. Pakula, the guy who did uh, All the President's Men and uh, quite a few other things. He died uh, a few years ago. Weird, weird circumstances, like a pole fell off of a, a bridge and ran through his car or something horrible like that. It was oh, like, Jesus. Uh, yeah, it was like the beginning of uh, the descent, you know? Oh, my <laughs> it was God. Bad. Oh, that poor man. Jeez. All the yeah. President's Man is fantastic, though. So, okay. Duly yeah. noted. And this one has uh, Warren Beatty as a investigative reporter who's trying to figure out there was an assassination that happens at the Space Needle, if memory serves. And he ends up going through all this stuff and uncovering all these layers. And it's got just great character actors in there. Um, uh, Anthony Zerby shows up <gasps> for a few minutes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, you know how much I love Anthony Zerby. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Love him. If I ever got Zerby on the show, I mean, I would be torn between talking to him about Kiss Me's the Phantom of the Park or Parallax View. You know, I would somehow skip over uh, the work that he did with the Matrix sequels. <laughs> I don't know why, but. And then, of course, uh, uh, the laughing policeman. He was fantastic in that as well. He's always great in everything that he does. Oh my God! I know. I actually, and this may be an aside, but um, you know, I've been working on or finishing up the Bizarro Film Encyclopedia Volume One with John Skip, and we've already talked about we start talking about the films we want to cover for Volume Two, and I think I have him convinced. Because I was like, Kiss Meets the Phantom, you have to let me do this. And he was like, I think he was like, and I'm like, please. I was like begging. I'm like, come on. And, you know, and I even tried to like kind of like be like, come on, like Kiss fans. We could get Kiss fans, Anthony Zerby. But a part of it's just because I've always, his performance in that movie, it's, it's like, it's, it's way better than the film deserves. I mean, it's almost like he brings, uh, he's like an alchemist. He brings gravitas. in heart to a completely absurdist Hanna-Barbera type film. Abner Devereaux for life. That's, <laughs> I, just, I, I love, I love him in everything. And you're right. He's one of those who, I mean, you know, uh, like Peter, like Peter Cushing or Chris, or, you know, he's just like one of those greats where you could put him in like the biggest lock and he will just, he, he will get no dirt on him. He will just shine sweet and strong. 
Oh yeah, he's uh, he, he was almost the Gene Hackman of his day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I hope Anthony Zerby listens to this because he he should oh, he should know how how loved he is. Um, yeah. We, oh God. And then I, w- I was just talking about the Dead Zone the other day because we were talking about Existence and Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's amazing in the Dead Zone too. He's he's always great in everything he does. I know. He's you know he's definitely on my list of actors. Actually, like Sterling Hayden, where I'm I'm always like you know I'm I'm I act like a complete twelve year old metalhead boy when I'm happy to see actors pop up that I love. I'm like making the Devil Warrants. Like yes. And uh, yeah, he's oh God, he's so high on that list. I mean, I even watched part of the, the Matrix sequels uh, because of the Zerby. That's yeah. my dedication. Like that, that takes a lot. That's I love the man. I, I won't revisit them anytime soon, uh, though. I will totally revisit Kiss Meets the Phantom. <laughs> Any day of the week. Oh my god, it's it's probably unhealthy how much I've seen that movie. <laughs> It's, that was one of my favorite episodes to do, and just especially to drop in the sound clips. Like every time you say Devro, I get the little echo of Gene Simmons. Devro. Yes. Yes. Well, I don't know if I ever told you, Mike. I um, there was a night several years ago. I, I might have been drinking, which means I was definitely drinking, and I decided I was going to write um, obscene fiction set in the Kiss Meets the Phantom. <laughs> universe and it was going to open up with uh i cannot i cannot remember you know bland protagonist girl as much as i've seen that movie she's not beth they didn't name her beth which is so weird they should have called her christine Christine. so then uh so then uh paul could have said christine yeah and the gene could be like i knew i knew (laughs) i had to have her <clears throat> but like she like her boyfriend that's been under mind control of Devro. You know, at the end of the film, you know, he's free from it's all lovey. Well, my story opened up with her boyfriend being like, Oh, where is she? And he he wanders down a hall and he hears Ace Freely <laughs> or Freely go, She wants a rocket ride. She wants a rocket ride. And he opens the door and Ace is totally banging her. And you don't you don't really you just see the single tear roll down the dude's cheek. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah why i believe it's melissa by the way it is melissa that's her name God. not dirty d uh, uh who's the other one uh what's yeah. that is i remember yeah it's easy to remember the the side characters because chop oh yeah, yeah. chopper and slime oh, man oh, my favorite line <laughs> chopper don't hurt anybody unless he wants to <laughs> <laughs> I love. Oh my God! It's so. It's and Brian James is in it. The great Brian James. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah, way underground. <laughs> it's, it, let's not forget. Like, be careful, Catman. They, you know, they're serious and they have guns. <laughs> this is Ace. <laughs> oh my God! Anything with Ace Frehley too is just like Beethoven's fifth. <laughs> They all lose their heads over you, Paul. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> they really need to do, like, a deluxe Criterion release of the film. I sw- I'm deadly serious. And I want the whole Tom Snyder interview on there. Because they have, like, a cut of it on Kissology 2, which, yes, of course, yeah, we have. But it's edited. Because, of course, Gene and Paul are in charge of it. And, listen, I love Kiss. I love Gene and Paul. But not 
unconditionally. <laughs> right, right. Because well, in that it's the Attack of the Phantoms version on there, not the you know Phantom of the Park version on that Cassology disc. It's like, come on, guys, give us the whole thing, give us the cartoonish music, give us everything. Yeah, I do. I I will say this: the good thing about the Attack of the Phantoms version, the print looks amazing. It looks so good. I mean, it looks way better than you think a film like that should look. It looks gorgeous. And I this the shot of, of Abner just walking like a man dejected to Mr. Make-Believe is, is really kind of perfect. Uh, but uh, I also, I've, when, are, when are Kiss going to release an uh, MP3 of Rip and Destroy? Like this is That should have been on the box. Yeah, set. so we get that on the Criterion. We get Space Bear doing commentary. <laughs> <laughs> Get that green thing that's hugging all those yeah. people in. Get Chopper. <laughs> I, I was just the the barbershop quartet. I, I could just go on. Oh God! And, and it's yes. like it's like Abner. You know, that's how much I watch it. I'm like, God, he's almost like he looks almost aroused. Like this is so <laughs> this is so weird. Like that that's the beauty of Zerby. So great. Yes. Yeah, he totally probably won't be on the show after me talking about writing Slash to. Kiss meets the fan. I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> well, I was working on a treatment for a uh, sequel, which would actually take place at Bablo Island, which is a little island uh, in the Detroit River where they had a theme park there. And uh, I had uh, mechanized sharks and stuff. It was kind of like Lost meets uh, Kiss, Kiss meets the fan. Oh, my God. I would. Someone needs to kickstart this right now. Zerby's still alive. Everybody in Kiss is still with us on people let's let's make that happen uh i I actually have to say this is how much i watched that film is uh my husband chuck actually ended up writing like a 12 page treatment for a rock opera version (laughs) wow and it's seriously i could say this like you know yeah i'm married to i could say this like completely cool-headed uh it's brilliant and it's it's way better than the film you know who wouldn't want to watch a broadway version of this i mean there's so much. There's so much potential in the uh, Kiss Meets the Phantom universe. I, I completely agree. I'm trying to imagine like the the wire work that would have to happen for some of the fight scenes. <laughs> I think it would be fantastic. Ooh, and we could bring back those um those kitty cat werewolf creatures that they fight. <laughs> oh my! There's a shot. Oh my god! No kidding. With Paul Stanley's face when he's fighting, him, he's just like he's totally preening. And I and then, <laughs> it cuts to one of the wolves like shaking its head. It's like what the fuck? Like, what, what universe have you entered? I mean, that's uh, I I don't think the film gets enough love. I've mentioned it to other people, and I've noticed anybody who hasn't seen it is like, oh god. And it's like, no, no, no. It probably helps if you like Kiss. In fairness, but it's like, no, no, you got to give it a chance. I mean, I would much rather watch that than a, you know, Rushmore. <laughs> Take that, Wes Anderson. I just put Kiss Meets the Phantom over your film. <laughs> well, you notice that I've done uh, uh, Kiss Meets the Phantom. I haven't done a Wes Anderson film. So. Uh, there are reasons. Yes. You know what's up. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you need to? Like, I mean, come on. What, what would one rather talk about? Like, a movie that has Robo Kiss uh, and, uh, you know, a Casey at the Bat automaton and Anthony Zerby. <laughs> Or like some hipster <laughs> twee film that's got tweeness. Right. To, I don't know. I'm not a fan. Um, but uh, but that's that's probably another discussion. I don't want to get. I have friends who love 
you know, Wes Anderson's. I don't want to offend them, but we're right. Come on. If everybody looks yeah. truly in their hearts, they would know that we are right. And Kiss Meets the Phantom is awesome. <laughs> and it's way better than Wes Anderson. <laughs> Uh, unless he starts putting uh, Anthony Zerby and Kiss in his films, then I may right. then I may give him another chance. So some of the other movies that people have suggested, All That Jazz, which uh, ironically enough came up a bunch when we were talking about the Red Shoes recently. Baba Duke, which was a uh, horror uh, film from a few years ago that people had just fallen all over themselves to talk about. Um, so I'm almost wondering if too much has been done about that one. Right. Um, but I mean, I enjoyed it. It just it didn't blow my mind as as much as it did a lot of other people. I mean, I liked it better than it follows. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know, actually, I haven't seen either one of them. I, I, for me, with some films that they get a lot of hype. I mean, and it's not that I think either one will look terrible. It's just, um, right. Uh, I'm just like, you know, they they're getting plenty of love right now. I'm going to try and give my attention to something else right now and maybe i'll return to it uh, later i did see a hilarious meme that <laughs> that had the baba duke monster twerking and it was called the the ba- <laughs> the baba donka donk <laughs> <laughs> and yeah i'm i am just the right amount of juvenile uh in my humor to uh, i laughed really hard at that i may have saved it to my nice. computer <laughs> <laughs> and I would totally watch the Baba Donka Donk. I, I would have watched that already. Um, I'm not proud of that, but I'm honest with myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, but do you think that is that something that goes into your decision making though? With certain suggestions, where you're like, oh, you know, even if it's something you like, you might be like, oh, this this is a title that has been done to death right now, and maybe we need to kind of wait and let it cool a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was one um, we did uh, Under the Skin, the Scarlett Johansson film, and that was just getting so much praise. People were listing it as one of the best films of whatever year it was out. And I decided, well, let's cover this. This sounds interesting. And I don't know why. I think it was just more to give myself an excuse to watch it. Mm -hmm. But, of course, by the time we got around doing the episode, it was, you know, eight months after all of those best of lists were out. So at least we did give it a little bit of time. And then if we did do the Babadook, it would be, you know, sometime in 2018. So uh, definitely some time would have passed around that. But then it's also the whole thing of like, well, that was a pretty popular film. It's tough to get people to actually talk about it. You know, like with Under the Skin, of course, I'm not going to get the director or Scarlett Johansson because it was a huge, it was a big success. So, and and she's very successful. So, I mean, she's opening, uh, you know, movies with Ghost in the Shell and stuff. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, she's playing vaguely Asian characters, which she probably yes. shouldn't be but but yeah no no i feel i feel that because there are films um i really love but i probably will never write about just because it's like like the godfather and godfather 2 are one of my favorite movies of all time they're right. masterpieces but i don't know if i'll ever feel like the pull to write about either one because i mean it's the it's the godfather <laughs> you know there's like there's 20 tons of of writing and thesis and critiques and articles and all of that about about those films and as there should be but um so right. i i'm with you i kind of feel um but i think that's really that's a good thing about projection because you'll cover you've covered a lot of stuff that um like a, a, you know a person who's not a huge like cult film cineast 
they'll know. I mean, like, I love it that you did the red shoes and that's a classic, but then you'll do something really obscure. Like we were talk- talking earlier about Chuck Vince, it's Cleo Leo. I think it's that mix of, uh, of titles that makes Projection Booth just, you know, to me, it, me as a listener, certainly, as well as a, like a casual co-host, like really pull to, because I, I, I love that diversity. Well, like when we did uh, Blade Runner, it's like uh, basically the challenge was, can you say something different about Blade Runner? Can you say something that hasn't been said before? So I think that we succeeded when it came to that. Um, I mean, I'll let people be the judge of that if they listen to that episode. But uh, yeah, I mean, so we tried to come at it from some different angles to talk to people that you might not have heard from before. Like for that one, of course, it's based on a, a Philip K. Dick. So I am all about pkd and just like let's talk about that let's talk about the android stream of electric sheep let's talk about the the, how it was adapted and just that method of it you know um so we talked to a guy who put together a, a whole philip k dick book we talked to paul salmon who worked on the publicity for it was kind of behind the scenes talked to william saunderson who not a lot of people were talking to him about blade runner at the time so trying to do that so we have some things like on the suggestion list there are some things like die hard and it's like would i do a die hard episode possibly i mean people have talked a ton about it but then like just recently there were more stories about it because steven e d'souza comes out and talks about the whole scene with uh hans and um john mcclain and how does john mcclain know that hans is actually a terrorist and not uh the William Clay, you know, just those whole things. And so that, that got a lot of notice and people were writing about that like crazy on the internet. So it's like, okay, well there's still stuff to talk about when it comes to that film, but I don't know if I'm going to rush out and, and cover it anytime soon, as opposed to something like get crazy is also on yes. the list of suggestions. And it's like, okay, people don't know that movie. People really should know that. Oh movie. my God. They, they, sh- they so should know that that one's actually on a potential list for me to cover, uh, for like a future installment of the bizarre film encyclopedia. Cause I'm just like that film. It's great. And it shocks me. I'm, I'm to this day. I'm so surprised that not a lot of people know about it. Cause this isn't like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you and I love that is obscure because you know, it's low budget. It's indie. There's no names attached to it kind of thing. Like, like, like I love SF Brown rig, but yeah, I mean, that's a cult, you know, that's a cult director, you know, get crazy. Is Alan Arkush, you know, <laughs> Malcolm McDowell, Lou right. Reed's in it. Ed Bagley, I mean, it's just like a ton of people, and it's one of the most fun movies ever. It's so, it's just leaving. Oh my god, it's just there's so much in it, and um, it's not even on DVD. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah, I, I have the VHS copy. Uh, you know that uh, uh, Amazon would put out these questionable <laughs> rights uh, VHSs in these yellow cases, and that's the version I have. Is from oh, that. my God. I always wondered about this. I, I have a VHS copy of well, but it's like an ex-rental, um, and it's surprisingly not in bad shape, given that it's, you know, I mean, I think it's like from when it first came out. <laughs> so it's... it's right. Seems- because nobody read yeah. it. <laughs> it you know, shame on you people. But uh, I remember looking at the 1977 uh, comedy film Cracking Up, which is e- which oh, is yeah. even more obscure than Get Crazy. And um, and yeah, and I remember Amazon for all had it, but it was like a VHS and it had a weird yellow cover. And I was like, yep. huh? Yeah, I, I wish I would have gotten it though, because that one's still. I mean, like Get Crazy. I don't think it's 
you know, most people haven't even heard of it, um, which is a shame because, man, the tubes, you know, the tubes are on the soundtrack, the Waybills in it, um, Harry Shearer, Michael McKean. There's so many people in that movie. Oh, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it just feels like they raided the improv troops to get these people into the. Oh, totally. And it's, and it's, you know, it's, you know, like a lot of comedies of, of well, my comedies in general, few comedies are over 100% funny, but it's got more hits than misses. I mean, I, no, I I yeah. enjoyed it. It's definitely um, got that sort of like there was something about like the mid to late seventies uh, with some of the a lot of the like you know comedies where there's almost this people going almost into like surrealness with it, like the, a more experimental kind of attitude almost, and um, which I miss. You know, things got definitely more formula by the eighties, but uh, but it's good stuff. So yeah, I'm really debating about. Will this help program next year's schedule? Because there are some politically relevant things on here, like Black Legion, the uh, uh, Archie Mayo, um, uh, Humphrey Bogart film about the uh, the secret vigilante terrorist group, uh, the white supremacist group that uh, was in the popular in the Midwest uh, during the 1930s. Mm. So it's like, okay, well, you know, that, that kind of speaks to the alt-right a little bit here. And there's some, you know, just some fun movies on here. There's uh, uh, Leonard Part oh 6, my God. which I've never actually seen. <laughs> so. And then, like I said, there's a lot of stuff I've never even heard of. So, um, you know, the Cyber Ninja from 1988. <laughs> oh, my God. Not really familiar no, with that. No, I'm so. intrigued. That's kind of like the beauty, but it's got to be part of the dauntingness, too, of doing a show like this for you is that you never – it's like it's it's like this with Phil Wright. You, you will never run out of stuff to cover, but you will also never run out of stuff to cover, meaning there are times where it's got to feel – maddening because you want to of course all of us you know if we had our druthers would do nothing but the you know do nothing but these podcasts and these articles and books but you know a lot of us have day jobs families so you got to find that balance my original plan was thinking that we only had like a few titles in the suggestion box i was thinking like well i would use this to encourage people to go out to the suggestion box and put stuff in there they can still do that. That's absolutely fine. There is a way where you can suggest films where they will for sure guaranteed be covered on the show and where you can even be a co-host if you so choose. And I added some levels on Patreon where people can go and, and donate and choose a film for sure to be covered. Because the other thing when it comes to this stuff is like... Who knows if there are interviews available for this, if there are subject matter experts that are uh, available for this stuff. So that's always the the challenge, too. So people can just say all the live long day like, oh, you should cover, uh, you know, you should cover uh, Tears of the Black Tiger. And it's like, uh, well, I, I don't speak Thai, so I can't really speak <laughs> to anybody who is involved in the production. Um, you know, maybe we can talk to somebody who's written about foreign Westerns, those kind of things or whatever. But, you know, I, I try to find one interview at least per show. So it, it's tough sometimes to, to find the, the, the people behind these. So, you know, you can just pick a movie out of a hat and it's like, well, okay, but I don't know how much support I'm going to get for some of this stuff. Whereas other times the interviews actually dictate the show. I mean, I talked on the recent Beverly Hills Cop episode about, you know, sitting there watching Beverly Hills Cop and going, I wonder if I could get inter- interviews with people that were involved in this film. And over a matter of a couple of days, it was like, you know, three or four interviews fell into my lap. And it's like, okay, good. 
There we go. Done. Done. Let's do it. <clears throat> that's yeah, and that's the thing. I you know uh, that's so admirable about like putting together a show like this is that um, you know you've given me a little bit of behind the scenes peek of just like trying to get or like interviews and it, you know it's so tricky because you know anytime you're dealing with outside people for you know, especially for interviews it's um you know because I mean even just doing the few interviews I've done. Uh, for print it's uh it's always tricky you know because some you know you never know who's going to be like immediately like oh wonderful and they're great and they make your job like the easiest in the world or who's going to be cagey or weird about right. it and a lot, of, a lot of times people have good reason to be you know i mean that's you know everybody's got a life to live other people are just gonna be flat out dicks <laughs> or you'll never hear from them at all right you know uh it's such a it's such a roll of the dice and you never i mean that's the thing with interviews you never know who's going to be cool or, or who's going to be a problem until you're in in the pit with them right well and that's one thing that i have i don't think i've ever really said this out loud but i should say it is that i've never paid anybody to be on the show you know uh, people have asked for money in the past and i've had to tell them no because this show doesn't make buku bucks. You know, it's like, it, it was funny recently. I got an email on like a Monday that said, here's your Patreon funds. And it was like $199 after they took out their, their cut of it. And then on Tuesday, I get a note from my hosting company that says, okay, your bill is $217 to host for another year. And it's like, okay, well, so one goes in one way, you know, there, it's still a little bit of a loss there, but at least it's kind of paying for itself. So it's not 200 bucks out of my pocket. It's 200 bucks out of the listeners' pockets who are supporting the show. That's fantastic. And and but it's just like, yeah, that this isn't a money making venture. So when Cheryl Lee's people say, oh yeah, she'll do it for money, it's like, yeah, no, I'm sorry, I can't pay you for interviews. So everybody who's been on it, whether they're Oscar winner or uh, you know the guy who's now cleaning the floors at a gymnasium someplace and used to be in uh, a movie from the 70s everybody is doing this out of the goodness of their heart which is awesome and that's a uh, and you know any any interview and you've done way way more than I have but any interview I've done I've been pretty lucky about the money even the ones that fell through I mean money uh was never an issue. I haven't had anybody ask yet, which if they did, my answer would be like, well, I'm not even getting paid. So, <laughs> you right. know, and if I am, it's trust me, it's, it's not, it's not a huge amount. Um, actually I did offer, um, I used, I did an article, uh, about, uh, Candida Royale when she passed and Harry Gordon, AKA, uh, Oh God, Richard Pacheco, I had some beautiful photos and I did offer, cause I, I did get a small paycheck for this piece and I offered to give him like half, to use his pictures, which he graciously said no. He's a gentleman and sweetheart. But, I, you know, it's, you know, I know when we, this thing people understand, when any of us have enough money to pay people what they're worth, of course, you know, and the goal is to get there, but um, it's, you know, it's a battle. I mean, you know, I, but yeah, that's, but that's amazing because you have gotten some, you've gotten some guests and I'm like, my, Mike is the magic man. <laughs> you know, I mean, because just uh, the variety and level. I mean, God, you've talked, you've talked to some of my heroes, which is so cool. I mean, yeah, because I mean, you talked to Friedkin. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. Well, oh. that was, that was lucky because he had a book to promote. But hey, so. if it works, it works, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was thrilled with that mm. one. The one thing that, that gets me, though, is when people will say, hey, you should cover this movie. And it's like, you mean this episode that I did six months ago? 
so there is a list out there. You can find the list. I try to keep it up to date on both Wikipedia and on the Projection Booth website. There is a list where you can sort by date, by name of movie, um, and I think that's about it because you can't really sort by by uh, guest or anything. So, but you can go out there and you can see all of the episodes that have been done, uh, except for like specials. I don't keep specials out there where it's the things like, you know, here's an interview about this uh, movie that is a Kickstarter and we're, we're trying to promote it right now. Just like full fledged discussions about movies so there are some specials like like blade runner like they live where you know it's a really it's a full episode and then there's other specials like the ones that we did for um uh the the movie that adam uh resnick did with uh sorry adam rifkin did with uh pendulette where it's just like hey we're talking to these guys and we're trying to get people to donate to the kickstarter before the movie's even been shot so it's not we can't discuss the movie because the movie doesn't exist yet so those i don't necessarily keep out on the list you can always use the google search if you so choose but yeah so before you ask you know before you say you should cover myra breckenridge or streets of fire go take a look at the website and just make sure that we haven't done it before and if we have enjoy it and and please give us your feedback that's that's the thing i always ask for is the feedback from people if they dig stuff or even if they hate it just it would be great to hear from people absolutely you know anybody listening to this like if you if you in general like if you read or watch something or listen to something that you really love you know like let the if you can let the let the people the creators know because you know we live in a world where people are more likely likely to give you feedback if they hate it (laughs) you know um which is fine you know every art is subjective and that's totally fine but if you um if something really hits you and you like it you know let them know too because i mean we're all in this together and um i always try to personally like if i read something i really love or watch something i try to let that person know just to you know because good, your feedback, good and bad, is always helpful. Let's read a little bit here from an email from Gabriel Fuller, who wrote and said, I love your show. I discovered it about a year ago, and it's been the only not family bright spot of a horrible year. Makes the commute a lot easier. I liked it so much, I decided to Patreon it. In the current situation, I've been donating monthly to ACLU, HRC, etc., and I wanted to give something I need if civilization doesn't... If civilization wasn't falling apart, too. So I have some ego fest questions, hopefully not too many or too annoying. So one, it kind of plays into what we were just talking about. I have not nearly enough money to suggest movies on Patreon. Are there movies you won't do for people who donate that much, though? If someone says cover White Chicks or Suicide Squad, would you? First off, I actually don't mind White Chicks that much. I mean, uh, I I still think that Little Man uh, movie that the Wayne Brothers uh, did was worse. Um, (laughs) At least White Chicks has Terry Crews dancing. So it's it's fantastic in that regard. So far, that's a problem I have yet to run across because no one has donated that much money on Patreon. So um, I don't really have an answer. If somebody donated that much money and asked to cover a movie that I found exorable, I would still do it. And I would try to do it in a fair and balanced way, to coin a phrase. Um, I mean, we have, luckily, with all of these episodes that we've done, I've only covered, like, two movies that I absolutely hated through and through. And even then, I think I still tried to give them a fair shake when it came to that. One of those episodes was Battlefield Earth, and really tried to revisit it with fresh eyes, 
speak to the people behind it, find out why it was the way that it was. And at the end of the day, Rob and I were just like, no, it's, it's really, it's not a good movie, but I think we gave it a fair shake. That's a testament to professionalism right there. Cause that's, that's a tough, <laughs> that's a tough one. My God. And now, you know, somebody's totally going to go to your Patreon and pay for white chicks. So wouldn't that, that be awesome? There are worse yeah. movies go than white it. chicks. They're way, oh, yeah. way worse. There was a thing that Rob posted on the Facebook group yesterday where people are, uh, it was like an open-ended question of the worst movies that you've seen in a theater. And they, the article actually used a picture from the Watchmen. Oh my God. And I was just like, wow, if Watchmen is the worst movie you've seen in the theater, you have no problems in your life. Yeah. You're living a candy coated shell of existence. If that, (laughs) oh my God, how dare they? I actually love the Watchmen. I mean, that's, I own it. Like, come on. I mean, the the graphic novel's great. Oh, how dare it. Jackie Earl Haley, for Christ's sake. Jesus. Yeah. Slap them in the face. God, I wish that was the worst movie I've seen in a theater. (laughs) I should sometime try to make a list of all of the movies that I've walked out on in theaters or that I've just just wanted to, you know, uh, shoot myself in the head after I was done watching them. I always go back to two movies when it comes to that. One is... Sliver, the movie with Sharon oh my. Stone and Billy oh, Baldwin. Oh, God. Yeah, good call. <laughs> and the other one was Harmony Kareen's Julian Donkey Boy. <laughs> I can't believe you got to see that in a theater. <laughs> I, I saw it at the at the Toronto International Film Festival, and I, all, and I got into an argument afterwards because one of my friend's uh, then-girlfriends was just so shocked and horrified that I did not like that movie and just was trying to make me feel stupid for not liking it. And I was just like, come on, get off. Yeah, I mean, that's... I will say this. If that whole film had been nothing but Werner Herzog in his underwear yelling with the water spray, like water hose, I would have actually... I would own that movie if that... Because I I would totally pay for an hour and a half of that. But um, that's just me. (laughs) I mean, that's... I hate it when people get like that about film. I mean, even if it's something you love and we hate or one of us hates, that's cool, you know? But don't try to, like, be like, oh, you're not smart. Fuck you. Of course we're smart. We're all smart people. (laughs) We know about film. And you know about film, too. It's all good. It's just opinions. Like, it's no, you know. Granted, we're right. And that is... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I worked at a Blockbuster video. I know what I'm talking about. Hell yeah. And I worked at Hastings. So, you know, come for us, people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We got retail experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, my God. And listen, I, I, I actually, I have to say this, Dracula 2000... Oh God! I I it's rare that I leave a movie pissed. Like I was legit angry, like walking out of that theater. I was so mad, and I was, I mean, uh, you know, the breaking point for me was midway where Dracula. The film sucked, anyways. But like Dracula comes to the modern age, and he's at like a Tower Records or something, and he looks up and he sees it wasn't even a Hastings. I, I know, no, yeah, Hastings didn't have that kind of budget. <laughs> certainly for their employees but um i but he looks up and sees like a monster magnet video and keep by this is dracula this is this is fucking dracula and he looks up and he's like magnificent or something like and i was like you know what you kiss my ass movie this is bullshit monster man i mean uh this is the print this is the Prince of Vampires, for Christ's sake. This is Dracul and Monster Magnet. Like, they couldn't, what, they couldn't get Sisters of Mercy, at least? Like, oh, it just, it just angered me. It's, 
it sounds like it predated uh, that scene in Blade Three where he goes in and sees like the uh, uh, vampire dildos and stuff <laughs> at the. It, it looks like uh, what, what's that shop in the mall that all the goth kids a go hot to? Topic. Hot topic. It looked like a you know an, uh, an extra large hot topic. <laughs> Well, you know, vampires, they got to get their, uh, it's so, Hot Topics is so weird now. I guess a vampire would go there and be like, oh, cool, there's a Beauty and the Beast dress. <laughs> right. Wait a minute. <laughs> this is. I love Lumiere. Uh, <laughs> Monster. I can't believe. Oh, I'm, see, I'm just angry thinking about it. Like, the, that person who thinks The Watchmen is the worst movie they've ever seen in theater. You and I should hold our own film festival called Suck Fest. And we'll make yeah. them sit through all the worst <laughs> shit we've seen in a theater. You know, oh, Dra- you think Dracula yeah. 2000's bad? Well, here you, you know, I, I had to sit through part of The Animal with fucking Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider, wow. I mean, come on. That was horrible. Man, yeah. <laughs> People who think, dude, where's my car is horrible really need to go check out a lot more movies. Go check out Double Take or Three Strikes, like those, or Dragonfly with Kevin Costner. Check those movies out before you come talk or to any, us. Or most of Kevin Costner's filmography. Yeah. I had to sit through three hours of The Postman. That is pain. <laughs> that is pain. Like I felt like I, I survived some kind of like weird Kung Fu The Legend Continues test of patience with that. Like. <laughs> Oh, I've never been. You should get some, what you say, some, some get some dragons uh, burned into your skin after that one. I, I, I have never in my life been more happy to see Tom Petty, and I like Tom Petty, you know. But I was like, when he pops up in that movie, I was like, thank you, Lord. I was like, don't leave me, Tom Petty. Don't, don't leave me with Kevin Costner. And then he leaves. I was like, oh God, this film won't end. It won't. It's like a fucking Mobius strip. Oh, oh heaven. So yeah, the Watchmen is not even if you even if, and I know a lot of people hate Zack Snyder. I'm not a fan of all of his films, honestly, either. But right. the Watchmen kicks ass, and it's way better than the Postman or Dragonfly. Oh my god, Kevin Costner needs to stop. He's just he's like Don Henley. So Gabrielle also writes and says, uh, so the Mondo Justin era. I started in the middle and worked my way back, and I don't know I would have stuck with it if I started at the beginning, only listened to a few. Are there shows or movies from them, from then, his picks in particular, that you loved or are proud of or that a newer fan should check out? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I still stand by a lot of those early shows. I think that a lot of them were, were a lot of fun. If I had to pick shows from the Mondo era that people should definitely check out, uh, I love Tapeheads, the movie, and I would really recommend the Tapeheads episode. He put a lot of work into the Streets of Fire and Warriors episodes. Uh, He loved Shag, and his love for that movie came out. I was not that big of a fan of Shag. Um and then, uh, you know, it was great talking to Dolph Lundgren on the Red Scorpion episode. So th- th- there were a lot of good things amongst uh, those episodes. In fact, like I said, I think I stand by all those. And also, the Mondo Justin era produced one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite episodes of the Projection Booth, which was Tracks. So according to a message I got through uh, Facebook from Quentin when I tried to friend him on there, and he uh, 
kind of tore me a new one. Uh, you know, how dare you try to friend me after all that anti-Tarantino bullshit? Uh, but at least he liked the track tracks episode. So there you go. Man. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's amazing. Yeah, point. I guess you know points for listening to the show. That's that's awesome. Oh yeah, he said that. Uh, you know, he listens to the show, and isn't that enough? <laughs> you know, to to kind of to say that he's uh, been trying to put our differences behind him. I've always been curious if he listened to the Reservoir Dogs episode. Oh, mm. that's you know that that's a good question. I don't know if he's if he's anything like me. I I would be personally hasn't to listen to anything about anything I've done, <laughs> which is why which is why Ego Fest is good for me to be a part of. We got to face our fears here. <laughs> but yeah, the, the Mondo Justin era is is really good, and and I thought you and Justin had a, a very cool dynamic, different than you and Rob. But you know, Justin was good. The Tapeheads episode. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was that was a really good one. And Tapeheads is another film that doesn't get enough love. I mean, that's such a that's one of my personal favorites. Certainly, it's one I'm always trying to recommend to people. Like, have you seen Tapeheads? Clue Gulliger's in it. And then if they say who's Clue Gulliger, then I slap him in the face. <laughs> and then I get arrested. But uh, no, no, Justin, no, Justin was very cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear that era get brought up in questions. And speak of the devil, here is an interview with Mondo Justin. Holy cow, Mondo Justin on the line. I am, uh, wow, I haven't spoken to you in a donkey's age. Hey, how you doing? Surprise, huh? Yeah, wow. Uh, it's great to hear from you. How are you these days? I'm doing good. I thought I'd check in and see what you were up to. I've been listening to the show sporadically. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the way the show's going. And I really like what you've been up to. You just got a shout out in the Washington Post today. Uh, there's an article about those movie nerds behind the video store counter are back and they're doing podcasts. And uh, the writer interviewed me and uh, and I talk about the beginning of the show and talk about, uh, you know, my friend Mondo Justin uh, and how we originally were trying to make the podcast 59 minutes long every episode. Remember when that was a struggle to make a 59 minute episode? Yeah, I do remember that. But I, why don't why don't I ever see these articles? <laughs> I mean, this thing just came out, so I haven't no, posted it, yeah. it yet. Yeah, yeah. I think the struggle was. I mean, I, I was always fine with having a longer show, but I could see how people could lose. I guess we were probably wrong in our assumption that people would lose interest after an hour episode. Because now you know you can do six hours, and people seem to just stay with it. Somebody emailed me the other day, and they said. You should do a podcast about tough guys don't dance. And I said, no, I'm not going to do a podcast about tough guys don't dance because my former partner, Mondo Justin, did a 10 hour podcast about tough guys don't dance. Yes. You need yes. to track that down if you want to hear the definitive tough guys don't dance podcast. <laughs> it's, it's out there. It's, it's out there. Yeah. It, it went, it went offline for a while, but then it, it it's back online now. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I that think was, it was uh I think it was like maybe the Shag episode or even the um uh the Warriors where you had just gathered so many interviews for those where it was just like, yeah, we gotta not do an hour for these things. I just had so much fun doing those with you, you know, like for me it was more about just like creating it, you know, and having fun creating it versus trying to produce some sort of crazy in depth mm -hmm. conversation. I had more fun uh, for example, on the Warriors and basically creating the soundscape, you know, that we put behind us to, pe to allow people to think that we were in New York visiting those locations. 
Well, there was some irony there because uh, a few months ago, I ended up talking to um, Thomas Waits, mm-hmm. and he actually was in New York on the streets, and you could hear like the whole progression of him going in and ordering, uh, you know, asking for the the <laughs> the bathroom key at Starbucks. <laughs> Did he go to Jamba Juice? Yeah. Well, he went to the John, and you could you could uh, almost hear that too. I was just like, "Oh God!" And I'm like, "Here's here's the real cityscape. This is kind of funny. There's a, definitely an irony to this." He was he was one I never I never got to him. I, I don't know why I couldn't get in touch with him, but I just never managed to get track him down. Or maybe he even declined to talk to me. I don't remember. It's been so long, but. Which was bizarre, because you had everybody else. I mean, David Patrick Kelly barely gives interviews, but he gave you one. Well, you know what happened with that, actually, is, I don't know if you remember, because I don't know if I ever told you, but, like, I had originally done an interview with him for, I was going to be for Shock Cinema Magazine, and then that happened, the whole big computer crash of, you know, whatever year that was, where I lost a bunch of interviews. I, I lost, I lost that entire interview with him, but somehow I had managed to cut out the Warriors before mm-hmm. and upload it in Dropbox or something. So that's why I would, I could, I was able to save it, but I'd lost like a two hours with him talking about, you know, Commando and all that stuff. Oh, that's funny. Cause I just lost a good half hour of Stephen E. D'Souza talking about Commando and uh, his whole early career. I wonder if that's just a cursed movie. I take a lot of care now in backing up. I back stuff up to about four different places now. What's really weird, though, is I found – I don't know what happened, but you know, you and I used to share Dropbox. I don't know if my computer dropped into another dimension or something, but I logged into my Dropbox, and then all of a sudden, files that – from like six years ago were in there that I had raced like literally six years ago. Like I found interviews that you and I had done for the projection booth that were still in my Dropbox, which I had well erased many years before. So that's how I found some recent things that I thought I lost years ago. I just, they magically some, you know, weird kismet happened and they just popped in there from the digital world. Did you know that the episode that we did on tracks is one of the favorite episodes of Mr. Quentin Tarantino. I do. You know, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I followed the projection booth on Facebook, even though I'm not on Facebook a lot, but I did, you know, notice when you posted the uh, response from Quentin on the page there. And um, what's funny, what happened about, you know, around that time when we did that episode, he would start like a, a, an account on Facebook named Quentin Tarantino, which he kept like poking me on Facebook. And I didn't think it was really him, right? I was like, come on, right? But I would poke him back and it went on for like weeks and weeks until like it just stopped. And then like I actually approached him to write the foreword for my book about Nora Mailer's films. And I heard back from his manager and he's like, yeah, he's just not interested in working with you. I can only have taken that from um, the fact that maybe I, I thought back, maybe back on the projection booth, maybe I had said something bad about him, given how if he's supposedly listening to the projection booth and he's unhappy with you, you know, maybe because of our association in the past, maybe he just opted not to work with me whatsoever. I don't know. But it was really weird because – and then recently, of course, they had a Frank Perry retrospective, and I had a line in there about maybe going out there to, to look at that look at that retrospective and maybe talk about the films, and all of a sudden that just kind of disappeared. So I don't, I don't know, you know what the deal is there. So, But I'm glad he liked the Tracks episode. I, I still love that movie. That's what I loved about 
doing the shows. Because we just had, we had so much fun doing those, you know, like, I, again, it was just like, it was more, much more fun to do those shows. I enjoyed like recording the shows more than I enjoyed, you know, watching the movies, I think. So we talked a little bit about the Norman Mailer podcast, and then that seems like that kind of, I don't want to say that it, the, the podcast parlayed into something, but it seems like that might have been an entree into this world of Norman Mailer, which you are now fully immersed in. So I made the podcast, right? Like, And most of those podcasts just kind of came out of boredom. I love that movie. Just kind of wanted to explore it. And um, so, yeah, I made the podcast, and then the Mailer family – estate society whatever got wind of it and listened to it loved it because i talked to so many people from the movie and i talked to one of mailer's kids about the film and you know from there they invited me out they said yeah every year we get together at them you know every year we have like a mailer gathering at some university some university hosts like a society meeting and you know basically society is comprised of all these university academics you know professors that all make the board up and so, yeah, you know, we'd like what you did. We want to know if you want to come out and talk about the film, you know, at, at Wilkes University in 2000. This is 2014. So I'm like, you know, never had certainly never done anything like that before. And I was really worried that it was going to be like a bunch of, you know, stodgy professors and tweed dress jackets <laughs> with leather elbows and pipes and whatever. And uh, it was not, it was definitely not like that. And it was in that, you know, I did a, sort of like an hour presentation with it was me and and uh john buffalo mailer mailer's son we talked about the film together yes and from there that led into me shortly after they just kept involving me and things they said you want to come and work on this you know we've got this digital project we're working on called project mailer which you know we'd like you to be sort of a part-time archivist on this that led into them suggesting that i work on the book and then that led into me being elected to the uh, executive board of the Mailer Society. And, um, so every, yeah, I've been to the Mailer Conference every year. Uh, usually I give some sort of lecture about the films or like last year I talked about, looked at, uh, object correlative of, uh, Picasso and Mailer. This, you know, he was very influenced by Picasso. So I did this long presentation about like how texts can be like cubism. That's what, kind of what that was all about. How did the Frank Perry stuff come about? Well, Frank Perry, that happened, man, it's just, it's so long ago now, but like, I feel like I almost started that thing, and it was either in late 2014 or maybe early 2015. Anyways, I just, you know, I was looking for, I had finished The Shining book, or I I had finished, I was getting near finishing it or whatever that I was working on, and I just look, kind of looked at the market and I said, geez, you know, there's, I love this guy's films. Because I had, I think I had done an interview with Stacey Keach by that time, and I had done an interview with Bruce Davison at that time, and I just talked so much with them about Frank Perry. And I was like, there's not a, there's nothing that's been written about him, like whatsoever, not even like a magazine retrospective I see. And so I just kind of looked at the market and said, there's nothing here, so let me kind of explore this. And from there, it was just sort of me being me, and I instantly sort of tracked down his wife who I didn't know at the time was sort of like the executor of his estate. And cause it was like his second wife. It wasn't, he had been married three times. This, this, the middle wife was named Barbara Goldsmith. And she was, obviously she was not Eleanor Perry who made films with first. Um, but she was the executor of his estate basically. Cause they'd been married for over 20 years. And so I talked to her and 
basically, you know, she was really like skeptical about even if I could do it or anything. And so, but I started sending her stuff in the mail. I sent her like, I brought her some letters and sent her some like samples of things I'd written, like magazine articles. And then the shiny book came out and sent that. And so that really sort of sealed the, the deal in terms of me getting, um, access into his papers. Cause his papers, his, it is a full archive at Wesleyan, Connecticut, but it's not open to the public. So it's kind of like you have to get the permission of the state to get in there, or you can basically enroll as a student and get access in there. And so I got in there, spent a week there going through everything. And uh, from that sort of spiraled into me doing like, you know, a couple hundred hours, maybe more of interviews with people. You know, I started just tracking down people or, you know, talk to everyone still alive from David and Lisa, you know, talk to people from the swimmer and, you know, so many people involved with him. So, I mean, that's just kind of how it started. And it just kept going and going and going towards now it's, you know, two years later and I'm, I'm almost done. Like I'll definitely will be done and be turned in uh, by September of this year. I don't know how it worked out, but this year has turned into kind of the Frank Perry year on the projection booth because completely separately, there was that Mommy Dearest Diary that came right. out, and I talked to Ritanya about that. And then, like, Mother's Day passed uh, last year, so I'm like, okay, well, I'll do Mother's Day special this year. So we're doing Mommy Dearest for Mother's Day. The Swimmer came out on Blu-ray, right. what, two years ago, two years maybe? Ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Rob St. Mary was like, I really want to do The Swimmer. So that got put on the schedule. That got scheduled for this year. And then last year at NoirCon, Dennis DeFoya was talking about Man on a Swing, and I was like, oh, well, this sounds like a fascinating movie. Why don't you come on in November for November, and we'll talk about Man on a Swing. Sure. Another Frank Perry film. So it's just like three Frank Perry films in one freaking year, and then you're doing this thing on it. So then you graciously offered to actually help out with these episodes. Yeah. You know, at this point, I'm just, I'm really committed to his legacy, and I've worked so close with his wife and his kids and his nieces and nephews, and I now know his brothers that are still alive and his people that used to work for him. And so we're just kind of all committed. We all kind of feel that like he is a completely underrated, underappreciated talent. And so anything I can do to sort of raise awareness is something I'm definitely interested in, in doing. Well, I appreciate that. That's uh, really super nice. And I'm glad that we, you know, have an expert on hand to be able to say like, okay, well, what about this? What about that? And so rather than me just sitting here going, well, it looks like this is going on, that we have the guy who's actually gone through the papers, talked to the people that I can go back to and say, okay, what, what's the scoop? Tell me, tell me more about Man on a Swing. Tell me more about Yeah. This. And I mean, with, and with, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of misconceptions and misfacts out there, particularly with the swimmer Blu-ray that came out a couple of years ago. Frank's family was pretty unhappy with the documentary on there. And I've got some great stories I can tell you about communicating with the filmmaker behind that, who sort of went utterly psycho on me and uh, <laughs> threatened me with law, with uh, police action and uh, stuff like that. Wow. So, yeah, but we, I just want to kind of set the record straight and, and ra- again, raise awareness on, towards Frank and sort of educate people in terms of uh, letting them know like that he wasn't such a, he's not a minor figure. He was a major artist. The other thing, you know, you brought up the shining book and I have to say that that book really, well, the book and then you personally really helped shape the shining episode, that book, that 
doorstop, uh, glorious doorstop of a book. I mean, I was afraid of that book when I first picked it up just because it was so huge and so jam-packed with articles, interviews, all of these things. And I knew, like, from even around the time that we kind of split up, you were looking at doing a 2001 episode and you had been talking to so many people involved with 2001. I know that you had talked before with uh, Shelley Duvall. You had ends with so many of these people. So then when I heard that you were working on this Shining book, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be so packed with interviews. You didn't disappoint. The second half or, or it might even be the last two thirds of the book are just interview after interview after interview with all of these people who had a hand in it. I think my one of my favorite ones is the person who put together the photos, like the photo of, of Jack. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, she was... Yeah, I, she was tough to track down. That was kind of one of the last ones I did, actually. It was really... I mean, it's a, it's a weird... There's a ton of backstory there about... I mean, ultimately, yeah, people love the book, but I wasn't necessarily happy with the publisher of the book kind of screwed me on some things but yeah she was great to talk to and i mean the whole that whole process was it wasn't it was it wasn't really a long process it was just like the hardest part about that was finding the people really because but the interesting thing that's different from america and britain is in terms of finding the crew members is in, in britain they have databases that are accessible to the public where you can literally go in and look up pretty much like any english dp or first ad or whoever and get their like email and phone number like you know, you don't have to pay money. It's it's totally accessible to the public. And so I was able to find them that way. And then also through talking to people like, yeah, do you happen to have such and such as, you know, phone number or whatever? Can I get in touch with this person? There were people that I actually talked to that couldn't talk to me. Like I spoke with Tony Burton, the actor, and he was suffering from dementia at the time I talked to him. And like he couldn't even remember things that he had told me that were published very publicly in like the John Baxter Cooper book or whatever like he couldn't remember those stories like i try to verify and sort of expand on those with him and he couldn't even remember like things that he had said and so and there was you know other people that when i was sort of you know i was really trying to uncover whatever i was trying to uncover at just like there are people that i wanted to talk to that i sort of age had caught up to them and i, I missed the opportunity which was sad to me but i kept i kept going ceaselessly for the better part of a year to get those. And I, I wanted to write about the film. I had this great essay that I was working on. I still have pieces of it, but I never finished it because I got so inundated with doing the interviews and I got behind actually in transcribing them. And I was getting pressured by the publisher that I just had to stop writing and just like basically focus all of my time for like several months on transcribing. And it took a long time and I turned everything in late to him anyways. So I think one of the reasons why I do the podcast still rather than doing as much writing as I used to is just because of what a pain in the ass transcription mm -hmm. is. Absolutely. I, I listen, I'm, I'm done with it. <laughs> I haven't been doing interviews like I used to be doing. I just don't, I just, I mean, I do them for the projects, but I don't do them for pleasure. I don't have time to do stuff for shock cinema anymore. And I just, I don't have time. There's other stuff coming in. Like I got offered, I got offered another Kubrick project and, one of the guys that worked on The Shining literally called me on Skype on Christmas, like two years after the fact. He's like, how do I know you? And I'm like, what? And I explained. He was always like, oh, that's why. Because I, I know why I kept your number. Now he's like, yeah, well, by the way, I've written this memoir. And, you know, it's it needs some work. I want to know if I can pay you money to, to sort of go through, edit and ghostwrite it and then interview me and clean it up. And we'll put it out as like a, like a you know, a memoir. 
And it's great. It's got like a bunch of Kubrick stuff in it. And it's also got a bunch of stuff about David Lean and Sean Penn and Michael Cimino. Some really great behind the scenes stuff. This guy worked on pretty much every major film that was shot in England from like 1963 onward. And, uh, so there's that, you know, I got offered to work on another 2001 book. I turned that down. I offered to contribute to a Sam Fuller book. I turned that down. So there's just a lot of stuff going on. And, um, I just basically my focus now is to finish the two. I'm working on the finishing the Frank Perry book and then also Michael Bay book. And then after that, I'm going to take sort of like a long break. Stanley Kubrick, Frank Perry, Norman Mailer, Michael Bay. They all go together so well. <laughs> well you know I me, mean? I champion, I champion the bad films, right? So, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I find it's for me, it's always been about, um, I, I love new perspectives and I love, different ways of looking at things. And so I just try to bring a perspective about these, these filmmakers, you know, to something that people haven't necessarily seen before, I guess. Well, I will say that I will go to the grave defending pain and gain as being one of the best movies of the last 20 years, because I love that. It's good. I mean, I I like, you know, I like, I like all of his films and I didn't used to, right. It's just for whatever reason, it was something happened to me. I just would revisit them and like, I don't know, like I just have such admiration for the sort of technical audacity, like just the. I mean, the rhythm of them and the, the way they're edited together, and it's it's quite an achievement. And so, I, I don't know, like, my whole thing with Michael Bay is, like, basically, I mean, he's not any different than – he's not doing anything different than someone like, like John Ford was doing, right? I mean, his Bruce Willis and, you know, Ben Affleck, for example, in Armageddon, those are like his John Wayne and Cary Grant characters or something. You know, like, he doesn't cast people based on, you know, they're, they're not great character actors. They're, they're character – they're people. They're actors that play themselves essentially in some films, much like how John Ford would often cast John Wayne, someone playing himself, right, to a certain degree. And so I think a lot of his, a lot of his stuff is sort of in that classic Michael Bay stuff is in that classic early, late fifties, early sixties sort of Hollywood tradition. I mean, Michael Bay comes from the Janine Basinger school of of classic Hollywood thought, right? So she, you know, she's the one that preaches the genius of Hitchcock and and Anthony Mann and stuff like that. So it's easy to see where he comes from that, you know, his films represent that sort of train of thought. So what can we expect to see first from you out of all these projects? Uh, well, Norman Mailer book comes out this September. It's, uh, it's already on sale on Amazon. And then uh, Frank Perry comes out uh, late September or late next year. Uh, and then Michael Bay is, is, it's not a, uh, not cemented yet in terms of when the release date is, but we'll see. It should be next year. And I look forward to talking with you more when it comes to all of these Frank Perry films. Yeah, it'll be fun. Well, thank you so much. It was great hearing from you. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's it's good to be back in touch and uh, we should do this more often. We should actually, since we're back in touch now, we should actually plan a, a serious 2001 episode since I have all those interviews yet. Hell yeah. Yeah. I would love that. I mean, again, it, I definitely, uh, I hope I heaped enough praise upon you when it came to that Magnificent Ambersons episode, because that never would have happened without all of the hard work that you had done. And then having us go up to the U of M archives. So even though you weren't necessarily 
directly involved with some of it. I mean, your voice is on that episode, but there are some where it's just like the ghost of Mondo Justin lives on quite a bit, and I hope that uh, folks appreciate that. Yeah, it was a good episode. You did you did amazing work with it, and and you know I had been in touch with Roger several times in the last couple of years, and you know we had talked about it. And I he was the one that even sort of conferred with me that it was probably in the best interest to just you know get that stuff to you so we could get it get it done and out there so uh, he did a great job on it it was nice to hear i listened to it all and um i loved it a lot of those ideas came straight from you so i i really appreciate just your technical and your creative ability and if uh you know folks definitely should go over to your website justin bozong b-o-z-u-n-g dot net i'm not used to saying justin bozong i'm just used to saying yeah justin old old habits die hard yeah. yeah, really. So head on over there, and definitely we'll have links to that on the website. And then I'll link over to the Norman Mailer uh, book as well, so people can pre-order. No that. one's going to buy it. It's like a hundred bucks. <laughs> 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 you, know, you have to wait. They'll wait a year when it comes on paperback, and it'll be thirty. All right, we are back. And one more question from Gabriel Fuller, which is, what are your favorite shows from the last year or so? Like, the, like are there three shows that you must listen to? So my, my choices are probably not going to make people happy. I actually went back over the last year and looked at the three shows that I had a whole lot of fun putting together that I don't know if anybody else had as much fun with them. Um, I know we got a lot of good feedback on the Beyond the Valley of the Dolls episode that you were on, Heather, and that's one of those I would put in the, the top three over the last year. The other one was Smile, the Michael Ritchie film, which I had just boo interviews for. I love that movie. No one ever really talks about it, and I really wish more people would talk about it. Barely anybody listened to that episode. <laughs> and then I'm going to cheat when I say that my favorite episodes of last year were um, the Death Game and Death Game Redux that we did. And I had so much fun with both of those, and I, I think we've given more scholarship and, and attention to Death Game than probably anybody has yet, and especially the Death Game Redux episode that we did with the live reading of the uh, original screenplay, Mrs. Manning's Weekend. That was a blast. That was tremendous fun. That was such a cool thing to be a part of. And and the episode itself, that's actually one of my picks, too. Um, I mean, not just because it was, I mean, it's a great episode to listen to but i love i just love hearing like discussion tied to that film it's such a good film and it's 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 one that should definitely be revisited by more and more people it uh it's you know it's one of those titles from the the 70s where i think probably people just kind of maybe looked at and assumed oh it's an exploitation film or it's something you know because it wasn't promoted i think the best way when it when it's gotten releases in the past but it's it's tremendous and actually i'm this isn't cheating but actually, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is also on my 
on my list. And partially, I mean, my, my some of my opinions obviously colored by the experience of, of getting to do it. I just thought, yeah, but I thought the episode as a whole was fantastic. And you nailed like everything that should be nailed about that film. Like it was so good. And um, Jordan was such a great co-host. Like, you know, I loved it that, you know, you, you had somebody on here, on there who was a fan, like Jordan's not a film writer or a podcast or anything. She's just a really intelligent college student, you know, who's cool and has great taste. And that, and I think that, that was cool. Cause I don't think, I think a lot of like other podcasts would probably, my guess would be shy away from that. Like, Oh no, let's just keep it to people in the industry or people in our circles. But I think it's more healthy for anything. If you pull in something from outside a comfort zone in general and, you know, and, and that just to me added a lot of freshness to it. And Jordan was great. And, uh, you know, she gives me hope for the, the, young, the future <laughs> of like, like, yes, she was raised right. You know, like, uh, cause she had to be like the youngest. Yeah, well, she said she was 17 when she watched it the first time. And that was what? Three, oh, three my years gosh. ago. It's like, Oh my God. We old. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, no, but she, no, she was great. Um, God, it's hard. I saw this list when you sent me the script, and I mean, I, I it's hard for me to pick like a top three of all time, much less last year. I'm like, oh, because they're you know, God, they're all so good. I, I I can honestly say this, and I would sign this in blood, just like Winslow Leach and Phantom of the Paradise, <laughs> minus the devil, but uh, but plus Paul Williams, because I do love Paul Williams. Uh, is <laughs> Is I would sign this in blood that I have never heard a projection booth episode that I didn't think was good. There's always a consistency in quality. Um, even when you, because I've actually listened to episodes where we've talked about films I haven't seen or that, I, I mean, sometimes titles that I wasn't like the biggest fan of, but I was like, well, I want to hear their take on it, you know, and, and to me, that's a testament because I have a really low attention span. <laughs> so for something to pull me as a listener, that way, just because of approach, I, I think speaks volumes. That's that's why anytime, even even to this day, even I've been on the show a lot, when you're like, will you be on? I'm like, oh, my God, Mike's asking me, you know, it's like I get to go to the prom. <laughs> <laughs> but it's way better than the prom. I mean, there's some episodes that are kind of rough around the edges. I will definitely admit to that. I mean, I, even in that promo that we play in the show about, uh, you know, supporting the projection booth on Patreon, I, I, uh, the line is like uh, 50 episodes a year, 50 good episodes a year and two bad ones. So definitely an a nod to the uh, Deja Vu, hundreds of beautiful girls and three <laughs> ugly ones kind of thing. But Oh, God. <laughs> But I will admit that there are some that could be better, so I, I won't say that they're all good. Well, that that's very objective. See, that's that's the, anybody thinking ego fest is just going to be us being like, aren't we fabulous? Yes, you know. Have, have you met us? Have you met Mike? Have you met the projection booth? You know, it's not. There's obviously a lot of humility. I mean, that's the thing. If you were seriously an egotistical gentleman, I would be like, I don't want to work with you. <laughs> you're terrible <laughs> so but no that's fair i think anything i think anybody that creates enough work over time you're always going to have those pieces or episodes where you know you're like oh you know like i think that's normal I, I i would be suspicious of the person that's like oh no everything i've ever made is fantastic unless it's unless it's rick james then uh then, then hell yeah because come on he's rick james <laughs> so do you have a third choice or are you just oh. going to Oh God! Um, I'm actually, and and I will fully admit, if, again, this it may be 
colored by my own uh, experience. But, uh, I guess I would say Never Too Young to Die. That was Hell like, yes. oh my God, the episode as a complete thing. 10 times of fun recording it was probably, and, and you and I usually, I think we always have a lot of fun uh, when we do these together, but that one was, that was fantastic. It was just such a fun experience and uh, all the elements came together with that one. Like the vibe was right. You know, all three of us had a great rapport and chemistry. The film itself is so, I mean, God, we could have kept talking about that film. There's probably some alternate universe where we're still talking about Velvet, Von Ragnarok, or what, your Ragnar, and you know Stargrove, and yeah. <laughs> I'm Ragnar. <laughs> oh my god! I, why didn't the Blu-ray people have all of us do commentary on that? We, or, or at least Gene Simmons. I mean, in, in character as Velvet. I was really bummed out recently because I, I, I've heard that the i can't i think it's scorpion is putting out the apple on oh blu-ray God. and it's great they've got Catherine uh mary stewart as uh doing uh voiceover for doing a commentary on it but i was just like you know i offered you guys if you wanted to use just the interviews that i put together for that episode without the discussion like i wasn't trying to be like egotistical here i am on the ego fest talking about being egotistical i was like i'm not trying to be egotistical but here's interviews with joss acklin menachem golden the uh the 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 two people that actually put together the musical you know all of these people who were behind the musical behind the 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 movie you know and telling the story of the movie i'm like what would it take you to just put that as a commentary track again i'm not even looking for like you know all that much credit or anything it's just like here here's here's an hour and a half discussion of the movie that you could listen to while the movie is on why aren't you using that stuff so and then i was really bummed too because there's an alternate cut of that which we discussed on that episode and they could never put their hands on it that was a real bummer yeah no i don't i you know that's the thing i don't i wish i had more insight to how these things are put together because I've often wondered that I'm like, cause you, you over, I mean, you have a years upon years worth of database of interviews and commentary. And I'm just like, come on, DVD, Blu-ray, you know, companies, the choice is obvious. Like you, you, you know, you, um, you and Justin or Rob, like together are separate entities are prime commentary material because, you know, you've got the knowledge insight, but also personality too. Cause there's, you know, there there are times where we've all had that where we've seen an interview that we were excited about because it's about a film we love or a commentary. And then the person, they might have some good intel, but they're, they're dull, they're dry, you know? And and it's like, Oh God. And that thing we're communicators, like for a message to be received fully, it, it's got to have a little bit of personality and persuasion to it, in my opinion. So no, no, I don't understand that. That was a great episode. I mean, again, that was one I listened to, and I'm not a fan of the Apple. That film hurt me, but <laughs> and just hearing, just even mentioning it, invoking it, I'm gonna have that that speed song in my head. Oh my god. Oh, it's oh, I do I do love that uh, that Russian actor that plays the. Uh, the devil in it. He was fantastic. I was like, transport him to a different movie. <laughs> I was like, get him, get him out of this. But um, I don't know. There's just, I don't, but I, again, I don't understand how, or, you know, how these things work. I, I don't know if there's like certain politics at hand 
or what you know you don't want to like assume something unseemly of course but um but who knows i don't know it's very weird anybody listening to this get mike do it you people at uh, Arrow Video, I mean, quit teasing me about stuff because it's like I'll get things from them and they'll be like, oh, yeah, we'd love to have you do uh, commentary and stuff. I'm like, great. Send me a list of the movies that you've got coming out and we'll, uh, you know, we'll talk. And then I don't hear anything. And I'm just like, come on, guys, quit fucking around with my feelings. It yeah. Hurt. Yeah. Quit dragging his heart around. Yeah. I like how you <laughs> tied that back into the postman. Yeah. That was uh, Vladek Shabal was uh, the guy that played Boogaloo Thank himself. And, uh, he just showed up. I was uh, watching Shogun again recently, and he showed up in there, and I was so happy. Um, just uh, he he always makes me happy whenever he shows up. Oh, he was oh he was so great. And actually, one thing I thought was cool is I don't know um, if you see the cartoon Rick and Morty, which I'm a fan of, but they had an episode that where they have a character who's basically like the devil, and he's actually voiced by Alfred Molina, which another favorite. I know I love love Molina, as you know, the Molina. And uh, but the way they drew him, he totally looked like Mr. Boogaloo. I, nice. Oh, I'm sure that that was uh, very uh, intentional. It had as to well. have been. Um, but uh, though, though nobody talked about doing the BIM, so <laughs> do the BIM. <laughs> Oh my God, that movie! <laughs> I, uh, it's oh, yeah. um, you know, Apple, love it or hate it, you can honestly say there's nothing on this planet like the Apple. Back to gosh, uh, I didn't realize how many questions Gabriel uh, asked me here, but are you going to finally do the right thing on this episode and propose <laughs> to Heather Drain to make her the permanent co-host or what? I kind of like your revolving co-host thing myself, but Heather, you got to lot that down, man. <laughs> And that's also the question from Mick Brooks, who asked this on Twitter. He said, do you have any plans to hire a full-time co-host? I think you're doing a great job as is. I was just wondering what happened to that idea. I will tell you that Heather is very busy. I mean, every time we have her on the show, you know, you, you list off a whole bunch of stuff that you're working on. And podcasting, I think it, we talked about this before. You know, I, I've, I made serious offers to about four people. And you were one of them, Heather. And every single one of the people is just like, I ain't got the time, man. I'm doing other shit. So I completely and, understand yeah, that. That's um, Gabriel. Thank you. That's so awesome. Um, though, is he telling you that you need to lock that down, man? Or am I the one that needs to lock that down, man? <laughs> I, to me, the way I read it, I was like, but Heather, man, you know, like to me, like you gotta like that shit down, man. You gotta get her on the show. That's awesome. He's reading, he, it kind of is a phrase where it makes it sound like you know you need like me and you need to do like a lombata contest or something. It's like you got. Well, I would. It is the it forbidden, is forbidden dance. It's it's actually illegal uh, in the South. It's it's a it's a sinful dance. Yes, it's a very very sinful dance. But no, that's um that's awesome. And honestly, I if things line up. You know, in the in the near to mid future schedule wise, I would I would be more than honored because, uh, you know, uh, I love being on the show. Obviously, that's why I keep coming back. And um, you know, Mike, I think I I say this, it's ego fest. So I wanna, I think you and I just have a really good chemistry. Like I feel like anytime you you and I, I I've talked about this recently. Anytime we're because there's two episodes where it was literally just me and you, and that was Low Love Witch and Dr. Calgary. Um, which, uh, which, yeah, Ego Fest totally is my number one favorite episode of the Projection Booth. No shame uh, on that one. But I, also, your interview with Steven was perfect. Absolutely wonderful. You know, those were easy. You know, like, it just flowed. And um, 
I, I don't if anybody who hasn't done interview work or been on a podcast, it's not that is tricky, you know, because like having a good rapport with somebody um, in a formal kind of format like this is not, you know, it's not as, as easy as it seems unless you just have really good chemistry. And with you and me, you know, it's always, you know, I never have anything to worry like, oh, it's Mike. Cool. We'll knock it out. I don't know if uh, if the offer comes up in the in the future, who you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it if, if if things in my life free up because it's um I believe I absolutely believe in the show and I'm it's one of the most honestly I say it's one of the things I'm most proud of having um on my dossier or my you know my resume of, of film related things I've ever done. I'm absolutely proud to be a part of the show. Well, and the other thing is that. You know, it's because I put this to you and to everybody else who I asked uh, for this. It's just like it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time because it's not just the recording of the episodes. It's the watching of all the movies, the doing the research, the tracking down of stuff, the tracking down of interviews. I mean, you know, when, when Rob and I and when Justin and I were working on this stuff, it was all 50-50. So it's like, okay, this week, you know, it was basically like every week we would switch off. So it's like, okay, this week is a, you know, Rob episode. This week is a, a Justin episode. This is a Mike episode. And so I would get a weekend off between every single uh, show. So that made my life a whole lot easier where it's just like, okay, good. This weekend I just get to watch movies. This weekend I just get to actually go out to the theater or do something like that. Whereas now it's like every weekend is editing and stuff. So it's like whoever picks up the mantle, it's a lot of work and you got to do a lot of editing. You got to do a lot of reading and watching and all this kind of stuff. So there are people who just don't have that amount of time in their life. That's why my original plan from the last Ego Fest was this whole idea of a rotating co-host where it's just like, okay, say week one is Maitland, week two is Heather, week three is Chris, week four is, yeah, I don't know, whoever. And then, like, everybody gets to take a turn. So it's not just like, you know, uh, every two weeks you're editing stuff. Maybe it's once a month or something like that. But no. So it's it just didn't work out. But who knows? Who knows what's going to happen in the future? I mean, it, there are so many guys. Like, I just recorded my second episode with uh, uh, Patrick Bromley and El Goro. And Patrick does the F This Movie podcast. El Goro does the uh, Talk Without Rhythm podcast. If those guys didn't have their own podcast, I would snatch them up in a second. But they've already got their own thing, so they can't do two podcasts at the same time. And I'm not about to say to them, hey, stop what you're doing and come on over to me. Maybe eventually I'll find somebody who's got the time or, or your your schedule will clear up, Heather. But then you have the fun of learning how to uh, do a shit ton of audio. Right, which actually I do. I do have to do a little bit of, a little bit of audio editing in my day job, so I do... I do have a little bit of experience, so who knows? I, one thing I've learned, um, I don't know, Mike, if you share this philosophy, but I, I've learned over the years that planning for the too far in the head, the future's a really bad idea <laughs> because life will happen. Sometimes it'll, you know, it'll be like, you know, something, you know, awesome that surprises you. Sometimes it'll be something where it's like, you know, oh, you know, not so great, but you get through it. Um, but just, you know, I, I, I like general goals in life. I think general goals are good. Specific, specific plans just always have a, a, a little like star asterisk right there being like, well, Maybe this will happen. 
because you never, you just never know. But um, but I I, don't, I think the rotating co-hosts, like you, you've had a really great variety of people um, on there, you know, on the show uh, since Rob left, which I think is really cool and gives each episode um, its own flavor because each person's different. It's like, you know, an insight that Maitland's going to have is going to be a little different than an insight that, you know, Bill will have or Sam or, you know, or Chris, you know, uh, just uh, or myself. And that's but that's I think that's healthy. That's kind of cool. And, uh, you know, and that way, if there's anybody out there who uh, thinks maybe you shouldn't lock it down with me, <laughs> they have other options to listen to. <laughs> I love that. You got to lock that down, man. That's sort of like big, big daddy Kane right there. <laughs> So speaking of uh, Rob St. Mary, I actually spoke with him recently, and we're going to stop for just a second here and play an interview with Rob. Rob St. Mary, it is a real pleasure to hear from you, sir. Thank you so much for calling in. This is uh, quite a surprise. Well, you know, I have to check in. It's part of my parole, so that's just how it works. You know, some people get Doris Day as a parole officer, and other people just get real ball busters. You, you know, I can't even work a, you know, a job job because type of you. job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, now come on, let's be serious. You are working more than your fair share of jobs these days. Yeah, it's true. I got a lot going on. You know, so um, I've been running around doing stuff and. You know, I, uh, as I've said before, sad to leave the, uh, the day-to-day, week-to-week, everything that we were doing here. There's been a lot of great episodes, and I'm sad that I have not been able to, to keep up or be on them, but I always like to stop in from time to time and make sure you're doing okay and um, everybody else is doing all right. So I hope everybody out there is doing all right. You know, you keep me honest, you know. Uh, you know, you got to. You know, especially ever since you, you know, started wearing that red hat, you know, that, uh, you know, like I say, you know, make America great again. And you're doing it, Mike, one podcast at a time. So, Rob, you have the Orbit book and which is still available. And I know that you uh, have OrbitBookDetroit.com. Is that the URL? And you can get it through uh, Amazon or your finer bookstores. You know, it's a quality piece. Uh, Michigan Notable Book of 2016. It's been out. It's hard to believe it's been out there about a year and a half. But um, it's still it's still doing well. And uh, still a few copies. Just a few copies left. So if um, if you're interested, you know, please feel free to pick that up. That would be nice. It's like that warehouse at the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Just a few copies. We're hoarding them specifically in order to drive the price up. So that's that's the entire plan is to just corner the market. And it's very easy to do because there's only a couple of hundred that were made. So it's, you know. Well, it's like that whole bring in the noise, bring in the funk. You know, if you don't bring in the noise, then the uh, the, the, the the demand goes up for that. And you sometimes you have too much funk, which I know is it sounds impossible, but it's the whole supply and demand ratio. It is. You know, you have to make sure those are equally calibrated and there's an equilibrium there. Otherwise, you're in big trouble. This is uh, what how we're going to make America great again is by getting the economy, because right now it's just a mess. You know, except for those new numbers, those are the real numbers. The old numbers, those are all fake numbers. You know, and there really is nothing like the good old American carnage here on the projection booth. <laughs> what else are you working on these days, Rob? Well, uh, I think the last time I was on, I talked about um, my record label, which is called Hold Fast, and you can find out more at hfvinyl.com. Uh, last October, I put out a great record with uh, the Theater Bazaar Orchestra, 
talented group of folks from the Detroit area, jazz musicians, full jazz orchestra. And um, the leader of that on that record is a, is a cat known as MC Nightshade, which is the alter ego of the great David J of Bauhaus and Love and Rockets. So uh, you might know. You might know David from his other work. This uh, gives him an opportunity to sort of uh, spread out and do something a little bit uh, different than what he's traditionally known for. Still dark, yeah, that's good. Um, It's got some great groove and things like that. But I'd say he's, uh, with the MC Nightshade character, um, moving back into sort of that traditional jazz uh, vocalist leader position. I would say if you like things like Tom Waits or um, maybe even more of the uh, stripped-down Nick Cave, you know, then uh, he would probably dig that record. Uh, Also put out a a 7-inch for a local band called Duende that I really like, and that's available. You can get that also at hfinal.com. I've got a few other records sort of in the pipeline. Don't want to talk about them just yet, but... They will be uh, coming either later this year or uh, early next. So uh, some good stuff, including some more stuff from uh, the Theater Bazaar Orchestra uh, just doing their thing musically. So it'll be great. Now, are you still working on the uh, Film Threat book? I am uh, looking for a publisher for the Film Threat book. So if there are people who are interested in wanting to see this Film Threat book happen and they happen to know some good publishers out there, maybe uh, one of the ones you've worked with in the past, Mr. White. Chris just relaunched the website. He's working with some folks on a documentary. Um, and basically anyone who can raise 50 to 60 grand through a Kickstarter campaign um, – you know that's that's a good chunk, and that shows that there is a fan base and there is an interest. And plus, I think also from a historical perspective, um, as I've highlighted in my presentations and in my proposals, that uh, Film Threat was there before anyone else when it came to covering a lot of that independent film of the late '80s and into the '90s, and that whole scene that still impacts us today that still influences uh, modern films so it's um it's to me it's an important part of history that's sitting out there and it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be some scholarly tome i don't believe that i i think that it can be scholarly and also uh fun to read at the same time which is obviously the whole concept behind not only what chris does but why you and chris and and i are all good friends because it's uh kind of how we like our like our film and cultural criticism yeah exactly and last episode that you were on when we were talking about kissed i mean that was an independent film from the mid 90s we uh, i mentioned uh, the film secretary on that that was also an independent film there were so many great independent films from that era that they were covering i mean we uh, last time chris was on the show uh, talking about the fantastic four documentary i mean these movies that he was covering in film threat you know 20 30 years ago are still relevant today as is the magazine, as is the website. So yeah, I would think, I would hope that you would have an easier time when it comes to this. And so much of it, I think, is just the selling of the idea to the publisher and then trying to um, make it as easy for them as possible, which is is sad to say. I mean, uh, with one of uh, the books that I put together, um, you know, it was just like uh, all of this, like, layout and and other things where it was just like, uh, you know, like... uh, 
uh, labels for images, uh, things like that. It was just like, wow, I do everything for you guys before you put this out, huh? That okay? Wow, uh, you guys don't have any proofers or anything over there to to work on this stuff. <laughs> so I was uh, I was surprised by that. So you got to pick up a whole lot of slack. I know that you, when you put out the Orbit book, I remember you going through and proofing stuff like crazy. I mean, at least Wayne State had some proofers, but you're out there doing all this work. It's amazing um, to see just how granular you have to get with your own stuff before you even think about having it published. That's really what it's about in the end. I mean, if you care about the projects and you really want to do the projects, you know, you find a way to make them happen because you feel that they're of value. It really doesn't matter if you're going to make a ton of money, which I haven't. There's a value in doing it because you feel that you're sharing something that's important. And, you know, you hope that down the line people dig it. And, you know, the the thing that I always have to keep reminding myself is that basically before the modern era in which we live, the idea of an artist making, you know, money and a decent living off of their art was very rare unless you were working for maybe like the Medici family or something and you were, you know, you had these benefactors, these patrons that paid you to paint, you know, their family and their houses and all of that, you know, frescoes or whatever. I mean, the idea of an individual artist creating something and then being able to live off it is, uh, is really just something of the modern era. I mean, you even hear stories of Picasso in his early days, and I'm not equating myself to Picasso, that he uh, was so poor that he burned his own canvases to stay warm. So, so you know, there were several dozen paintings that no longer exist because Picasso was so damn poor. So it's, you know, these things happen. Yeah, no, the I don't know if people realize just what a lottery books are. I mean, uh, unless you happen to be a, a Stephen King or, or uh, Stephanie Meyer or uh, J.K. Rowling, I mean, it, it's it's the rare person who can live off of being just a writer. I mean, even a lot of the – well, I think – Pretty much every writer that we've had on this show, you know, from a Scott Phillips to a Christopher Foss to a Dwayne Swarzynski, these guys, they got day jobs. You know, it's not like they're uh, uh, making their living off of writing full time. I mean, God bless them if they can. But, uh, yeah, it's the rare person who can actually do that. Well, Rob, thank you so much for calling in, man. Uh, Where's the best place for people to catch up with all your projects? Uh, Well, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. My record label is hfvinyl.com. And then there's also just Rob, S-T-M-A-R-Y, com as well. So um, if you got anything you want to say, feel free to get in touch. And it's always nice to have the friends from the old uh, Projection Booth days when I was on here with you. Stop by from time to time, say something nice. So hope you guys are doing well. Keep at it because it matters. Talk to you later, Rob. Cheers.
One thing I did want to say, I do appreciate what you were saying, Heather, as far as the chemistry between the different co-hosts and everything. And that's one of the things that I'm always trying to do is bring different people together. Hopefully they'll get along. It's 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 one of those things, though, where like you have a party and you invite your work friends and your friend friends and you're just like, are these people going to get along at all? And sometimes that chemistry is there and you see them like, you know, all talking together around the punch bowl or whatever. And then other times it's just like, nope, you see your work friends over here and you see your friend friends over there and never the twain shall meet. And it's just like, ah, but so far, knock on wood, I've been pretty fortunate when it comes to that chemistry of getting people to talk to one another. And I really haven't run across a whole lot of instances of oil and water. I haven't had, I haven't had any (laughs) fights on the air, which I appreciate. And I've said this before. And I'd like to leave this vague, though I don't like to leave it vague so that people think it's about them, because this is just about two very specific people. There are only two people I would never invite back on the show who have been on here as co-hosts. And uh, just I'll, I'll just leave it there, because I, I, uh, th- I would say that out of the, and I've had over 100 co-hosts now on here with this whole rotation thing, with all of that stuff... Everybody, I've loved everybody. I love talking with everybody. So it has been fantastic. And that's why I invite people back. If I haven't invited somebody back, if somebody's listening to this and you've been a co-host in the past and I haven't uh, reached out to you to come on back to the show, it's just because I haven't found the right slot or things just haven't worked out or those kind of things. It's not because I don't like you. It's not because I didn't have a good time talking with you on the show. It's just, you know, that's the way that life works out sometimes. If you want to kind of remind me and say, hey, I would love to be on something. Let me look at the list of what you're doing over the next year. So, I mean, I still have ah, a couple shows here and there that don't have co-hosts for the rest of the year. And that's one of the reasons why I put out those invites on Facebook and say, here's this episode coming out co-hosts are tbd tbd means nobody is signed on nobody has even talked to me about this stuff so if you see one of those or you see one that just has one co-host and you want to be part of it raise your hand you know let me know and you know it's like right now uh yeah like uh, american psycho i've i think i have one co-host on that and i would love to have another one so if you want to be on the american psycho episode raise your hand let's come you know come on up and let's let's talk about it. Everybody out there, you're listening. <laughs> do, do you know? And that's the you, you know, like you having Jordan. on. like I get. I thought that was so cool. So yeah. if there's anybody out there who thinks, oh, I would love to be on, but I'm not a film writer, or I don't have a podcast, blah blah blah. You know, if this is something you really love about, and you feel like you know about it. You know, and you're not a jerk. Right. <laughs> and of course you wouldn't be a jerk because why would you be listening exactly. if you were a jerk? Like, you know, just come on down. The only qualification is that you actually watch the movie before you come on to the show. It's a bit helpful. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's more than a bit helpful, actually. Yeah. Gabriel actually had another question and a, a comment. So Gabriel gave us the meat of this episode. So. Uh, his other one was, at what age do you think someone will become a cult film fan? I think I may have lost my 13-year-old stepson. He liked Blade, Blade Runner. He liked Blade Runner and Conan, but liked Batman versus Superman too. <laughs> oh, man. And turned down Rocky Horror because Frankenfurter That's looked That's so sad. Gross. Oh, jeez. Oh. 
It is so sad. I mean, I I don't usually go that way, but Tim Curry. Oh my I, god! I I, I had all of the feels oh, <laughs> when I discovered oh, Rocky Horror, yeah. and I was you know I was still in elementary, so it was. Uh, anyways. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is it too late or too early to hit, <laughs> hit him with Beyond the Valley of the Dolls or Showgirls? I don't think it's ever too young to do uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, personally. But uh, Showgirls, I think you want to wait until you're at least uh, Unless at you least don't 17. want him to have sex. Right. That's true. <laughs> because that, that, uh, that pool lap dance will scare any young man into, uh, yeah, yeah, I would, I would, I would wait a little bit. Um, I think my advice would be like, just, you know, see, see what he likes naturally, because, you know, this is the tricky thing. I don't even have kids, but just my observation with my friends who do is that if you try to push something too much, Especially once they're getting in their teens, their natural impulse is going to be to rebel a little bit and be like, you know, I, I have a friend and her, she's actually really close to her son and he's smart. He's a cool kid. He does have good taste, but she'll recommend something to him and he's like, whatever about it. And then we'll watch it three months later and be like, hey, that film's really good. And she's like, I told you it was good <laughs> three months ago, you know, so um, just just see what he likes naturally. I mean, I'm a little disheartened by the Rocky Horror comment, but and Superman versus Batman. But you know what? We all, 13 is a tricky age. Oh, yeah. We all liked questionable things at 13 that we look back now in adult and we're like, oh God, that was terrible. Um, so, you know, he'll, he'll, he will see the light. You just got to let him give it time. Some of us are late bloomers in this life. Well, and if he liked Superman versus Batman, maybe look into some more unusual um, superheroes, you know, I mean, go back and at least, you know, try Blade. You know, the first Blade is fantastic. Uh, go to some other uh, superheroes, like uh, go back to 78 Superman. I mean, I don't think that 78 Superman looks cheesy or anything. I think it's a pretty fantastic film, and maybe you can use that to introduce them to other things, you know. I mean, there's, there's great uh, vampire, uh, or sorry, there's great Batman vigilante type heroes who aren't in the DC universe that you could possibly find stuff. But yeah, I, I would say just kind of present some ideas like you were saying, Heather, don't try to force it. So, I mean, we were lucky we had, we had a very limited range of things when we were growing up. You know, once we had the video store, uh, the whole world seemed to open and that was like 300 films. You know, it wasn't the world that we have today where you know it, 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 you can find so many things on Netflix, I would say yeah, you just uh, try to introduce some things slowly out there, and and yeah, try to tap into things, and don't try to be like, well, if you like that, you should see the original. You should see the original. That's what you want to do. Unless you do it in that voice, then I fully. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but that, that's actually some great wisdom. And, um, you know, one thing I was really lucky as a kid is that my my mother didn't always – she didn't like a lot of the cult stuff I was into, but she supported it. And, you know, it goes both ways. Like, you know, even if your kid's into some stuff that might be a little, like, not to your taste – you know, he sounds like he's probably a good kid. You know, you just got to support him and, and see. And then later on, you know, you can traumatize him. Like I did with my mother when I lent her Maniac. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> Maniac is awesome, though. I stand by it. But um, she was like, that movie was really depressing. <laughs> so uh, it looks like we have, is that one more thing from Gabriel? 
Yeah, just a little comment. It says, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Mike, for everything you do. The world's getting stupider and crazier, and listening to you and your host talk about Celine and Julie or The Thing or Mulholland Drive reminds me that there are still good, smart people out there. I'll tell you, Heather, I get all the smartest people, all the best people are on this show. You're going to be so sick of winning when you listen to this show. <laughs> oh, my God. What a sweetheart is Gabriel. Thank you so much, Gabriel. That's that's awesome. And the, Celine and Julie, that was a fun episode. That was a really – that was part of Cinematic Blind Spot, which is whatever it's become anytime you, you me, and Chris – like we're together. It's um, <laughs> I'm I'm I thank the Lord that I didn't have any French film fans send me hate mail for invoking having Steven Seagal discussions uh, tied to tied to that film. But um, but no, Gabriel, thank you, thank you so much. And you know what, we have, and I, I think I can speak for all of us co-hosts, past and present. We have the best captain on the, of the ship. Mike White gets it done, and Mike has the best attitude. He's a consummate diplomat and classy, and he's. Beyond smart, and uh, he do, he does it right. You know, if you're a co-host on Projection Booth, you're in you're in the best hands. So that's true. That's wow. true. I, I have I don't have patience for most people, Mike. So if I'm if I'm like you're awesome, you you are you can sign that uh, and seal it in gold and have and have Abner and have Abner Devereaux make a fantastic oh, wow. uh, singing uh, barbershop dude out of it. <laughs> So we actually got another one that talks about how stupid and crazy the world is, and that is from Paco. So Paco here, a fan from Spain that lives in Ireland. We live in a crazy world, actually, so I apologize in advance for my poor grammar. Now, I have to say that Paco's um, English is far better than my Spanish or my Gaelic, so um, he has absolutely no problems here. I'm listening now to the CultureCast podcast about Kong Skull Island, uh, which I was happy to be a part of. And recently there was an article in The Guardian about Skull Island's implicit political message and the regressive politics in Hollywood's mainstream films. Uh, and then he sent along a link. I can see that weird political agenda clearly in Michael Bay films with the more weird Randian undertones in Zack Snyder's films, speaking of Zack Snyder. But to be honest, I'm not quite sure about the Skull Island or the Marvel films. What do you think? So, Heather, did you get uh, a I did to not. Read that and, I, I, and part of that is because I still need to see Kong Skull Island, which I actually do want to see. But uh, I try not to. I'm one of those weirdos where if um, if there's a film I do really want to see, I try not to read actually too much about it until You're after. Ah, oh, well, thank you. I I totally am. <laughs> but I like to well, think. Well, no, because I mean the exact same way. Don't I don't want to know about it. I don't want to read about it. Don't you know? There could be a fantastic piece written about it, and I don't want to read it until after I see the movie. And it's funny because I don't think I was always like that. Because as a kid, I would just try to gather as much information as I could. But as as I've gotten older, it's almost like I want to try and at least go into something as semi pure, you know, um, as I can. So no, I, I didn't. But what what is your take on all of this? It's interesting because I think. The, one of the most regressive films of the last, I don't know, decade or so was actually uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, third Batman film. I had real problems with the politics of that film because it felt almost like a, 
a right-wing fantasy about what if the Occupy movement had won. And there's this whole thing of like Bain kind of taking over the stock exchange and uh, making what some people, what he considered to be kind of this uh, left-wing utopia, which was just absolute madness. And uh, it was interesting because the Catwoman who made her life stealing from the rich and living as part of the poor she sees this as being you know wrong and uh her girlfriend was just like no this is everything we ever wanted and it's like no no it's not this is not this is not how people on the left actually feel and so it's 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 like that picture that was on twitter recently of like the woman in the burqa and the drag queen sitting next to each other on uh the subway and the guy was like this is this is the future that the left wants (laughs) (laughs) oh god forbid (laughs) i know and, and people were just like wow yeah two people coexisting not fighting and enjoying themselves on public transportation uh yeah that that's a horrible horrible thing <laughs> god what a douchebag <laughs> oh yeah that that meme totally like blew up in the person's face which was fantastic like i then i saw people like you know posting there was a picture of like a capybara with a duck sitting on it and a, you know like a uh a, a squirrel next to it or whatever and it was just like no this is actually the future that the left wants you know that one I thought was the most regressive. I didn't necessarily see Kong as being super regressive. I did read the article from The Guardian that Paco sent along, and I could kind of see it, it basically speaks to, and now this isn't going to ruin anything for you, Heather, and I do recommend uh, Skull Island. I, I did find it to be a lot of fun. Um, the, you know, Kong is the protector, right? Kong is the protector of the island. And Kong was the protector of Skull Island and all the other ones, so I'm I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Right. And uh, the writer is trying to posit that what America wants, what we secretly want, is we want this like dictator king type thing that we have a um, uh, a king envy or a dictator envy of these other places that have these strong leaders, and that's why we really want. Trump to be there. You, you you need Trump behind that wall. You want Trump behind that wall. You you know, you we have to have these strong leaders who are going to take no shit and that's what King Kong is and that is what Donald Trump is. King Kong ain't got shit on me. And that's what they're presenting in this movie as being this ideal thing that you need Kong there to protect you from these things that come up from the underground, the the, the threats to us from external forces. And I don't necessarily buy it. Um, I, 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 I thought that the article was well written. I thought it, I could see kind of where its point was coming from, but I didn't necessarily see it that much in Kong. I saw that kind of stuff more in like Batman versus Superman and that whole idea of, you know, the different types of justice and really, and I know this is going to sound bad because Frank Miller has gone crazy over the last few years, but that original Dark Knight kind of concept of the government using uh, Superman as this deterrent, as this god amongst men who can do anything and by them basically making you know by the government making superman kind of their weapon um really makes 
Batman's role a lot more vital that he is that outsider and that he has his own brand of justice. I don't think that Zack Snyder necessarily brought any of that stuff to the screen, though he had little hints of it here and there, but I don't think that he did the job that he should have when it came to Batman versus Superman, because there's no reason why those two guys hate each other that much in the movie. And then the reason why they finally get together is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen in movies. So yeah. Did you, did you suffer through that one? Hell no. (laughs) Good, good. You're far better off. I had a, I had a gut feeling and to be honest, and this may be not fair. Um, I, I like Superman as a character with Christopher Reeve and that, you know, yeah. that's what I grew up with. Um, and I think those first like two or three ones with him are really, really good and stand up. The fourth one's a little trickier, <laughs> but, um, yeah. uh, but no, I, I just, ever since then, I haven't seen anything Superman related that I've wanted to see, to be honest. Like, and that one looked really dumb to me. Like, I just was like, this is not for me. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm good uh with the whole political thing real quickly do you think especially because you know we are right now um and we're certainly not the only country uh living in a lot of like sort of a political discontent for obvious reasons um do you think though sometimes cultural writers may go into certain films looking for a political agenda if there's not well, one yeah, I think so. I mean, I, 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 like I said, I could see their point when they were writing this piece, and it didn't feel like it stank of bullshit. It didn't feel like, oh, yeah, this guy just pulled this out of his ass to, to write about it. Okay. So I don't necessarily agree with where they're coming from. I just thought that it, it was an interesting take, but not one where I was just like, oh, yeah, that really explains this one particular moment or where this kind of comes in. It was just... It seemed more like uh, armchair, um, you know, film criticism kind of stuff. So oh. I, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it worked. And, and I wouldn't disagree. I was just like, well, I didn't necessarily see it that way. And it's interesting that you do. So I would actually look more at, you know, I mean, there's a wall that features in all of these Kong stories. And the whole idea of the wall that keeps Kong out, does that actually keep the natives in kind of thing? And where are they positioned on the island as opposed to Kong? I mean, that's always an interesting thing. In this one, it was the opposite of every other Kong story that I've seen where when you land on the island, you come across the natives first, and then you come across Kong. In this one, you come across Kong first, and then you come across the natives. So there's an interesting twist there as far as who's on which side of the fence when it comes to that. Uh, Is it the natives who are free and Kong who is trapped, or is it vice versa? So, And then with the whole idea of the wall and Trump, so which is it, you know? And and people, I hate when people instantly say, well, good fences make good neighbors, and it's like you really need to look more into what that phrase means, where it comes from. It's one of those things like that I always get whenever I complain about plagiarism and people start to throw out that whole, you know, uh, good artists create, great artists steal. It's just like you need to really think about that a little bit more before you just come out with one of those aphorisms. Yeah. Well, it's if 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 you have to rely on such trite and ill ill thought out statements like that to back up your argument, then your argument's weak. You know, like that's it's bullshit. <laughs> great stealing. No, there's no excuse for stealing. You know, anybody who's been stolen from is probably going to have some problems with that phrase. <laughs> I also found it interesting that. 
Kong Skull Island came out, I want to say the week after Logan came out. And Logan has a whole lot to say about politics as well. And Logan actually has kind of a border wall that protects things and this whole idea of going from country to country to country because the the narrative of that has us going from Mexico to the U.S. and the U.S. to Canada. So I thought that that was a, a more interesting take on the political situation than Kong was. Kong, to me, is much more of a popcorn movie. I could just, you know, it, it just was what it was. And I'm not trying to just say don't discuss this movie because it is lighter entertainment, but I saw more... Uh, meat to the discussion in Logan than I necessarily saw in Skull Island. So, uh, but yeah, so as you were saying, on the other side of the fence, I have been getting some shit lately because I've been very vocal since um, November, if not before, but pretty much I think November because that was when I finally realized that the world is crazy. Um, <laughs> and I've been really political about stuff. So um, on my Twitter recently, I, I got a direct message from this guy who said dude i started following you which is always a great way to start off dude dude Dude. i started following you because i listened to your podcast and like talking about movies what's with up what's up with all this stupid political shit start a personal account for that so basically you can talk about what i want you to talk about don't talk about other stuff yeah that's problematic and i mean if i would understand it if you like if you were a troll about it, if you were, you know, seeking out other people, uh, you know what I mean? Like, but no, I mean, you're, you are, a, you're a creative person and you're a human and you feel the way you feel about something, you're going to say it. And if somebody doesn't like it, they can just get past it and just listen to the episodes. It's not that right. none of this is, I mean, I, I have a, a, you know, a friend on Facebook and I don't always agree. You know, I've talked about like the great, brilliant genius artist graham whiffler who you, you've interviewed and i'm i know graham on facebook and graham i love graham to death graham and i politically are not very similar to say the least <laughs> but you know what yeah. graham graham has never disrespected me he's i've never seen him disrespect anybody over it he just states how he feels and you know so it doesn't bother me i mean if you're somebody who's secure in your opinion then seeing somebody else state their opinion, as long as they're not being a butthole about it, <laughs> should not bother you. And you're not a jerk about it, Mike. Graham's not a jerk about how he feels. You know, what's the big deal? Like, if you, if you know, it, it's a free country. You can skip past. It's not your all. It's not like you're spamming this dude. <laughs> right. go, and right. going, dude, look at what I wrote political. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so, um, I mean, come on. Don't, people, people are too, people aren't sensitive in the ways that they need to be in this culture and and yet they're too sensitive in ways they don't need to be so toughen up buttercup we've never shied away from talking about politics or religion on the show i mean you know we we talked a lot about politics with like the um secret honor episode with the uh executive action episode we've talked about uh religion a bunch of times when it comes to you know uh life of brian uh last temptation of christ uh our scientology episodes that we did mock up on moo and um battlefield earth so we've never really shied away from that stuff um i know like got some weird comments on the um i think it was the last temptation of christ episode where it was just like oh you know atheists talking about christianity how dare you kind of thing but it's like uh okay 
if anything, I, I was like, I love that the Pope finally came out and was just like, yeah, if you're an atheist and you're a good person, you're a lot better than a, a Christian hypocrite. I was just like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. <laughs> oh yeah, no, this, and I'm not religious at all, but like the this this new Pope, well, I think he's been he's not new new at this point, but now he seems all right. right but but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. People get so sensitive. And, you know, honestly, I've known atheists who actually know way more about Christian theology than a lot of so-called Christians. And I've, I've seen plenty of people who say they're Christians. They don't even under, know, like, half the things that, like, Christ spoke of because <laughs> they just focus on the Old Testament and then him being crucified. Like, it's, you know, when, when he was born, too, because you got to have the baby Jesus for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, baby Jesus, death. It's like that. And I mean, I was raised partially Southern Baptist, so I do have experience in this realm. So, um, you know, people, if you're going to get offended, get offended by, like, things that matter, like the environment <laughs> and homelessness, you know, and war and rape. These are things to be offended by. A podcast or an article or a Facebook status. No. Calm down. <laughs> well, I've just I felt so powerless since the election and since the inauguration, and it's like I, I've been trying to use the podcast as a way to speak to some of that stuff, to speak to some of the powerlessness, to speak to some of the insanity of the world. You know, I mean, we've had uh, two people talk about how crazy this world is, and I completely agree with them. So, doing episodes on Roger Corman's The Intruder, or last week talking about They Live. And then just trying to like you know kind of use some of these episodes to speak about some relevant things, and that's that's to me what great art is is to be able to use it to be able to use that to speak to when it came out and what's going on in the world today. Are these things prescient? Are they still relevant? I mean, pretty much every episode that we talk about, every movie that we talk about, it's like one of the questions is: Is this movie still good? movie does it what does it say to us today as well as when it was out the first time i mean that's one of the things i always try to do is to put films in context and talk about when this came out here's what things were like in the world and here's what they were speaking to i mean try to pull apart the cold war from miracle mile it's impossible you you don't have one without the other one is directly speaking to the other i mean you can go even wilder with that and talk about the day after it's like yeah the day after was a direct response to the world in which we were living at the time does the day after still speak to us now does would it have spoken to us 10 years ago will it still speak to us 10 years from now so you know there's a lot of things i mean we just had a nationwide screenings of 1984 and i'll be doing an episode on 1984 in probably about a month or so uh, there's special episodes coming up on American Psycho, which speaks to you know how the 80s were and the economic times with that, and maybe how some of that stuff is still relevant today. Running Man is one of those which is set in 2017, so why not take a look and, and compare and see how we actually you know turned out. One film that I think will be very interesting to talk about is a film directed by Steve Bannon, uh, who just recently was removed from the National Security Council, and that is Torchbearer. And that is a film that is uh, a documentary, um, I'm using air quotes, but it's a documentary <laughs> about uh, uh, the, the guy from Duck Dynasty uh, and kind of his philosophy and his nephew's philosophy on the world and 
that whole idea of putting man before God and how important God is in all things, uh, especially politics, and trying to have a respectful discussion about that kind of stuff. And just, you know, this whole idea of there's a lot of discussion of political correctness. And I want to see what some people think about political correctness versus what I see about political correctness and just kind of talk that through and, and maybe try to shine some light on some things. So, you know, trying to use these special episodes and then even just regular episodes, like I've got an episode on THX 1138 coming out, one on uh, ZPG and Children of Men, two movies that I think really speak to one another. That's coming out in December. So I, I'm sorry if you don't like politics in your podcast. I think we do a pretty good job of not being, you know, crazy. I'm, I'm not trying to come off as Alex Jones or anything Ew. and make everything into a political thing. So... I think we still talk about the movies more than we talk about the politics. Yeah. Oh, God. Don't ever know. Anybody that ever compares you to Alex Jones just needs to be haunted. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think the thing that's important for everybody to remember, too, is that, you know, especially in times of, of great stress, whether it's in your personal life or certainly political, the worst thing you can do is keep it all in. And that's why art right. and expression are so vital that is that is the stuff that can save save your life metaphorically sometimes literally you know um so yeah i mean it's um and you have a choice you know if, if you're somebody who's like doesn't want to hear about politics or you need a break from it i totally understand i think we both can um but you have a choice to what you can download and listen to you know and um and that's right. the beauty of our country <laughs> well and the other thing is that i'm trying to be a lot more inclusive with the show and trying to and this isn't necessarily like you know evil scheming behind the scenes kind of thing but like having you on the show having you as a, a semi-regular co-host on the show I think opens it up to a lot of people that wouldn't normally listen to this particular show or wouldn't maybe give it a chance. I mean, what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of podcasts out there where it's two dudes talking. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this earlier as far as like the quality of work versus the people that are doing the work. There are a lot fewer movie podcasts out there where it's two ladies talking. And, to me, it it should be a good mix. I mean, women are film fans, men are film fans. We should allow like everybody to to enjoy all of this stuff. So I noticed like a long time ago when we first started up the projection booth and we're getting our our numbers and stuff and seeing like through Google Analytics what the audience breakdown was, and it was like ninety percent of our audience were men. And I just, I felt horrible about that. And I was just like, what the hell is going on? And then I realized, well, we're just talking about men's stuff and we don't have any sort of female perspective on the show. Why would a woman want to listen to two dudes talking about movies all the time? And so it's just like, okay, let's, let's open this up. Let's start talking about some things that other people can actually understand. So that's one of the things why it was just like, let's get some other voices on the show that we can be more inclusive of other points of view. And so it wasn't like a, this kind of glad handling thing where it was just like, okay, we're going to, it's not like uh, we're in a writer's room in Hollywood and going, okay, we need a black, a Latino, a Chinese person right. <laughs> <laughs> trying to do that. But it's just like, let's get some other voices on here. So, and that's one of the reasons too, why I think it's great having this whole round robin of different co-hosts because you do get perspectives. I mean, we, 
get you know jordan who's a a 20 something uh you know young lady speaking about this stuff and we get uh maitland who's uh, a little bit older and has been doing this stuff i mean she's talking about going through times square when it was still uh, a cd wonderland and so to get those two voices to get you know all these other voices about these movies i think is is fantastic and then i've noticed over the last couple years that the that number has swung a lot more and we're a lot closer to 50-50, which is where I think it should be because I don't want to ever make it... I don't want our audience to ever feel like they're not welcome here and that we're just saying, like, you know, you're wrong for liking these movies. You're wrong for wanting to listen to this stuff. And even if you might not agree with what I had to say, what other co-hosts had to say, even if you think we're absolutely full of shit when we're talking about this stuff, you know, just... We're, we're, I'm trying not to tell people you can't listen to this and you're not welcome here. Yeah, I don't think you would ever be in danger of that. I mean, I think so much of it is also approach. Because even like the episodes were, you know, it's two dudes talking, <laughs> which should be a podcast title. Um, no, I mean, because, you know, when I first got on the show, I mean, a lot, there are a lot of episodes where it'd be like you, Rob, you know, or you and Justin and maybe another guy, but I never felt you know, isolated from it or anything because of gender, because of the approach. I think issues like that become issues with people's approaches. You know, it's a difference between, you know, having somebody be like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. It's a gender's like such a complicated thing and it shouldn't be, but um, it is because of our culture and society. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's in terms of approach. I mean, I- anything I've ever done, even like when, um, like I wrote for you for cashiers, like as an editor, you know, you never made me once feel like, you know, oh, we got to get abroad <laughs> or anything like that. And actually most of the editors and people I've worked, cause I've worked with mostly, you know, mostly men um, with some small exceptions and that's been growing, which is cool. Cause I, I, I too, I like having diversity cause I do think it's healthy. And, but I also think with that, it means, people are opening up their eyes to great talent in a way that's not just like, you know, this faux political correct kind of thing of like, oh, we have to have a woman or we have to read her because she's a this or a that or he's a that. You know, it's like, no, it's the work. And I mean, I think all of us are are artists and, and writers and speakers and creators before we're our gender. But I think your approach place to that very well because nobody's being presented as a category. I mean, and we have tried to like okay, when we're talking about Myra Breckenridge, one of our co-hosts was transgender. And it's just like, okay, I think that that's the right thing to do was to have this, you know, our, our transgender friend on the the episode, transgender friend who likes movies a lot, and just so they could share their experience of seeing a transgender character on screen, you know? And it's this whole thing. I mean, we, you talked a little bit about Scarlett Johansson and, and the whole uh, whitewashing of Ghost in the Shell, and, you know, some people are just losing their fucking minds over that shit. And it's just like, I just put it down to the fact of like, imagine if you are this other person. Try and this and empathy, I think, is is like if we were to have some sort of, you know, national crisis right now, it's just a lack of empathy. It's like, just imagine if you are this type of person and you cannot see that type of person ever reflected in the media that you're watching. You know, I watched a great documentary recently called Cinemability. I talked to uh, Danny Woodburn about it on the um, uh, uh, Death to Smoochie episode. He's actually part of it. 
and it, it, it there are stories in there where it's just like you know i there's one actor who was talking about um the lack of uh latino actors on uh, TV and movies when he was growing up and just, he would see all of these guys wearing like dark makeup, all these white guys wearing dark makeup. And then he finally sees a real Latin actor working. And he's like, Oh my God, he's got the same haircut that I do. He has the same accent that I do. He's got, you know, this, this is me up on screen. And as a white dude, you cannot appreciate not seeing yourself reflected on screen because you are everywhere. You are everything. You are, you know, looking at like all of the today's top movie stars, you know, you are Tom Cruise, you are Gary Oldman, you are all of these people. And so if you're an Asian female and now Scarlett Johansson is taking a role that was supposed to be an Asian female, it's like you're getting robbed basically. And it's just like, come on guys, just try to empathize that you don't have that representation on screen in a major Hollywood release. And it's being you know removed from you. So just, they don't understand that, that, that loss, that lack. Every character in Hollywood is usually already kind of like, you know, for the most part, like a cardboard copy of a person, of a right. human. Now make that, make that cardboard a minority and it's going to be even worse. And I don't know if enough right. people realize that because, you know, especially for minority females, because I mean, Caucasian female characters are usually pretty shitty. Yes, <laughs> it is. So it's like, you know, you're either the girlfriend or the spunky best friend or, you know, the whole, you know, Madonna whore complex is still very much there too. Uh, but minority women don't even hardly have the time to get any kind of repu- repu- you know, representation either. And I don't think anybody's saying, oh, we'll create this, you know, this thing to make everybody happy. Like, no, I mean, art should be inherent. It should be natural. It should be organic. But that's why you should support filmmakers and artists who do that. You know, that's why I, I honestly think the future of cinema lies more in the hands of foreign directors and indies. Um, because Hollywood is a dinosaur. It's a dinosaur to the point where they're still they're still pulling the shit that they pulled in the 50s. You know, like John Wayne playing Genghis Khan. Or people laugh about that now. Well, how is that any different than having like Emma Stone play a half an Asian character? You know, and I mean, that'd be like me playing a half Asian character. Like, let's find the most Irish looking girl, you know, and have her do it. It's ridiculous. And I mean, if if an institution thinks that okay is okay still, they're a dinosaur and they need to either evolve or die out. All right, we've got a few more questions here. The first one is from J.P. Ward. You've mentioned a few times that you wrote a college paper on Basic Instinct. You've talked about where you stand on Verhoeven's other American films. Just curious what your thesis was and where you stand on B.I. Up there with his sci-fi films, down there with his skeezy showgirls and Hollow Man. Now, you should know that we love showgirls around here. Oh, my God. It is it is near and dear to our hearts. I was actually just thinking about our episode um, earlier this evening because I had to write a bio of myself, which I hate doing. I don't think any writer likes writing their own bio. But um, what I was like, hey, I was quoted or the show was quoted actually about because we had the whole line that Elizabeth Berkeley's character was like Yosemite Sam with titties and the Onion AV Club quoted us on that. Quoted you. Yes, that was fantastic. So that Nobel Prize, baby, it's coming. I can. <laughs> but yeah, no, Showgirls is um, 
it's an amazing sleazy pastiche of uh, camp. Everybody should should have a little love in their heart for that. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the Hollow Man, but I haven't seen it in years, admittedly. Yeah, I remember just absolutely hating that movie. And then I want to say, like, We Hate Movies might have covered that one recently. And either they covered it recently or I listened to that episode recently. And their skewering of it was pretty much right on the money. It didn't do it for me. It felt like it really could have gone some good places, but... It was just so fucking rapey. It was kind of crazy. <laughs> it was very... And having Kevin Bakey... Bakey? Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Bacon as the rapey... Pro, yeah, it, it's just... If you got, like, an actor... I don't like Kevin Bacon. You know, he's a good actor. Yeah. But if you're going to go that dark route, you really need to get an actor that can bring the darkness. Now, it's still going to make it uncomfortable, but I think it would make it more compelling. Like, imagine... Um, I don't know why this actor is coming to mind for you. Like, imagine if Powers Booth... Ooh. Yeah, like it started, or William Forsythe, like a good gravitas actor. Um, that might have been different. It's just um, interesting ideas. Um, it's funny with all the reboots, quote unquote, reimaginings. Um, nobody's really touched the Invisible Man uh, too much. Yeah, the last time I saw the Invisible Man portrayed on screen, it was in that horrible League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. There may be reasons why my <laughs> yes, <laughs> my brain's like, you don't need that information. You're good. <laughs> it's it, which is too bad because actually the graphic novel's great. So that again, lost potential. So and as far as my thesis on Basic Instinct, I don't think I really had one. It was pretty much a, a very basic paper, just kind of a, a close read of Basic Instinct. And really kind of pointing out just what a useless protagonist Michael Douglas was. And I think we're supposed to – I think if you really look at it, you're supposed to realize just how awful he is. I mean, the the velour sweater that he wears in the dance club scene <laughs> is one of those things. <laughs> But the other thing is that he is completely clueless. Like, it, it was easier to see in the theater, but when he goes, uh, I think actually it might be his partner goes to um, uh, to Catherine's apartment and she's printing out the latest copy of her book. It's like, I, I can't remember if it's Michael Douglas who reads the manuscript or it's George Dunza that reads the manuscript, but it's basically the death scene of George Dunza is on that manuscript and you get to read it before you see it. So you, you basically, she's telegraphing that she's going to murder this guy in this particular way. And I think that's what it is. Michael Douglas reads it and he's too dumb to realize after his partner dies, what, you know, that she, had written about it beforehand. So it was just like, ugh. And then I remember some real, like, technical things. And I, like, seeing the camera crew in one of the mirrors as they're going down a hallway and stuff. And I was just like, it's not one of those, like, God, I hate those movie gaff books. Do you remember those that they used uh, to have at, like, B. Dalton all the time? Yes. I remember one that just drove me up a fucking wall. It was, oh, you know when um, uh, oh, the, the main character from Body Double closes this door, you can see the entire camera crew in the mirror. And it's like, yeah, because we're supposed to know he's on a set. <laughs> no shit. It's like, do they watch the rest of the movie? Did they even... Right. <laughs> well, if, you know... The thing I hate about books like that and that attitude as a quick aside is that if a film – and maybe this was the, the weakness that you're speaking to about Basic Instinct – is if a film's really solid, you 
most of the time you're not even going to notice anything. Right. I mean, that's not a gaff actually with body double, obviously, but like with other films, because I always hate it when somebody takes a really good film and they're like, oh, but look, you can see the boom shadow. It's like, if that's all you're looking for, Skizix, then why are you even watching film? Like, you know, if that's all you're looking for is right. to pinpoint now. But if a film's kind of flawed and you're, you're losing attention to the point where you're like, oh, wait, then that's really a sign that, yeah, the film, you know, it's less about the gaff and more about the whole thing. And I would love to read your piece on Basic Instinct, Mike. I didn't know you wrote that. Oh, God. It's got to be terrible. I, I don't even know if I still have it. But, I mean, this was, you know, the year that it came out. I remember going to see it at the theater multiple times. So I think one of the reasons why I brought it up and may have brought it up a few times on the show more than anything was just to talk about those days before VHS and when uh, writers would write about films as they were at the theater. And usually they would have one shot to see it before it would go away. Back in the day, uh, you know, even when you and I were seeing things theatrically, probably in high school, movies stuck around a little bit more, you know, then you would have those things like in the newspaper, you know, extended, you know, third week, fourth week, fifth week, all this kind of thing, you know, extended 20 weeks. And the, the, uh, nowadays, if you were to review something for a newspaper or a blog or whatever, if you don't review something, Almost before it comes out, you are out of luck. So uh, I was just trying to uh, empathize with people who would write about films and especially try to write about film theory if they didn't have an opportunity to see something multiple times, like now where we can literally frame by frame on DVD. We live in such a an, a good, gifted age in that respect because uh, I think about all the film books I read as a kid. You know, growing up in the 80s, most of those books were written in the 70s and 60s and early 80s. And I mean, anything pre 80s, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm like, God, covering obscure film back then, I mean, that's such a, that must have been such a touch and go, much less trying to catch a, like a reshowing of a classic. You know, I right. mean, you, you had television to some extent, but I mean, television didn't play everything. Um, just like how some films never made it to VHS. Uh, or later on DVD either. So, um, so at least now with the internet, you know, we do have like so much more access to, to films. Um, you know, such, such great films like Basic Instinct. <laughs> 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 now, I'm, I'm curious though with your, with your paper though, real quick before we get to the next question. Um, because I remember when that film came out, there was a lot of furor and a lot of attacks of it being misogynistic. Um, I have not seen Basic Instincts in probably like 10 years at least, but, um, but I remember thinking that all of the characters seemed kind of, <laughs> seemed kind of poorly written and kind of dumb. Like I didn't really think it was sexist. I just thought it was almost like anti-human. It's almost like Joe Esterhouse couldn't connect with any human as a character at all. That was the impression I, I remember leaving with it. But yes, I don't know. What was your take on that, Mike? Yeah, I remember just the, uh, the real, um, homophobic attitude of that script and just the whole idea of, uh, Catherine Martin, was it Catherine Martin? Whatever her name was, just being able to go between the Michael Douglas character and whoever that other blonde was that she was with in the club and just, you know, how dangerous her bisexuality made her. And I could really see where organizations like GLAD and some of these other organizations coming out and protesting this film really made a lot of sense and really 
was kind of true to me as far as like, yeah, they're really portraying uh, uh, bisexual women and homosexual women as, as being just completely dangerous. And she, uh, the Sharon Stone character, needed to be tamed, quote unquote, by Muggle Douglas by the uh, end of the film, even though she pretty much is going to murder him, it looks like, because she's got the, the ice pick underneath the bed, if memory serves. And then that horrible, again, talking about rapey, that rapey scene of Michael Douglas and Gene Triplehorn. Remember when Gene Triplehorn oh. was a thing? Yeah. And him ripping off her underwear and stuff, that always just looks so painful to me, uh, because I've always imagined, like, if it didn't break away, just her with having this massive wedgie. And <laughs> just... Yeah, just it, it always it, there is such an air of violence along with the sexuality, and not in a good way, not in that kind of dangerous postman always rings twice type of way. You know, it just felt forced to me. Yeah, very, very much so. And you know, it just like the Hollow Man, it just it didn't work. It just didn't. You know, you could kind of see, you know, where where they were going for. And you and I are obviously not you know people that are you know we're not people who are adverse to obviously darkness and and art and cinema but it just it right. it, it didn't ring it didn't ring true it just seemed it seemed offensive and kind of dull which is really that's a terrible combination if you're going to be offensive at least be interesting and i think esther house as a screenwriter just has that problem in general with a lot of the scripts, you know? I remember the first time I saw Showgirls, it just felt like it was kind of a, a penthouse forum letter. <laughs> you know, just like like he would, he would sit there and write for a while and then come to sort some sort of dirty scene, you know, and he'd be at home, like, jerking it. And then he'd, he'd come on his typewriter and be like, okay, I'm done for a while. Then come back and write another 20 pages, jerk it a little bit more, have some scotch, and then go away for, again. It was just like, come on, dude. You know, just, you, you grow up already, would you? Trim that beard and, and get a job. <laughs> I have never felt more sorry for a keyboard in all of my life. Ew. <laughs> oh, sweet. Joe Esterhouse's dirty keyboard. <laughs> sweet. You know, you don't want to take a black light to that poor piece of equipment. Jeez, it's going to look like close encounters of the third kind. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you know, if you told me that before we did the show girls episode, <laughs> I don't know if I could have done it, Mike. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I want my brain to go there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and if, you know, but that's a good point because I think Showgirls, I mean, if in the hands of a lesser director, because um, I think for Hoven knew totally what he was doing, that film would have been a lot harder to handle. Like, yeah. but that somehow it that fun. That's the thing. A showgirls, other than that rape scene, which is fucked up, the rest of the film is a lot of fun. Basic Instinct doesn't really have any fun to it. It's no. not a fun film, and the whole. And also, I thought that whole like no panties scene that's so famous. I remember every time I saw that, I was like, that was it. Maybe I'm jaded because you know. As somebody who studied, like, you know, the golden age of adult cinema and, and also having to read a lot of old hustlers and working on my Stephen Sadian project, I mean, I've seen some lady bits, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> when I saw basic, it's, I was like, that's it. You could barely see anything. Like, not that I was looking, but I was looking. It's just for all the buildup, I'm like, come on, that's, that's nothing. What kind yeah. of Playboy softballing is that, you know? <laughs> Boo. <laughs> I mean, but when Ver Verhoeven was doing it, he was doing it fantastically. I mean, I, I, yeah, one of our our first episodes was on Robocop. I love Total Recall. 
Um, I I love Showgirls in a way, and I love Starship Troopers. So I would say he's got a pretty good track record for his American films. But yeah, Hollow Man and Basic Instinct, I won't really go back to those anytime soon. No, 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 we're good. <laughs> so Eddie Coulter has a question here, which was, which episode took the longest to put together and why? That, that's a good question. You, you can come to that from a lot of different ways. You can come to that as far as like, chasing down people for interviews. There are some people that I've been chasing for years. I mean, we've wanted to do a Penn and Teller Gets Killed episode for a long time, but I have never been able to get Penn and or Teller to be on the show. Um, so I guess you could say, like, if we ever did land them, then it would be like, okay, however long the the, <laughs> the show's been on the air kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's six, seven years, whatever. Um, but I, I'd say as far as, like, actual, like, boots on the ground, physical editing work type thing and and uh tracking down the interviews watching all the movies all that kind of stuff i mean the conan episode uh probably has to be it just because it took so much to to get that together um i still wish that i'd had more interviews for that episode um i, I don't know I, I i feel bad that it's a seven hour episode but what you're gonna do i i uh, I like that we covered Conan, not just Conan the Barbarian, the movie, but actually like from Robert E. Howard going into Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer, Conan the remake, talking about the, the comics a little bit and just kind of trying to cover it all the way through the Conan world up until if there ever is a new Conan film, uh, at least we've, we've covered it pretty good up until now. So, you know, that one just for sheer, um, bulk of material was probably the longest one to put together. And then, I mean, I guess you could look at also like editing wise and yeah, I, I think, Probably the Star Wars episode is up there as far as editing, just because of all the sound clips that I dropped in there. But, I mean, that that's pure pleasure. I love doing uh, dropping in stupid sound clips and stuff. So it, that's one of those um, where people get to have a glimpse into my brain where it's like, you know, coming up with stupid references and just kind of ho- hopefully dropping those in at the appropriate time. Well, that's I think that's part of the joy of the show, though. It's, it's you're adding kind of like little bits of flavor with that. I hope they're not too annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'm just like, ah, and I try not to do them during interviews too much. So I did notice, like, we just did an episode on Existence, and um, I'm talking to uh, 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 Ernest. Um, Oh, I almost don't want to try his last name because I had to like listen to it a few times before I would say it. It's not Mathagus, even though that's what it looks like. But we were talking about at one point um, uh, Stranger Than Paradise from Jim Jarmusch and that line about Screaming Jay Hawkins. And, of course, I just had to go go to the tape and play the, <laughs> the tape of that line. So I try not to do that too much during interviews, but during the actual conversation. And I also try not to do it too much to the co-hosts and the guests. I try to keep it more like me just because there are times where I'm making references. And I know Rob would do that as well, where he would be making references and then he'd drop in the sound clip that kind of spoke to that. 
So, Eddie, I'm not going to actually answer your next question, which was what inspired you to create the projection booth, because I think I covered that pretty well in that uh, interview I mentioned earlier, the one with Outward Film Network. So as a plug to Outward, Outward Film Network, I would say go and read that interview and hopefully uh, it gets covered. And if not, we'll come back in a year and we'll do another ego fest. (laughs) (laughs) So you'll hear more about that in 2018. There you go. (laughs) So it looks like we have a question from Jamie Gump. Uh, Also known as James Grant. Um, That's one of his other aliases. Oh, wow. So we got a man of mystery. Did Frederica ever mention a man named Jamie Gum or a James Gum? How about John Grant? Your name is? Oh, uh, Jack Gordon. What is a movie that you've covered on an episode that you hope to never watch again, and why? If I asked you that same question, Heather, would you have an answer if I come back to you? You know, to be honest, knock on, knock on wood, I'm not trying to tempt you here, <laughs> but um, of all the episodes I've done, we've never covered a film that I out and out hated. Uh, there are some I don't feel the need to return to anytime soon. And that would probably be, uh, probably be boxing Helena, which I think is a film of merit. That's not actually like a slide against it. It's just, you know, given all the films that you and I and our, and our various co-hosts have talked about, it would be lower on my list, you know, cause that's, I mean, it's being put in the league of films like, you know, Dr. Calgary and, you know, the love witch and some call it loving and uh, smoker and just, you know, we've, we've talked about a lot of really good films. I feel lucky actually, cause you and I haven't really, I think joysticks may be the closest thing we've had to, <laughs> to a film that probably had the least amount of artistic merit, but it was a lot of fun. So um, we haven't covered anything that I personally hate yet. No, I had so much fun during that 80s month and uh, just so much laughing on those episodes. And I hope we didn't sound like a couple of chuckleheads or anything, because I know that's like, you know, oh, hey, Richard Simmons is missing <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> well, I, the way I view it, if anybody's looking for like dead, deadly, dry, serious commentary, why in the hell are you listening to people talk about joysticks? That would be my True. question. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, I've, I've been pretty lucky, but I imagine, I mean, cause you've been doing this show for years, you've covered some films. I know you alluded to earlier, I think in this episode, there being one or two films that you absolutely hated. Well, I, I can't say that I'm a big fan of the last action hero. Uh, if I never see that movie again, I think I'll be okay. Uh, the other one was, um, Free Enterprise. That one always stands out as one that I just absolutely hated. I probably won't go rushing back to There Will Be Blood anytime soon. Uh, I am still, even that was one of those episodes where I really had a great time talking about the movie and just coming at it and saying, I really don't appreciate this film, but I want to talk about it and I'm willing to talk about it. So that movie, um, Eyes Wide Shut, was another one. Near Dark is another one. I know that that's uh, heretical to a lot of people, but I'm just not a Near Dark fan. So those are probably some of those. And then, um, I mean, I don't need to see Salo again anytime soon. 
you know, seeing it multiple, multiple times for the episode was probably enough to last me for a long time. It's funny. There's a, a friend of mine was posting about like movies that they uh, hate. You know, there's a whole list that's going around on, on uh, Facebook right now. Movie that I hate, movie that I love, movie that's underrated, yada, yada, yada. I haven't participated in that thing yet because it's just like, okay, whatever. I, my mind doesn't necessarily work that way. I'm not uh, John Cusack in uh, High Fidelity or anything. <laughs> Thank God. For me, like if, if there there are films, and actually, you named one of them. If I had co-hosted Eyes Wide Shut, that would be on my list because I um, I'm not a fan of that movie uh, at all. I really did not like that movie. <laughs> but um, but you know, with like lists of stuff, I mean, wouldn't it be better just for people to just talk about films that you know? That you love. I mean, it's like if you really hate something, the best thing you could do is not talk about it. <laughs> it's always how I felt. I mean, sometimes you have to cover stuff, but but that's why I love it though. Is even with films you don't like, because like the Near Dark episode, I thought was really great. And I love Near Dark. I am a fan of. I'm a huge fan of that film. But uh, but you know, you're able to present your your take. I thought pretty well. You know, so it's it became less of a film that you hated and just like different opinions. Which is which is how it should be, you know. When people just get into like pissing wars over stuff, it's it's not worth it. Right. At no point where it was, you know, Jane, you ignorant slut. You know, it was just <laughs> very much like, well, here's where I'm coming from, or here's where this person's coming from. It, it was Robin and Ed Pettit and I were talking on that one, and I, I really liked the mix on that episode because it was pretty much like. One person loved it, the other person was in the middle, and I was on the other side, and it wasn't like we were arguing, we were just kind of presenting where we were coming from, and I, I really like that type of discussion. And that's one of those things, I think, like, as we mature into the people that we are, like, I know I was a total, like, movie and music snob when I was a teenager, and I was just like, oh, you like that band? You must be a terrible person, you know? <laughs> it's like, you know, oh my god, you like Guns and Roses? What is the matter with you? Do you have a closed head injury? And now it's like, Sweet Child of Mine comes on the radio, I'm just like, oh, yeah, let's let's tear it up, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, what you're telling me is when you Here's Sweet Child of Mine, you basically get transplanted into the Freedom Rock commercial from the you're like, turn it up, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's the thing. I think when you get a little older, you either go one of two directions. You either get more slack, like you become more open, um, which is what you should do because you want to grow and evolve as a person, or you get more closed in. And um, no, because I think. You know, and that's a good place to be where you can look back on your younger self and remember just how hard line you were about stuff and being like, you know, fuck that. You know, I would hate it. But as right. you get older, you're still like, yeah, fuck that for me. But I respect it, you know, because, um, I mean, I've, I've had friends who defended Eyes Wide Shut and I respect them and I could see where they're coming from. It's not my cup of tea. But, you know, art's subjective. I mean, like, I hate reality bites, but if that movie makes somebody happy, you know. Are they high? I, <laughs> I, might no. have, I might have to draw the line there. Oh, Lord, that film's terrible. Yeah, Eyes Wide Shut's a better film than Reality Bites, I would say. It's better shot, at least. The cinematography's really good. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I had to watch Eyes Wide Shut so many times oh. and read the novel, the short story, read the uh, the, the writer's um, uh, memoir and all this kind of stuff. So at least it gave me a little bit more insight to things, but it wasn't like, you know, I, I looked at it with fresh eyes and was just like, oh, this is a fantastic film. I just grew to appreciate it a little bit more. But, I mean, there are you know movies out there where um, recently somebody was talking about how much they hate Fight Club. And it's like, okay... I really like Fight Club. I'm curious what your take is on it. And they wrote a very compelling thing. And I was just like, I can agree with everything you just said. I can totally see everything that you're saying. I still like the movie. You can still hate the movie. I don't think less of anybody for hating a particular film that I love or vice versa. So it's just like, as long as you can say why you like something, even if you go, and this is the thing that we've talked about on the show before, the whole nostalgia trip, where it's just like, this is a shitty movie, but I remember liking it as a kid, and that's why I'm going to continue to like it now. As long as you can say to yourself, like, this might not be the best movie in the world, but I enjoy it. You know, some people might love Ice Pirates to death, and it's just like, go right ahead, man. You can love Ice Pirates all you want. I loved it when I was 12 years old. I look at it now and I go, that's eh, some pretty silly shit. I still enjoy it, but if somebody came up to me and said, that's the dumbest movie in the world, I'd say, you're right, but I still love it. Oh, no, I, don't, I love that. I'm always happy to see people get genuinely enthusiastic. I mean, even if it's about something that I don't, I can't stand. Like if it was like a Ry Carey song or something like that, or, you know, that Ed Sheeran. Am I saying his name right? Is it Sheeran? Sheeran, that little ginger dude. That's. <laughs> Oh, jeez. I think I'm out of my depth on he's this like, He's a big pop deal, and he has an unfortunate ginger beard, which, uh, as a ginger, Ooh. like, uh, granted, I'm, I'm a lady, I don't have a beard, but ginger men typically have a hard time growing beards. Like, it just looks awkward. I think unless you're Ginger Baker. Have you seen Chris Cummins' beard? That is a very respectable oh, beard. Oh, I'll have to look at Chris's beard. Is Chris, I forgot Chris was yeah. a ginger. No wonder yeah. I like him. <laughs> I knew there was a reason why I put you two on a show together. Uh oh, yes. Yeah, Chris and I are part of a global conspiracy. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, but no, but I want to see people genuinely like love something. That, that makes me happy. And I, I'm just, I'm happy to see that. And even if, um, you know, it's something I don't like, you know, good on them. And even, you know, and I mean, you and I, you know, we may be snarky about some of it, but I think we're, we're open-minded enough to where if we have friends who are into stuff, you know, like I have, I have friends in the, who are big horror movie fans and they love Friday the 13th. Like they have a lot of, you know, part of it's kind of nostalgic to things they grew up with it and they love the series. Right. And that makes me happy to see. I'm not a big fan of the series. I never was. Um, I don't hate it. It's just not my, it just never was what I was into as a horror kid. But no, it's, 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 it's lovely to see. I mean, life is short. So any happiness we can grab, let's go for it. So Jamie also asked, what foreign films the last five years will we still be watching in 20 years? And this is how out of touch I am sometimes, because I was like, oh, okay, foreign films of the last five years. Um, when did Time Crimes come out? And I was like, oh, that was 2007. So, uh... <laughs> See, you sound like me. I, I hate questions like that. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. Because, no. again, that's kind of that list-making thing where I was just like, I don't know what else has come out in the last five years. Like, I, I need to go through, like, you know, is there an IMDb list of foreign films from the last five years that I can look through and be like, oh, that that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Because I don't even tend to think of, like, 
domestic versus foreign too often. It's just kind of, I don't know, this might sound kind of uh, uh, silly, but it's just like, yeah, it's, it's all film, man, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, are we talking Canadian film? Is that foreign? Because uh, I, I think we'll still be talking about, like, the last Guy, guy Madden film uh, for sure, but I don't know. I, I, I feel terrible that I don't have a better answer for that one. Do you know any foreign films off the top of your head that you're like, oh, yeah, we'll still be talking about that? I mean, like, I'm thinking of, like, Haneke and stuff, and I'm just like, oh, the piano teacher. But I'm sure the piano teacher is more than five years old as well. Well, see, that's I'm having the same mental lockdown, too, because um, when you said Canadian, I was like, ooh, you know, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Uh, but I, I think that came out a little over five years ago at this point, too. And I know it's one of those things where as soon as you and I wrap this conversation up and we log out of Skype, we're going to be like – shit you know we're gonna think of like all these films that we could have mentioned but that's that's the problem with pinpointing questions like that at least for me too is like my brain's just like it goes into instant like uh, <laughs> 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 uh also i think i think the whole like viewing films as domestic versus foreign is really interesting because it hits me i view films less as foreign versus domestic um now that i did when i was a kid but i think part of it is like as like somebody who grew up in the video, like video store age, VHS age, you know, you have like the foreign section and that was always like a cool section to go to because that's where you knew you were going to find something automatically a little different than like what you were being, you know, shown as a kid. And, um, but we don't really have that now, obviously. So the lines are more blurred, um, which is good and bad, you know, depending on how you look at it. But, uh, yeah, shit, if I know, I'll, I'm sure I'll think of like 10 different movies when we get done with this. <laughs> well, the reason why we have the Internet is for stupid lists. So uh, I, while you were talking, I just looked up a couple like, you know, I Googled what uh, are the best foreign language films of the <laughs> of the 21st century so far. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, I'm, I'm going to flip through here real quick because there's a lot of them that I'm seeing is like 2001, 2000, uh, Let the Right One In was 2008. Oh my God. We're, I guess we're still that talking was, about that That was one, 2008? I know, that's like almost 10 years ago, Oh my right? God. <laughs> Where's all this time go? <laughs> I know, I know. I have yet to see anything that's past, uh, like 2009 or 2010. Uh, let's see. I'll, I'll flip over to another list uh, over here. I, Troll Hunter is one, but that's probably way earlier. Here's one I've never heard of called Tuesday After Christmas. Ah. Poetry. Uh, oh, what about what we do in the shadows? That's New Zealand. Oh, yes. That's a, oh, that that's is, a kick-ass movie. Yeah. I love that movie. Yes. I am so glad that that guy's directing the new Thor movie. I'm very curious what he's going to do with that, because that uh, Hunt for the Wilder People was fantastic. Oh, uh, that whole career, like anything anything they're attached to, definitely keep an eye out, because it's going to be interesting. So uh, I, I know there's like so many more films, Mike. I can't. <laughs> I'm trying to like go through my, I'm amazed I remember that one. Though it is really good, and that would be a fun one to do an episode on. Uh, in the year 2027, 20, whenever we get the rest of the, the, the films listed for, for projection booth. See, I still haven't seen A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. That That's one supposed to be good. Uh, it's supposed to be really good. It's on, my, uh, it's on my list. I haven't seen it yet either. Blue is the Warmest Color is from 2013, and it's foreign. I didn't know that that was a foreign film. See, that's how... how much i keep up with yeah it. i haven't seen i haven't seen that one yet i know it's is it french i believe that one's french sure, sure. have you seen it 
No. Yeah. No, I, to be honest, I, when it came out, all the buzz about it, it just seemed like it was a lot of like middle aged heterosexual dudes raving about the lesbian love scene. And I was kind of <laughs> like, <laughs> I was a little bit like, is this in your spank bank, fellas? <laughs> like, what is, right. I mean, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with spank banks. Everybody's got one. You know, just be honest about it. Don't be like, oh, it's a touching story. Fap, fap, fap. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm cynical. Just, uh, and it just the no. plot sounded like a Joe Sarno movie to me a bit, uh, but like more arty, like an arty. But Joe Sarno was pretty arty, so yeah, I'm not really seeing anything where I'm just like, oh yeah, yeah, that's a fantastic film. I think what we do in the shadows is probably the one. Oh, uh, here we go. Here's one, Dogtooth. That's from 2009, so that's still beyond the five year mark. Oh man. Oh, I've heard that's really good. I've heard that's really good. It is really good, and then I really want to see um, the lobster as well. I've I, I found that one forever ago, and and just still haven't watched it. No, the, the trailer looks good for that one too. Same here. That's on my my want to see list. I just haven't gotten around to it. And then surprisingly, wow, this list is bizarre. That the number one, two, and three films for them are number three is Memories of Murder from 2003, mm-hmm. which I liked a lot, but I didn't think was like amongst the top 50 best ones. Number two is Cachet from uh, Haneke, which is funny. And then number one is Volver from Pedro Almodovar, which I still haven't seen. I haven't seen it even. I, I am I am so rusty on my Almodovar. That was one of my first like foreign film directors I got into as a, as a budget, like a burgeoning cineast. And, um, I really like his work. I'm just um, I'm behind a few films at this point, though. It's uh, yeah, I can only imagine how it is for you, Mike. Because I think once you get into the business of writing or talking about films, you you start having like different lists of films in your head. Like you've got the ones like I want to see this as a as a viewer, but then right. you also have to attend to the list of things you're going to write about or talk about first. And so you don't always get like the most amount of time to watch films for fun. I find. No, for me. And then I haven't been to the Toronto film festival in years and years. And that used to be like my break for the year. I would go up for a week and just watch movie after movie after movie. And I haven't had that in a long time. So I really kind of miss that. Um, Speaking of memories of murder, and that brings up the whole um, South Korean film movement, uh, Snowpiercer is one that I think is interesting, though I don't think that that'll be one that we'll still be talking about in years hence. But I have to say, probably, and if this can kind of break through the mess of zombie movies that still are glutting the market, Train to Busan was one of the best movies that I've seen in a long damn time. Oh, I'll have to I'll have to check that out. I'm still super burned out on zombies as a, and I hate that. I used to love zombie movies. I, I that that was my, um, as the as as a wise man once said, that was my jam. That was, <laughs> but uh, but no. So I'll have to once once I get past that, I'll have to check that out. I'm definitely up for seeing a different take on it. I hope you didn't have to suffer through the World War Z movie. I did not. But this was like, okay, good. <laughs> this was like if World War Z was actually a good movie. Ah. Okay, very cool. Yeah, because I saw the trailer for World War Z and I was not, uh, no, I was not impressed. <laughs> Brad Pitt, I think, is only, I only find him interesting, fight club notwithstanding. But if, unless, if he's playing a character who's kind of fucked up looking and weird, oh, then yeah. I like him. But if he's playing like the hero, which he's not really the hero in Fight Club, so I guess we can we can put that back on the list. Uh, 
you know, if, if he's like the good looking lead, I'm instantly just not on board. Yeah. Meet Joe Black. Uh, meet Joe Mama. <laughs> Seven years in Tibet. Yeah. yeah boo. <laughs> River runs boo. through it. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm there with you. I much prefer Twelve Monkeys. Or California. Know. Oh yeah. Oh god, he was amazing. Yeah. In that. Yeah. I wish he would go back to that. Like you got enough money, dude. <laughs> Do start doing some weird indie films again. Well, or at least start producing more stuff, you know, because he's got the money now. He's got the clout. He can get this stuff, you know, actually made now if he were to choose that. But then, you know, he's got his domestic problems. So let him clear out with uh, Angelina and get all that stuff together, I guess. Sure. So Brad Pitt, if you listen to this. (laughs) I'm sure he's in their rapt attention. What is this, like hour five of Ego Fest? And he's just like, I hope they mention me. Yes, yes. Well, you're welcome, sir. But well, I want to say that we mentioned William Forsythe before Brad Pitt, and that's why I love this show. William Forsythe, I was just so amazed when I finally connected the dots of, like, the guy who was in Once Upon a Time in America was the same guy from Raising Arizona, was the same guy from all the Rob Zombie movies. I'm just like, holy fucking shit, how did this happen? <laughs> I know, I know. He's he is an American treasure. I mean, that man for being a distinctive looking guy, like because he is very distinctive looking. He's like a chameleon. He could literally do oh, yeah. anything, and he does not get enough credit. And um, if he ever forms a street gang, I will totally join it. So, if William Forsythe is listening into Hour Five of EcoFest and you form a street <laughs> gang, sir, I'll be your right hand. Okay, I'm wow. not. The, Will you be his mall? His mall. That would be amazing. I'm not the strongest fighter, but I got a lot of heart. The truth is that you fight dirty. Or yeah, well, I am the outlaw of. <laughs> I'm the Bobby Gentry <laughs> of film writing. So uh, there you go. So Mick Brooks has a question sent in from Twitter all the way across the wire. What is your new favorite movie book since the last Ego Fest? So that would put it. Uh, we've got a one year window here. And again, I don't read a whole lot of stuff other than things for the podcast, but I have to say that of the things that I've read for the podcast, uh, probably the, uh, was it a thousand cuts was probably, uh, my favorite book that I've read, uh, regarding the podcast that I have to say also, um, the Jeff Dyer book about stalker was really amazing as well so um there was a whole episode just dedicated to a thousand cuts and then of course we talked about the stalker episode and i talked to jeff dyer in the stalker episode so i would say definitely check those out now how about you heather you you read i think you you're actually a a literate person which is fantastic oh well well, thank you i um i've always tried to find more time to read you know because i i love it and um you know and when you're a when you're a person on the go and you're trying to get 80 things done, it's hard sometimes to make that, um, to that moment. Um, I need to, I need to catch up or with more up to date film related books, to be honest. I, but yeah, I read John Waters Carsick, which was, um, which was good. I, um, it's kind of strange to think that like the, the former Prince of Puke, like has lived in such an existence where, you know, things like chain restaurants and Walmart are like completely foreign to him. I mean, that's kind of the weird thing. Like, he has, like, a bi-coastal lifestyle. <laughs> oh, my God. I just Maybe we shouldn't include that. <laughs> I just really sleep. Do you think that he diets before the, the Oscar yeah. ceremony? 
Oh God, it's his sugar levels go down, and he just gets crazy and starts plagiarizing everybody. There's so I know there's there's so many great writers out there. Um, I find with like books that I I read, it's almost like the same thing with film, where I don't always get to access the most the more up to date stuff. Sometimes it's like a, a mishmash. So I that is one area I need to I need to get more more into i think with most of the film writing i did in 2016 and the early part of this year was more article uh article based than uh than books so i'm i'm sorry mick brooks <laughs> mike's answer is way better than mine well kind of along those lines is this question from eric gillen who says i notice that your podcasts often spend a great deal of time talking about the script development of the films you cover why do you put such emphasis on the evolution of scripts? What is the strangest script evolution you have covered on the show? So, yeah, a lot of my time is spent reading scripts. If there is a script available for a film, I will read it. And the reason why is they give a glimpse into the creative process that you don't necessarily get through, say, deleted scenes or even through a writer or director commentary, uh, especially if that writer whose name is on the final film is not the writer who's uh, who wrote some of the original drafts of things. I mean, writing is a bizarre thing. I mean, you guys have heard me say this so many times when I talk to screenwriters. It's like, Okay, if I were to look at your credits on IMDb, you have written three things over the last 20 years, and you still are, like, living in a house. You're not destitute. You know, there's no way that you made all of your money from writing three things. So what else have you written and sold or, you know, co-written or not had your name put on or ghostwritten, you know, script doctored, those kind of things. So the writing to me, I mean, putting together an episode of the projection booth is like putting together a puzzle a lot of times. And I always want to see as many of those pieces as I possibly can. So that's why I'm always looking at scripts and trying to puzzle out just how things change. And then also getting that, that glimpse as far as, you know, in script form, you can see how the writer originally planned on the story being built. And then sometimes the story completely changes between what was on the script and then what's on the page and what's on the stage, what's on the final thing. And that to me is absolutely fascinating to see how we go from one medium. And sometimes it's, it's one guy at a typewriter or one gal at a typewriter to hundreds, if not thousands of people working on something. And then you get to see what came out the other end. So, and that, doesn't even talk about the step in between where you have all of the people picking at things <laughs> all of the studio executives like peeing on everything and just making sure that their scent is known on, on every single page so it's just like okay how did this become this so like looking at you know I'm, I'm trying to think of a really good example as far as like how did this amazing script become this complete garbage at the end or how did this kind of mediocre thing become this you know award-winning final product so there are so many great steps in between and i think of course to me that my favorite example of that is uh the alien 3 episode and all of those different scripts that that went into making alien 3 and how those things kind of morphed and this idea became this and this idea became that i mean there's so much fun when it comes to like how those scripts uh finally kind of spoke to that final 
product. And then again, you had so many people picking at it at the end. It was just like, you know, no, it's it's my cut. No, it's this cut. No, it's that cut. And then here's what we finally ended up with. Yeah, that's that's something you've, you've always like amazed me anytime. Like I've done an episode with you with your ability to be able to find a lot of these scripts, especially when you're dealing with films that aren't as well known as, say, like Alien 3, like um, like the script for Death Game. And finding right. and finding that, and um, yeah, that's the fascinating thing about cinema is that it takes so many different elements to make a movie, and um, and I think everybody knows that inherently, but a lot of people don't really take the time to think about all of those elements because so many things come into play, and you know, like I, I've been like writing and researching about Donald Kimmel's performance, like the 1970 film, and just reading about the original script for it, which in some ways the story was um, quite a bit different than what turned out now the film still is a masterpiece so it didn't it, it, that was a case where like them deviating from it actually was a good thing um but it's still kind of fascinating nonetheless to think well what could have been if they had gotten marlon brando uh to play an american gangster in that film as opposed to james fox as a quintessential english gangster yeah no that would have put a whole different spin on things and then it's fun too to think about those ideas not just the casting stuff but just like what would have happened if this particular scene would have made it into the film or if these scenes were rearranged in this way or even sometimes it's even as much as a line you know a line can change because we, we've talked about line readings but even just a line itself can change so much when it comes to a particular scene so some of those like little cappers or just you know the, some different words can really change the flavor of how stuff goes. So that's one of the reasons why I go back to the scripts as well. I wish that I had had. I wish that I had a someone at the WGA who could kind of like help me find some of these sometimes because there are some where it's just like completely impossible to find. I mean, I just, I spoke recently going back to, to the existence uh, uh, episode. I spoke recently about wanting to track the evolution of uh, total recall and see how that changed from, we can remember it for you wholesale into what speaking of Paul Verhoeven to into what Paul Verhoeven finally brought to the screen. And I want to see all of those steps in between those things. And just sometimes these scripts will make a complete quantum leap from one writer to another where you couldn't even recognize one idea to another idea. It's, it's that whole line from sunset Boulevard where it's like last one I wrote was about Okies in the dust bowl. You'd never know, because when it reached the screen, the whole thing played on a torpedo boat. That's one of my my favorite examples of as far as things going awry. As far as giving uh, Eric an example of, of something, I mean, other than the Alien 3 thing, oh, that's, that's tough to come up with. Um, the thing that I keep going back to is that uh, we did an episode on Arthur Penn's Night Moves, and... That stuck really close to the script, but there was one scene in the beginning that kind of set things up a little bit differently than what we got in the film. And I would have to say that that scene, I mean, it doesn't make or break the movie, but it gives you a different flavor to things. And that was one of those where it's just like, oh, okay, this would have cast things in a slightly different light as we went through it. So, and then hopefully. Maybe next year we'll do an episode on The Long Goodbye, and that one has an interesting script evolution as well. So uh, just going to put that out there and tease a little bit. Ooh, that'll be good. That'll Ooh. be good. <laughs> 
one of the things, you know, people ask me how they can help out with the show, and I have to say, just talking about it really makes a big difference. Uh, people that tweet about the show, they post about it on Facebook, they mention it on their podcast, those kind of things. That's that's really great. Another thing is uh, going out into iTunes and rating the show. Uh, that actually helps people find it because uh, the way that at least right now, the way that iTunes works is if a show has more ratings, then it's more likely to kind of be up in their rankings. And then people look at their things like show me the, you know, because they're always about like, show me the top 10 shows, show me the top 30 shows, those kind of things. So if something has more ratings and it's, it's fresher to borrow a term from Rotten Tomatoes, if it, it is, it has fresher ratings, then it'll kind of raise up in the ranks. It'll, it'll, it'll uh, float to the top as it were. So, Ratings are, are fantastic. You don't have to actually pay any money to be a member, quote-unquote, of iTunes. I think they might require you now to have an, uh, a credit card on file just in case you have to uh, uh, buy an app or whatever. But if you're already a member of iTunes, then I would highly recommend it. Otherwise, you can actually rate and review the show on things like Stitcher or even Google Play now. You can rate stuff. So, And, um, you know, obviously, it would be great if it was five stars, if, if they have a star system, that would be fantastic so um anything less than that uh just don't bother no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) that's duly noted because i think it's easy sometimes to not think about rating something when you listen to it you know and i always say that you know people are more likely to let you know when they're unhappy than when they're happy which we all do that, but at the same time, anybody listening to this, if you, if you, you know, if you love this or anything that you enjoy, you know, let the person know and um, comments like on iTunes or, or elsewhere are always really greatly appreciated by, by anybody who creates content in general. Yeah. And I've gotten some really great reviews. There's a series of promos that are out there where I just pulled them all, all the quotes that are in the promos from reviews that are on iTunes so that's good and then iTunes can sometimes give you some good feedback as well to find out what people like what some people don't like there was one guy I remember who says that <laughs> says that I always sound like I have too much phlegm in my throat <laughs> what oh. <laughs> yeah like- Mike always sounds like he's got too much phlegm in his throat so I was like oh okay well there's not much more I can do about that. I felt like uh, Mr. Bentley from This Is Spinal Tap. You just as God made me. My reservation. So. I love, well, at least he's not calling you some twisted old fruit. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, Lord. Yeah, this is... Uh, when you're in this business, Ricky Nelson's garden party certainly becomes more than just a song. I do podcasts when I'm sick, though. So, you know, it, the show must go on. So I've been really not feeling well and have still recorded episodes so there there have been many shows where i have been sick but i don't know i hopefully i don't sound too phlegmy maybe you meant phlegmatic i don't know oh god god only <laughs> i've listened to this show for years and i've never once been like mike do you need a ricola man are you you gonna be okay buddy <laughs> i've never <laughs> Oh no, no. I was gonna say me on the other hand, like I've I have allergies, so uh in case in point, if he makes that comment about me with this particular portion of the show, <laughs> fair enough, sir. There was one I got recently that brought up some valid points, though I'm I'm really 
I, I, I hope that this isn't a failing in the show. This uh, one reviewer said that uh, uh, the area of expertise for Mike and his co-host Rob St. Mary, who sadly left the show, another blow to well-rounded criticism, is clearly popular and cult films from the late 20th century, roughly the 60s through 90s. Their coverage of earlier films is very poor. They just don't seem to have the knowledge on the cultural context of times to talk about these movies intelligently. I'd rather see Mike cover more 21st century films and lead the 30s, 40s, and 50s cinema to someone else. Please don't do any silent movies either. Another suggestion, if I may... It would be great if you could return to the 1.5 to 2 hour episodes with the extra dumped into a bonus content file. Some of the interviews could seriously be cut down with the discussion going way, way, way off topic. Well, so I guess you and I aren't doing our 8 hour episode on intolerance. Is that is that what the, the result of this is? You know? Would that be like a live commentary? Because isn't that movie already that long? Uh, not quite. It is. It is long. And um, honestly, if we're doing silent film, I'd rather do uh, some German expressionist uh, films than D.W. Griffith. But um, wow. Well, you know, at least you know I'm, I'm reading because you have the the whole comment in the script. It is very like a, this commentator. They let very well written. Um, things are spelled properly. That's always appreciated in a in a critique. I think the problem though is that. That, you know, when you're when you're having a podcast about film, and Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, because this is, I mean, you're the captain of the show. I'm just I'm just the occasional girl Friday here, <laughs> but like, film is so broad, and you know that's the beauty about doing anything about film, um, because you have a wide open arena, and so. One week, you may want to talk about, like, yeah, a cult film from the 70s. The next week, maybe you want to talk about, uh, you know, bringing up Baby or a Marx Brothers film. Or, you know, I, I think – I don't think it's fair for anybody to tell somebody, oh, please don't do this category or that category. You have the choice not to listen. And that's the beautiful thing about freedom, uh, freedom of choice. It's like, uh, you know, and I respect, you know, I respect this person's opinion. I disagree with them. I love actually how you conduct your interviews and also how you interact with like me as a co-host and, and as well as other co-hosts we've had because there is a fluidity. Like a great interview to me, it, it should be like a great conversation. And, you know, if you're, if somebody's wanting something that's super dry and academic, like you're talking to the listener as opposed to talking with the listener, then yeah, maybe this isn't their show. But to me, that was always the appeal of the show before I was ever on it was that, you know, the commentary, you know, is intelligent and you learn a lot from it. But at the same time, it's like being at a round table. It's not like being in a, in a lecture. Yeah, that's what I try to do. And when it comes to the interviews, I can understand, like, the interviews definitely stray off topic. But sometimes it's like, so recently we did an episode on They Live, and I talked to Keith David. Now, Keith David maybe had about five minutes worth of stuff to say about They Live. And I the interview probably ran for, say, a half an hour. And so I could have just cut the five minutes and put that into the show and then left the extra 25 as like a bonus kind of thing. But I decided to throw the whole half an hour in there. And maybe that was self-indulgent, but at the same time, it's like, okay, and here's an interview with Keith David about They Live, and he talks for five minutes, and then it fades out into something else. It's like, well, that's not really fair. So I wanted to keep more to it. I wanted to have more 
of that. So, I mean, maybe I, I don't keep as much of the meat as I should, and I have too much of the, of the, the marrow and everything in there, the fat in there as well. Maybe I should trim that stuff. But I trim a lot of stuff already. I mean, some of these interviews, really, they'll go on for a long freaking time, like an hour and a half. And then it's like, okay, you guys end up listening to an hour of the hour and a half. So I've already cut out quite a bit of stuff. You know, I cut out so many things uh, about me and like trying to relate to some of these people and, and, a lot of the like, you know, oh, hey, you know, um, uh, I have a funny story about this or whatever. And it, it's just like, yeah, no, who who cares about that stuff? Let, let's cut all that stuff out. I try to already cut out me saying that to the, the people that I'm interviewing, but I'm going to cut even more of myself out of these interviews. And then sometimes, yeah, they'll just go off onto a tangent and, and some call it loving. I mean, James B. Harris went off into old man politics and it was just like, yeah, no, I'm going to cut all that stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> like grandpa no <laughs> but then it made sense to keep all the political talk with say sandy king in the they live episode because it was such a political episode so it's just it's all my decision so if people don't like it they can they can blame me and and that's fine and then when it comes to like doing things from other uh decades I mean, no offense, but I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. So, uh, and I understand that I made a total, as, as the Joker would say in the old DC comics, I made a total boner when it came to talking about the code and how the Hayes code, um, interacted or didn't interact with the black cat and when the Hayes code was enacted and when it was enforced and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, there was some gray area on that Black Cat episode, but I mean, when we did uh, Duck Soup, I think we got as many of the people who uh, have written about or done documentaries about the Marx Brothers that we possibly could. I mean, uh, speaking of great film books of last year, I mean, one of the authors that was on there, one of his latest book on the Marx Brothers was listed as one of the top film books of the year. So it's like, okay, he knows what he's talking about. So I try to bring in people that know what the fuck they're talking about. And if I don't, I try to admit it. So... I don't know. I mean, there are times where I try not to go out of my depth and I try to bring in experts, but every once in a while I don't have those people to go to. So I don't know. So sue me. Yeah. No, I, you know, the, I have two, two more things about this, about this comment as I'm, as I'm reading it is that, um, first of all, like I, I think it's important for shows like the projection booth to do older films just because if anything, there are, there are listeners who might tune in to listen to, you know, a, you talk about they live, you know, or something that's more modern and more of a cult variety that they might not have that much knowledge about like a film from the thirties or, you know, or forties or fifties, but they'll listen to your show and be like, maybe that'll spark an interest. I mean, there's not a whole lot of talk about older films as there should be. And so I think anything that will lead to further film like investigation and certainly preservation in the long run is, is a good and healthy thing. And, uh, you know, and also, uh, their comment, you didn't read this one out loud, but, uh, was it, they, this, this reviewer accused you of making sometimes bizarre, provocative statements. I want examples. I want examples of what I've, I've known you for years, Mike. I've never once heard you say something where I was like, dude, <laughs> like, are you, why are you making bizarre provocative statements, Mike? 
Uh, so yeah, let, let's let's read the the comment that Mike will sometimes make bizarre, provocative statements, seemingly in service of nothing. So this this is a cocktail party, right? This is you and me, and a, usually a third person, and uh, we get these people together. Hopefully the chemistry is there. We, you know, like, hey, yeah, like that thing I was talking about. You got your work friends, you got your friend friends. Let's get all these people together and mix and see how this works. Every once in a while, you know, like I, I'm the MC of this thing, right? And I'm there, like, kind of making these introductions, serving the drinks, those kind of things. And if the conversation, maybe. Like, if I just want to kind of spin the conversation in a different way, every once in a while, I will make a statement where I'll say, like, well, what would you think if this? And just try to, like, give, like, a little kick in the ass or, like, just kind of spin things in a different way. So I will freely admit that every once in a while, I will say something completely off the wall and just to see kind of how people react. And then also to maybe make people think a little bit differently about things. And every once in a while, like the thing that I like about this show so much is that there are times where I have read the scripts, read the books, watched the movie, listened to the commentary, done all this kind of stuff. And then as I'm talking about it, finally amongst friends, we have a safe space here, Heather, so we can talk amongst mm-hmm. friends. No snowflakes allowed. <laughs> this is a spin-free zone. <laughs> As we're talking about this stuff, every once in a while I'll be like, "Oh, hey, I haven't even I haven't thought about this, but what would you think if I said this or I was just thinking about this and this kind of reminds me of this other thing that this happened at, you know, like even when we're talking about joysticks, it's like, Hey, uh, this really reminded me of candy tangerine, man. Does that just me? Or does anybody else think that way? Or, you know, again, we were doing this in the uh, service of being pompous, a hole film critics, but, you know, talking about how King Vidiot was the dark mirror to Jeff Bailey, those kind of <laughs> things. Yeah. Those are bizarre off the wall statements, but no, you know, the, those still aren't the ones that I think that this uh, reviewer is talking about, but yeah, every once in a while I will throw out something and that's mostly just to chum the water and see what's happening and, and try to get some different takes on things because why not? You know, I mean, it's like I said, it's a, it's a place where we can explore some ideas about things. I would rather have that than have somebody just be drawl and, and boring. And, right. you know, I remember when you – I'm so glad you brought off the the, the, the Bailey <laughs> comparison for joysticks. I remember looking at the script when you said it and being like, did I miss something in the movie? But but then when you explained it, I loved that because it was it was a different way to look at something. And I mean, to me, that is the point of – of, for me, at least, as a film lover, as a culture lover, to read articles and read books and to listen to podcasts is not only just to learn information, but also garner a different way at processing information and looking at something. I think that's a healthy right. thing. I think uh, everybody personally should want a little bit of that. Um, again, you can't please everybody, but um, but I mean, if you're if you're wanting something, you know, boring and stayed, well. You know, maybe this ain't your ride, baby. <laughs> I mean, I could just sit here and kind of recap the trivia on IMDb, that kind of thing, or like take notes during the um, uh. <laughs> during the audio commentary, and then be like, you know, did you know that they took twelve takes to get Nomi's nipples just the right hardness? Ugh. You know, 
<laughs> just like stupid shit like that, where it's just like, who cares? Or like, yeah, if I listened to the commentary track, I would have heard the same thing. So why don't we actually try to talk about some of the ideas behind this stuff and maybe bring some other things to the table, you know? I don't well, know. exactly, and especially when you're when you're covering stuff that is really classic and well delved uh, delved in as it is, like the Marx Brothers, right. you know, um, you definitely at that point you almost want less. You know, information is still good at that point, but every you know, there's 80 books about that. What's a different way to look at it? Um, so, um, are we sure this isn't like somebody in, in, who's like a Rob? Like I noticed, there's a little dig at other co-hosts here. <laughs> Rob, Rob, have you sent one of your your henchmen to comment? <laughs> Rob is such a sweetheart. So that's why it's even funnier. Yes. He's... Yeah, and you know, I would really be handcuffed if I couldn't delve into other decades of film especially i mean the the noir vember stuff would just be gutted i mean last year we did neo-noir so we're kind of on safe you know territory there like it was more 80s 90s stuff and 2000s but really i mean every november we'll go into things from the 30s 40s and 50s so you know yeah i guess i guess skip those months if you don't like those so yeah it's it's everybody's choice so if you want to listen to it listen to it if not just maybe skip that yeah and if you if you really have umbrage and i I say this with absolutely zero snark or um or attitude make your own show like i think to me like i i don't think there's ever i don't view anything as competition personally i think if there's more people talking about film if there's more people writing about film the more the merrier like we can never have too many different viewpoints on these on these works so like if you're like man i think i could do a better job please do you know like seriously not saying yeah. that to be shitty like do it um that's a. Uh, I mean heck mike i don't know about you but you know i think we've all had done done episodes or shows or articles or whatever where initially we read something we're like well psh, i could cover this better than that person and then you end up you know, it's a win-win instead of being bitchy and complaining, which is, I, which I'm not saying that about this one. This guy, at least, or girl, uh, were very well spoken about their opinion, but like, you know, but you get something positive out of the crankiness. You know, you've created your own work. There's more work out there in the world. It's a, it's a win-win, really. And just going back to Eddie Coulter's question about what inspired you to create the projection booth, that's pretty much it right there in a nutshell is listening to other stuff and being like, okay, I could probably do this. Or like, I don't like this about this particular show. Why don't I do something different? You know, we've talked before and um, about the whole idea of like the round table at the beginning of certain shows where it's like, Hey, what did you watch this week? Oh, I watched this. I watched that. You know, there was one uh, show that I used to listen to where it was like too many people, too many co-hosts. So I, I think like, Having three, max four is is uh, way uh, enough, but if you go beyond that, then it just kind of becomes like a jumble of voices, and then if you do that whole what did you watch this week thing, it's 45 minutes before you actually start talking about the show. I mean, I had a guy tweet at me recently where it's just like, these people have talked so long that they forgot what movie they were talking about, and I don't even know what show he was he was referring to. I, I was kind of curious, you know? And he was also, and this one made me feel bad, but he was also criticizing that 
people were mispronouncing names and I was like, Oh, well I know I've mispronounced a ton of stuff. And he was like, no, these, these are American names. These aren't like Russian names or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Whew. You know? I was about to say, I know I've mispronounced some. Uh, um, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we all have, we all have, I mean, especially, you know, we're going to be doing a whole month of, of, uh, Czech timber is, is September. I know I'm going to fucking butcher so many of those Czech names. I mean, it would drive me mad when I would listen to podcasts and they'd be talking about Vera Chitlova and they wouldn't be able to say her name. But it's just like, okay, I had, you know, Herb Eagle there teaching me how to say some of these filmmakers' names. But if he didn't say, you know, if I if he never talked about Yuri Menzel, I might not know how to say that name just coming across it in print. And that's one of those things, too. I mean, talk about the wisdom of Twitter or the wisdom of Facebook. Every once in a while I see something and I'm just like, yeah. And that kind of puts a new spin on it. And this was don't make fun of somebody for mispronouncing a word because at least, because that usually means that they've read the word and they haven't heard it in context. So at least they're reading. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I mean, plus it's like, you know, again, it's like the whole, what's the bigger picture? I mean, there's, um, there's a, a guy, um, who does like podcasts and also YouTube videos named Ralph Vieira, who I'm a big fan of. And he does like a whole channel called the Eternal Idols where he does reviews of, uh, various Black Sabbath albums. And this guy's a massive Black Sabbath fan and knows his shit, but he pronounced like the original title for the song Black Sabbath was Walpurgis and he pronounced it Walpurgis. <laughs> <laughs> which which cracks me up, but it's endearing. I, I didn't once think, oh well, I'm not right. listening to him. I just thought, no, it's cute, and he knows his shit. You know, it's just like, you know, how many Americans are going to hear about? And I'm probably mispronouncing it too. It's Valpergis, is it? You know, I mean, it's not the easiest word. You know, and plus, remember, people, most of us are from a public school system in America, so our education's a little, <laughs> it's a little, it's all varied for a lot of us. We're trying, damn it, and that, and that's what matters. Speaking of Black Sabbath, I've never really known. Is it Tommy Iomi or Iomi? It's Iomi. Tony Iomi. Iomi. Okay. Oh, yeah. I've only ever read it on the back of my albums. Oh, so. uh, hey. Well, as long as you're listening to Black the, the important thing is as long as you're listening to Black Sabbath, because they truly are one of the greatest uh, metal bands, if not bands of all time. And that's an opinion, but I can back it up. I have a funny story to tell you. Uh, the other night... <laughs> You might have read this on my Facebook. The other night I talked to this filmmaker who shall remain nameless. And I talked to this guy for an hour and a half. And every once in a while I'd be like, well, you know how hard it is to do this or do that. And I'm just like, okay. And then towards the end of the conversation, um, I kind of was like, okay, off the record, you know, hey, we have every once in a while I, I ask certain directors come on the show, like, you know, Vincenzo Natale, Keith Gordon, they've been regulars on the show, they seem to have a good time, would you like to be part of that? And he's like, oh yeah, no, that sounds fantastic. Um, he's like, uh, do I have to be in LA to be on the show? And I was like, no, no, um, you know, I'm, I'm over in Detroit, we just do this all through Skype. Oh, you're based in Detroit? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. And he just seemed really kind of perplexed. And then he dropped the line like a few seconds later. He's like, well, as a filmmaker yourself, I'm sure you know. And I was just like, oh, fuck. He thinks I'm the other Mike White. This whole time this guy's been talking to me, he thinks I'm the guy from Chuck and Buck. And I'm like, oh, man. But I'm not about to say anything, though. Oh, God. That's <laughs> awkward. Yeah, I did see you post. That's totally awkward. <laughs> well, what do you – yeah, I mean, that puts you – it's like such an awful position because you've already committed so much time with this man like right 
be like, yeah, Chocolate Block was a great experience. <laughs> so, I, I, oh, shit. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's, I, I know you've yeah. run into that before, too. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we were just talking about Brenda Vaccaro. She thought I was, uh, was the other child. The other Mike White, when uh, she did an interview with me for the uh, uh, the the never-ending uh, Elliot Gould book that I'm working on, she was just like, uh, oh, yeah, we met at this charity thing. I was like, no, that was the other guy. And then it was like after that, she quit writing to me directly, and it became like her agent writing to me. And then she was really short with me on the phone because my recorder wasn't working. She's just like, honey, I've got class to teach. <laughs> <laughs> that I almost felt like Brenda Vaccaro was with me just now mike <laughs> that was amazing. yeah you know i i try i try not to do too many impersonations on the show like unlike other uh podcasts uh, uh that that try to do it seriously so you know i i feel bad uh, i i won't do that well, again don't ask me to do my uh my joan crawford that, that would be uh, bad my birthday's coming up and i think you know what you need to leave me as a voicemail sir <laughs> i want to hear your joan crawford <laughs> <laughs> um, my Joan Crawford sounds almost identical to my Faye Dunaway. It, I, it's really weird. It's that's really fantastic. Weird. <laughs> 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 yeah, I have to. I have to say, I've never been confused with anybody else. But as far as I know, the only other Heather Drain that's been mentioned to me is uh, was like a, I think a stay-at-home mom somewhere in Louisiana oh. or somewhere. I, I don't think there was any risk of us being confused. Uh, with the other, it's pronounced drain. I thought it was drawn. The drawn, yes, that's actually the real pronunciation. <laughs> it's drawn, um, like well, porgies. Uh, <laughs> I did have a girl once pronounce my last name Drian. I don't know. I don't know if she was in. She was trying to be fancy, or, or did, it maybe. Oh, somebody else pointed that out to me one time. They were like, maybe she's dyslexic, and I felt like a jerk. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, nobody ever really pronounces my name correctly. They forget the H for the white sound. Mike, so, Mike yeah. White. You just call me by my other nickname, which is Whitey Michaels. That was my uh, my vaudeville That's, name. Oh, my God. I loved your tenure in the Catskills. That was a uh, little, little song, a little dance, a little seltzer in the pants. So, Heather, we talked in hour one of this Ego Fest about you being on the Supporting Characters podcast. Have you done any other guest spots recently? Um, last year, I was on a uh, on the uh, Culture Cast. I was on a special edition of that show talking about the history of music video. That connection was made through Bill Ackerman. So, uh, so thank you, Bill, and uh, who of course does supporting characters. Um, I actually am supposed to be making a return appearance in June on Frank Catullo's Catullo Chronicles, which I haven't been on in I think about two years. But Frank was actually the very first uh, podcaster who ever had me on a show. And um, in the past, we've talked about. Um, actually, we did a whole episode about zombie movies uh, a few years ago, which was right on the cusp of me getting tired of them. But we got to go into the history of them, and uh, and that was actually a lot of fun. And I felt bad. I might have kind of uh, slightly tersely corrected the co-host, who was a very nice young man, but he had never seen incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. And I'm a huge Ray Dennis Steckler fan. Uh, and in fact, I did a chapter on this film for the, the upcoming book I'm doing with John Skip, The Bizarre Film Encyclopedia. And he was like, oh, well, it was on Mystery Science Theater. And I'm like, well, actually, there's been some good movies on that show. And I just, I, I got, so I'm sorry, young man. <laughs> I sound like an old lady. I'm sorry, nice young man. <laughs> 
we don't have a, a date lined out yet, but I'll be making my, my grand return uh, to Frank's show. And Frank's, Frank's a great guy. Um, he's a hoot. Um, he does his shows completely live. There's no script, uh, which is fun and harrowing <laughs> all at the same time. But, um, but it'll be good. But I know you're a busy man, Mike. What, you've, uh, what, 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 what other podcasts have you been on these past few months? Well, uh, I was just recently on the Cinema Beef podcast, uh, which, as of this recording, has yet to come out. So hopefully that will be uh, heading out pretty soon. And then um, John Cross had me on the After Movie Diner, which was really nice. We talked a lot about um, Jack Hill's Pit Stop, which was actually an episode that I wanted to do on the projection booth. And I kind of like slid him a couple suggestions, and he jumped at that one. So it was nice kind of kismet, uh, both of us talking about uh Pit Stop. Yeah, had a great time talking about that film. And then I am uh, kind of a semi-frequent guest over at the uh, Chris Statues Culture Cast, uh, Culture with a K. And he has joined me on uh, another podcast venture where we are talking about Kolchak the Night Stalker. And as of this recording, the fourth episode is just about ready to get out there. So, yeah, every month we're looking at... Right now, we we just finally talked about one of the episodes. Because before that, we talked about the two TV movies. And then we talked about the Norlis tapes. But yeah, from now on, every month we'll be talking about the Kolchak original series and then we'll talk about the Kolchak reboot slash reimagining that happened in 2005 and that will actually be our what would it be our May episode is talking about Kolchak 2005 where we've got some really good interviews for that and then that's the thing that I've been amazed at is that we've actually gotten interviews for every one of these episodes and we should actually have some of the original folks who have worked on the Kolchak 1975 uh, show with us on the episode. So uh, cross your fingers. That, that's pretty exciting because so many of the key original players have passed away, but we've managed to track down a couple folks that uh, will really hopefully shed some light on what making Kolchak was like. Oh, that's that's excellent. Mike, I realized I made a faux pas because I think I was willing myself to be on Chris's show in the future. <laughs> Because Chris is wonderful, and, and you know I've worked with him on your show, and uh, his podcast is wonderful. The one I was I meant to refer to, blame this on the cold or whatever, uh, was a, uh, the Pop Culture Club, which was a hybrid off the Directors Club podcast. So, um, so everybody, you know, if you want to listen, you know, to me talk about the history of music video, uh, look up the Directors Club podcast, and uh, you should find it. And that was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, anytime I get to go off on music video uh, history, which is a format that's that's very rarely, if ever, regarded um, in a introspect or outrospective. Um, I hate using the word critical. Critical just always sounds so. Um, kind of inherently negative, but I guess a critical perspective um, enough. So that was a lot of fun. So everybody check out both shows because Chris is wonderful too. <laughs> yeah, and if you want to hear a little bit more of Chris, here is an interview with him that I just did recently. Well, Chris Stash, you, you are my co-host on the I, I can't say it's new. We're only on our third episode, but it's been like three months, I guess, going on our fourth episode here. Yeah, it's uh, the Kolchak tapes. Why the Kolchak tapes, Chris? I don't know, because they haven't done 
they there hasn't been anything for Kolchak yet. I, you know, you kind of put the feelers out, and I responded on Facebook, and it's just kind of it kind of went from there. You know, you and I have been podcasting together off and on for the last what two years now. Oh my god, that long. Yeah, has it been that long? It feels like it's been that long. Well, it wasn't 2012 when we started, even though that was the first movie we talked about. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, God, so I think it was like 2015, yeah. So two two years, yeah, it's been a while. So, you know, I know you and I have some pretty good, uh, pretty good chemistry, so it seemed just kind of like a, a perfect fit, really. Yeah, I love coming over onto the Culture Cast. Uh, I love that you guys do that theme month thing. You're much more, um, definitely, uh, your thoughts are more organized than mine, especially when I have a schizophrenic month like this month where I'm all over the map as far as films. But at least you try to try to put them into some categories. I tr- uh, I feel like the word I use is I try to do so, but uh, some months are definitely bigger duds that others like last month was sports movie month and we ended up just covering a whole lot of new movies instead of talking about sports movies i still haven't watched field of dreams i'd like to point that out that's okay neither have i really i feel like now we should watch this movie and do a podcast over it maybe we can do live commentary oh god oh yeah and here's kevin costner and he's doing kevin costner things great you're not a big Costner fan, though, are you? I am not at all. Uh, Kevin Costner is legit a terrible actor. Have you seen Waterworld, for the love of God? I, that's probably the one I've watched the most. That's the one Have that I own. Have you seen The Postman? That, the, Waterworld is the movie that I actually own two copies of, the original DVD and then the director's cut that came out. There is a director's cut. Yeah, the extended version, yes. What? Oh, yeah. That's the one that it's very similar to what they show on television, where you get to see that they actually, when they land on dry land at the end, that it's Mount Everest. I think what's astounding to me about that is there is a extended cut of a film that is already almost three hours long. Every minute counts, man. Oh, God, whatever. I'm more Dennis Hopper with an eye patch, am I right? I haven't seen The Postman, though I actually own the book of that, and I've been wanting to read the book and compare it to the film. I have seen the movie. It is not good. <laughs> it's it's like Waterworld, but less like fun stupidity. It's just stupid, if that makes sense. Like Waterworld is like it's a terrible movie, but it's like not like aggressively stupid and bad. Like or it is, but like that's what makes it fun. The Postman is just like drab and three hours long and boring and just makes me kind of sad yeah i mean, i had to watch what waterworld and the postman at the same time so you know you have to really have to punish yourself on that one was that for your post-apocalyptic month uh, it was a long time ago that was 20 <laughs> that's when uh, a certain someone was still my co-host so in my manipulative days i've gone through three co-hosts um, not by choice to some extent. You're worse than my mother. Does is that a thing? Do people switch podcast co-hosts? It's never happened to me. Wait, no, you don't have one right now. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? I was like, wait a second, this is not true. Is that common though? Like as a podcaster? 
Uh, you know, I'm not sure if it is or not. Cause I, you I, know more podcasters than I do. I know you. That's right. it. Well, I look at Bill and Chris from outside the cinema. They've been together forever. The guys from the GGTMC, they've been together forever. You know, do they live in the same city? No, no. They well, Bill and Chris live around Boston, and then the guys from GGTMC, like one's in Toronto and the other one's like I don't know Paducah, Kentucky, or something or other. So interesting. Yeah, I always feel like if you have to like record in the same room as someone, it's it's harder to be like I'm just done, as opposed to like on Skype where it's just like yeah later. Don't even worry about me. Like I'm like this is over. The culture cast, like like you said, <clears throat> you know, we do a, a theme once a month. We do written reviews on the website, and then we do the podcast along with the website. And uh, it's a good time. We curse, but uh, we give. I, th- I feel like we give pretty good insight. I mean, I've been told by people who have listened to it, you know, my mom, that uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We have like five people who listen to it every week. Um, that uh, we give pretty good commentary. So I don't know. You know, go listen and find out. If you think it's terrible, tell me. And I don't know. I'll say thanks for listening. Well, you definitely have more discipline than I do to actually go out and see new movies and record episodes like the weekend that they're out and release them by what, like Tuesday or Wednesday of that week. So Monday, Monday, geez, we record Sunday and release Monday. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, like for the longest time, we did not go see new movies unless it was like a big tent pole movie. And by big tent pole, I mean a movie that made me pitch a tent in my pants. So you know, we didn't go see big tentpole movies for the longest time because it's not cheap to go see movies. Uh, I, it's cheaper here if I go on a Tuesday because the movie theater in town that we have does $5 Tuesdays and they also do $5 first showing of the day. But that still adds up. Right. And then so, you can go get a $5 foot long. Your whole day is covered for $10. That's, you know what? You're right. You know, that's the, and you, but you, what you do is you get the $5 foot long and you bring it into the movie with you. Because if you buy stuff at the movie theater, come on. Oh, you're a fucking normie. Come on. <laughs> How much of a rube do you have to be to buy mo- movie theater popcorn? Am I right? They sell like those giant bags of popcorn at Walmart and you just put it in your own bags at home. When I worked at the movie theater when I was a, a teenager, there would, pe- would be people that would come in off the street and buy popcorn from the movie theater because they'd be like, oh, it just tastes better. It just tastes so much better than regular popcorn. And then they'd fucking leave. They weren't even there for a movie. They'd just buy popcorn at the theater. I'm like, you realize – and this is at the time when it was like $4 for an extra large popcorn at the, the show. So many, many years ago. I'm like, this is $4. You know you, you know what you could spend for – you know, buy for $4? This is crazy. <laughs> How do you feel about going to see new movies? I like actually getting out of the house and, you know, kind of uh, experiencing the world with other people. Mm -hmm. I really hate the the whole need to check one's cell phone every 15 minutes and get that little flash of light going on around you every which way. But um, I do like the audience experience other than that and other than a lot of the talking. But, I mean, I was excited to see Get Out in the theater. I like going to see movies at the movie theater and it's kind of a lost art now. Like you said, with the whole cell phone thing, like this is like an hour and a half to two hours, three hours. If you're going to see a Michael Bay movie or a Christopher Nolan movie where you essentially spend in a theater without your phone. And that's a lost thing because like you said, in this day and age, everybody's got to be attached to their phone all the time. Right. But I I do want to get on my soapbox a little bit. 
and you can feel free to edit this part out because this might be a little a little mean on my part. But man, places like Alamo Drafthouse bug the shit out of me because they act like they are doing God's work and they are screening movies. I'm sorry, but you are screening films, not, I don't know, performing open heart surgery. That's kind of the other thing that's a little, I don't know, it's a little strange, right? They want to have their cake and eat it too. Don't text, don't talk, but hey, there are people that are like eating during the movie and there's there's the servers like running around in the theater. Really? Does no one see the disconnect here? I get that you want to sell a $15 milkshake, but maybe like get out of my way while I'm trying to watch the movie because I didn't come here to eat. I would love to go down to that, what is it, Fantastic Fest that they have. Yeah. But I will say that I tried once to understand, like, because I was like, okay, well, if I go down there, I'm going to get a pass and I'm going to see as many movies as I possibly can. And I felt like a first grader trying to read, you know, Madame Bovary or something, because I was just like, uh, I don't get how these movies and screening times work. It was this whole thing of like, well, if you have a pass and you have to do this, and then you go over to this line, and then this thing happens, and I'm just like, I need to have a degree in film festology to understand how your system works it sounds so backwards so that actually scared me away from ever going to that festival well and let's be honest here are you surprised that a movie theater like the alamo draft house that puts on fantastic fest is essentially like a hipster version of a of a like a movie film fest no. like are you surprised like it's not that shit right like cool you guys are making things super complicated and it's screening at eight different theaters across the city and <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I'll just not participate and watch the movie in six months when it comes out the traditional way. We support the movie industry. Okay. Yes. You wouldn't download a car. I don't know. You know, like going and seeing movies, like for me as a movie goer, and this kind of translates back to the culture cast and seeing new movies, for me as a as a film critic and seeing movies and as a being a podcaster, like most things don't bother me going to see the movies. Like someone on their phone – some like that doesn't bother me. I don't really care because I normally go see movies. I, I, I don't like seeing a movie on a Friday night anyways. So I normally try to go see a movie like early in the day. So there's like nobody in there anyways. So it doesn't really bother me. I understand it bothering other people. But I mean, if you want to go see a movie that badly, what are you going to do? Get someone thrown out of the movie theater because they're on their phone? I mean, I guess you could. I mean, Jesus, in this day and age, a family of four can't go to the movies without it being like 50 bucks anyways. Well, and the other thing that gets me is just how quick the turnaround time is between movie theater and then... Four months. Yeah, if that. Yeah, three to four months. I mean, I was looking at this uh, uh, particular movie, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but Numira Pace is in it, and I was just like, oh, this looks interesting, I wonder where this is play- Oh, it's already on VOD. Oh, Prometheus. Uh, no. It looks interesting, said no one. <laughs> I'm still waiting to hear back from you if you're going to be on our Alien Covenant podcast. I feel like you're not going to, and I don't blame you. I, hey, I think I accepted the invitation. Did you? Yeah. Oh, well, then I, then I'm sorry. I'm not I'm sure. sorry in advance. I'm trying to remember when that is because I it's can't say I'm counting down two. the days. Yeah, May May 21st I'll be on there. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it, but I, again, I – I like I don't know like when I go see new movies now I have such like low expectations for pretty much everything so like that's what 
being a movie that's the one thing like for any movie anyone who's like interested in becoming a movie podcaster like you think you could do a better job than us by all means go ahead there this is not a crowded space it's really not there are a lot of movie podcasts out there but there really aren't that many there really aren't like realistically there aren't so if you think you can do a better job by all means go for it if you think you have something interesting to bring to the table or you have an interesting commentary on films go for it but it will change the way you watch movies that's one of those things where I, ah, man, getting these people were just like, well, that was a really good interview you did with that person, but I really would have wished that you asked them about this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, well, maybe there wasn't time. Maybe I just wasn't interested in that. Maybe I was told I shouldn't ask that person about that. You know, there's so many factors as to why I might not ask somebody. I might forget. You know, I talked recently on the Beverly Hills Cop episode that I forgot to ask uh, Harold Faltermeyer about the crazy frog version of Max Leff. And it's just like, well, that's my bad. And then when people come on and they're just like, oh, yeah, well, you really missed this thing. And it's just like, well, go start your own fucking podcast. Yeah. And by the way, Mike, the thing you should have asked Harold Faltermeyer about is that rock and Fletch theme song. Am I right? Holy shit. This is why we're such good friends. I like a lot of stuff that you really don't like, <laughs> like like Last Action Hero, <laughs> which in our Predator podcast, we totally name dropped you. <laughs> nice. In that podcast, we were like, yeah, we really like Last Action Hero. However, a frequent guest of this podcast does not. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, like you said, if you don't like the way we do things, go do your own podcast. It's really not that hard. But, you know, I some of my friends say that I'm too hard on movies and that I don't like a lot of stuff. To that, I say, if you've seen as many movies as I do, you're going to like about half of them and dislike about half of them. And you're going to dislike a lot of movies that a lot of people like just because you have to watch them. And if you're like, I hated Rogue One, I thought Rogue One was like just formulaic drivel that they were trying to make to be the next Empire Strikes Back. I'm so glad I'm not alone. You're you're not alone. There are so many people that don't like Rogue One. So people people I know who said that they really liked it when it came out. It was just forgettable to me. I mean, just a few weeks later, I was like, yeah, um, I kind of remember that movie, but it just doesn't stick with me. I, I think one of the things is and I hate to say it, it's those stupid character names. I, I had a real hard time with you know bam magara and all these other character names where i'm just like what it's i mean han solo luke skywalker princess Leia. those are like regular names you know but then as we go along we're just getting more like flat sod zetobrocks you know it's like no no i'm not i'm not doing it i can't figure this thing out My issue with Rogue One is the first thing I said on our podcast that has yet to come out because as a consummate perfection artist, I refuse to release a podcast that has terrible audio quality. Our Rogue One podcast started with me saying I find it hard to be interested in a film where I know how it's going to end. And we knew how it was going to end. They die. Spoilers. Well, it's not like 30 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. It's not like we've ever happened upon those characters in any other thing. Right. So, like, what were people expecting? So, it's just, like, whenever I hear someone say, well, you don't like a lot of movies, I I would say, okay, well, you don't like a lot of food, but you don't see me 
giving you shit about it or you don't like, I don't know, X, Y, Z. It's like, OK, well, I like what I like and I don't I don't like what I don't like. It's like since when is like movies off limit things to not like? And my opinion can change. I used to hate the Harry Potter franchise. I used to hate Lord of the Rings. I love them now. So my opinion can change, but I don't think my opinion is going to change on Rogue One. Well, and that's the thing. That's why I always ask people, you know, when was the first time you saw it and what did you think? Because, yeah, you can completely love a movie the first time you see it. You can hate it the second time. You can grow to love it again. I mean, when I saw The Doors the first time, I absolutely loved Oliver Stone's The Doors. And then I saw it again on VHS like a month or a year afterwards, and I was just like, Look at this fucking drunk. Would you just go get some fucking therapy? And I was so mad. <laughs> well, what about World Trade Center? Uh, I don't think I've seen that. I think I, I saw, don't think anyone has. I think I saw Bringing Out the Dead. I think that was my um, Nick Cage as rescue worker film. An underrated Scorsese classic. And it's got Nicolas Cage in it, so you know I'm not fucking around because I can't stand Nicolas Cage. So we have been doing the cold check tapes for four months now, and uh, I'm very excited for actually for the next episode. I'm excited for every episode, but the next episode, we're uh, speaking of something that is almost universally disliked. Uh, we are going to be looking at the new cold check and doing a podcast, but the first episode of the new cold check kind of breaking order because we were going to go every single episode of the old Kolchak, the Night Stalker, but we are doing the Stuart Townsend, the Night Stalker, and we've got two really special guests for that one, and I'm so excited to share those interviews. I'm actually really excited to do this podcast over the first episode of the new Kolchak, because the first time that I saw it, well, it was a couple years ago at least, I thought it was just the, the worst. Like, it's it's just, it's inferior in every way to everything that's so good about Darren McGavin as Kolchak. And I feel like, and, you know, don't quote me on this, I feel like we're going to like it the second time around. I feel like we're going to find a lot of things that are way better than we remember. Let me say that after we did those interviews, I think I have a new appreciation for what that show was trying to do. Right. Because when you talk to people and get a better background, because there's like no trivia about the show. You, there's not a lot of background information about this show, because guess what? No one gave a shit about it. So no one's going to take time out of their schedule to be like, all right, let me gather up all the Kolchak from 2006 trivia. So like getting to talk to the people we spoke with about the show, it really it does. It kind of it puts a different spin on what I thought about the show for sure. At least just like my perception of it just out of the gate before we even watch an episode. Like it's changed what I'm going to be looking for when we first watch that next episode. And then I'm excited to get back into the old stuff and rewatch some of those things. So I'm still trying to get Gail and Zemeckis. They have an episode. That was how they broke into television. And I'm really excited to talk to those guys if we can get a hold of them. But who knows? I mean, we might be, you know, the the interviews might be drying up a little bit unless we can get some of these uh, these folks to come out of retirement and talk to us about their roles on there. But uh, I still have a great time having a discussion with you as far as uh, how these episodes play out. Yeah, me too. And I hope that the people who listen enjoy it as much as we enjoy talking about it. You know, it is a bummer that we haven't been able to land like a David Chase or uh, Gail and Zemeckis, or even, I mean, even a Chris Carter. Yeah. You know, 
you know, I mean, he when someone goes on the record and says this show influenced me to make one of the greatest TV shows of all time, just from like a rating standpoint, you would think they would want to talk about that show on the only podcast that exists about it, even for 15 minutes. We should think about doing an X-Files podcast. I don't think anybody's done those before. Yeah, right. Yeah. The X-Files podcast, that was one of the reasons the show came back. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Let's be honest, though. The reason the show came back is because it was on Netflix and people were watching it like crazy on Netflix. So there is that you never you never know what you never know what streaming will do to bring stuff back. I mean, good Lord, in this day and age, everything is coming back. Can kill more girls. Oh, God, our full house, fuller house like dear God in heaven. What are you? What is going on? How about we make stuff that's not member berries? And how about we make stuff that's like quality? I, I say like that fantasy as island. God, that would be amazing. Wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, but the reason that show was amazing was because Ricardo Multibon was so damn charismatic. That's true. That should be the podcast we do after Kolchak. Fantasy right. Island, except everyone's dead. Uh, that'll make it less work if we don't have to track down interviews. And we just talk about the people that are on there. But then again, they had like 50 million guest stars. So yeah. I'm sure a lot of people are still alive. I, I'm talking about like the main people, like Multibon and then... Hervé Villachez. I was going to say Tattoo. Right. Or his character, not named Tattoo, but still Tattoo from Man with the Golden Gun. Knickknack? Knickknack. I almost said Odd Job, but I was like, no, nope. That's the other short Asian man from James Bond. Oh, jeez. Maybe short, but definitely very beefy. I really love doing the Kolchak tapes. It's something that I look forward to every month, and I really hope if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you have not gotten a chance to go check it out and listen to it, you definitely should. Because it, it's it's a good podcast. And also, we talk about Kolchak. If you've never seen Kolchak, you need to go listen to go listen to the podcast and watch Kolchak. Because Kolchak's amazing. You, if you watch Kolchak and you don't realize you've seen something like it before, I don't know what TV shows you've been watching. But it has influenced damn near any sci-fi TV shows that have come out since Kolchak went off the air. And it made a bunch of people's careers, including David Chase. So if if no Kolchak, we might have never had one of the best TV shows of all time, The Sopranos. I haven't seen The Sopranos, so I can't agree or disagree. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll tell you what we might not have had that you have seen. We might not have had Back to the Future. True. Yep. Galen Zemeckis. Or used we cars. Not have, we may not have had, what was it, Forrest Gump? Yeah, let's not talk Zemeckis? about that. Yeah. <laughs> used cars. You would, Mike. I love used cars. I'm going to reference a movie that most people have never heard of. <laughs> have you ever seen used cars? Uh, no, I haven't, oh, but I know, what it, I know what it is. You got to see that movie. It is amazing. It is so good. Is it? Yeah. All right, Chris. Thank you so much for calling in, man. Of course. Anytime, man. Anytime, anyplace. Just, just call.
So one of the things that I promise when people donate a dollar on Patreon, well, I promise two things. One is early access to every episode of the Projection Booth, as long as I'm not running late. Always with that caveat in there, because there are times where... When that new episode comes out, say Tuesday afternoon, sometimes Wednesday, hopefully not any later than that, I am just putting the finishing touches on those, you know, having written the the blog post and all that kind of stuff. There are other times where I might finish them a couple days in advance, and if I do, I will put them out on Patreon, and people can enjoy them right there and then. So if things don't show up on Patreon, it just means that I am a slacker. And if they do, that means that I'm running early. So there you go. You get the benefits of me running early. The other thing that people get is the thrill of hearing me try to mispronounce their names on an Ego Fest. So since it has been a year since the last Ego Fest, I have a whole slew of names to read out here. So if you will forgive me, Heather, I'm going to read all 43 names of people who have given a dollar or more to the projection booth since the last time we recorded an Ego Fest. So here we go. Jordan Nash. R.W. Lovejoy, Matthew Clark, who I don't think is the Matthew Clark I went to college with and who I recently unfriended on Facebook for being a complete uh, Trump supporter, so hopefully not. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Jeffrey Schwartz, Dallas Novell, Jordan Biosky, Myrna. I like people that go by one name, Myrna. That might be Myrna Minkoff, who uh, used to write letters to Ignatius P. Riley. Robin Smith, Derek Burke. Shane Hamilton, Carl Janis, Patrick Macias, Alan Scott, David Springfield, Chris Martz, Drew A. Yavor, Rosemary Moore. I keep waiting for one of these to be like a joke name, so when I read it out loud for the first time, it'll be like, oh, you got me. Amanda Hugginkiss. Hey, I'm looking for Amanda Hugginkiss. Uh, why can't I find Amanda Hugginkiss? <laughs> Maybe your standards are too high. Roberto Gutierrez Longaria, Lars Christian Detelson, Samuel Sanchez, the two doctors. Wow, that's that's kind of unfair. If two doctors are both giving, maybe they give a dollar a piece. Heath Masters, James Wilson, John Andrews. I totally lost my place everywhere. Dylan Craig. Jason Davis, Eric Higraf, Jacob W. Fleming, Jonathan Melville. Ah, Jonathan switched from PayPal over to Patreon. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Jake Pone, Mr. X. Holy shit, here's another guy named Matt Clark. I've got Matthew and Matt Clark. Wow. Nickel Virgin Carr, Dean Stahl, my old friend from high school, Stephen Wittig, our old friend Bill Ackerman. Our other old friend, Jordan Blossie, Joshua Stewart, Christy Valenti, Daniel Hines, Nicholas Grebius, and Gabriel Martin. And then, you know, since 
we started recording this episode. This is how long this episode has gone on. Since we started recording this episode, I actually got one of those $75 donations so that the person can pick a film that they want to co-host on. They don't get to pick the film, but they get to pick a film that they want to co-host on. And so we have a guy... And I will announce this when the uh, show actually airs, but we have a guy who is going to be co-hosting on a show who is, uh, he, he's like uh, Courtney Cox. I reached down into the audience and I picked him up and we started dancing on the stage. So that, that's how it's going to be. Hey, baby. Who directed that music video? It, wasn't it De Palma? It wasn't. It was Brian De Palma. That's right. It was on his filmography. There you go. Also, uh, we, we need to thank Tony Hudson. Tony, oh, yes, did I yes, miss Tony, Tony Hudson? <laughs> I am so glad that you are my second set of eyes. Hey, on that. you know that's we're a team. We're, unless <laughs> unless William Forsyth starts that street gang, Mike, then I'm gonna have to <laughs> leave me in the dust. Part of a team. Absolutely, though no, that's that's wonderful to see that kind of support, and I'm I'm excited to to see like which episode is going to be this guest co-hoster patreon supporter that's that's excellent that's definitely like a that's a a taking a risk and i like it yeah and we've actually gotten um two more requests so not only so we we are up to uh over the over the last uh, few hours while we've been talking about this we've gotten two more requests so now the request list is up to 64 so yeah 64 plus there's a couple like stragglers like weird stragglers where it's just like uh do 70s movies shot on video do uh, an episode about film scores or do a episode. This is the weirdest one. Do an episode on the Iron Man script written by uh, Danny Bilson and, and uh, DeMeo. And I'm just like, uh, okay, I'm probably, if I did something, I would do an episode on Iron Man itself, not just on the script, but okay. So yeah, just weird. Just <laughs> And then you have me do an episode on this song, Iron Man, by Black Sabbath. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. Now that, that, and we could knock that out in short order. That would not, that would not be an eight-hour <laughs> eight love. Fest. No, I'm Iron Man. Well, we would have to do the song. We would have to do the Butthole Surfers oh. kind of tribute to it. We'd have to do the Henry Rollins talking about Iron Man and kind of pulling the song apart. You know, why he's so mad because he, you know, was turned to steel in the great magnetic field, all that right. stuff. Right. Well, you know, some people interpret that song to be about uh, the veterans coming back from Vietnam. Because the iron, you know, being if the parrot, because like uh, Bill Ward has this great story about how paraplegics, like, you know, these vet, these paraplegics from Vietnam would go to see Sabbath, and during Iron Man, they would their buddies would lift them up so they could stand, which is so heavy. Oh my god. So yeah. happy, and uh, so I don't know if that's what the band per se were thinking about when they wrote it, but it's an, it's certainly when you think about it in those terms, it, it, it lends it lends a whole other type of darkness uh, to the song. Not to digress, I love Black Sabbath. <laughs> no, no, nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's some, there's some weird ones on here. Like I was just relooking at this list, and like Roadside Profits is on oh there, God. and I remember. I saw Roadside Profits theatrically when it came out um, at a really small art theater in Ann Arbor. And it's just like, I barely remember. I just remember King Ed Rock being in there and it, and him, what was he going? He was fascinated by Motel 6s, was that it? Or Motel 7s? Oh God, it's been so long since I've seen that movie. I know John Doe co-starred in it. 
Oh yeah, had a great yeah. Cast. Uh, um, when I I always get that film confused with um, Highway sixty one, which is actually by Bruce McDonald, which is a great movie. Right. Um, I remember that movie a lot more vividly than Roadside Profits. I don't know if that's because they were both kind of quirky indie road trip movies that came out. Highway sixty one is awesome though. I definitely recommend that. That's not on the list though. <laughs> I've never heard of this movie until it came in on the uh, the wish list, which was The Turin Horse. Have you ever heard, heard of that? I've heard the title. I don't know anything about it, though, to be honest. Well, we were talking about that list that people are putting up on their Facebooks, like movies I love, movies that are underappreciated, movies that I hate. And somebody had The Turin Horse as their movie that they hated. And I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There are some good titles on here, though, looking at this, like Star 80. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I mean, I've been dying. If I could get an interview with Eric Roberts, I met Eric Roberts at a, one of these horrible fan conventions, and I was just like, dude, I would love you to be on the show. Gave him all my info, gave my info to his handler, all this kind of stuff, and even talked up because, like, I love some, I love me some Eric oh, Roberts. Yeah. I think we all do around here. And I was just like, oh, man, your movie, La Cucaracha, is the one that I really love, and I'd love to talk to you about this. And, and was hoping to kind of get him on a La Cucaracha episode or maybe even like a, 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 a runaway train episode. And then also talk about Star 80. Mm, no. And, and we had uh, uh, um, Peter Bogdanovich on, the episode, on an episode as well and kind of wanted to steer the conversation that way. But I was a little afraid to bring up the whole Dorothy Stratton connection. Oh, God. Yeah, under, understandable. Yeah, I would I would be afraid to broach that with him for, for obvious reasons, too. But right. uh, Eric Roberts is so great, though. God, that would be – that's too bad. I mean, especially because he is, like, the superior Roberts. Yes. Oh, yeah. To me, there is only – Yeah, one. I don't count Gulia or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it that the Pom Pom Girls is on here. That's a fascinating. Yes. Uh, I've always actually wanted to do an article on that film because it's it's one of those that I always thought was promoted like an exploitation film, but it actually kind of has like it's not quite as dark as say um, Chuck Vincent's Blue Summer or Last American Virgin, but it has kind of that bitter sweetness. I saw it like at three in the morning last time I watched it. So I had to reevaluate it, but I remember being really pleasantly surprised by it. Robert Carradine's in it. Um, a young Robert Carradine. Oh yeah. He was also in a massacre at central high, which we have covered. So yeah, there's some interesting titles on here. session nine. Oh, that's a great movie. And it's been a long time since I've seen that one. And there's a lot of stuff that I've never heard of that's on this list as well. A couple things that since I read about them, since people have suggested them, I've gone out and I've downloaded. I have yet to check out some of this stuff. I don't know why. Like, I have heard of this film. I remember it being a cable staple. Mischief? Do you remember oh, that Oh, Greta Scotchy and Charles Dance, I believe. Yes. Oh, God. I need to revisit that one. I remember that being, you're right, on cable all the time. Like, But I never, I always missed it. I don't know if that's because that was the era of cable where I had to sneak. <laughs> I was young enough to where I had to kind of try and sneak viewing some things on cable. Um, I've, I've always been curious. I mean, great. I love Greta Scotchy and Charles Dance, both. Two, uh, two actors you don't really hear a lot about now, which is kind of a shame, but... Now, when you say Charles Dance, are you talking the same Charles Dance who was in Last Action Hero? Oh God, was he? He wasn't that, wasn't he? 
If that's the case, then I think he's all over that Game of Thrones show, but I never watched I've never that. seen an episode of Game of Thrones. Um, I, I'm surrounded by people at my workplace and friends who love that show. I'm sure it's great. When something is that watched, I tend to just be like, you know, it, it doesn't need me right now. Maybe I'll get to it later. <laughs> And of course, Alien Three. So there's a there's a a line of Charles Dance going through our entire conversation. Right. Tonight. Well, is it Charles Dance or is it Charles Dance? Mm. <laughs> I don't know, Mistrion. <laughs> Mistrion. Yes, that makes me sound like an evil supervillainess. I love it. <laughs> there was one called the Medusa Touch that somebody suggested that sounds absolutely fascinating. I would. I'm very curious to read uh, to watch that one. It is. Uh, uh, Richard Burton and uh, in a psychological thriller uh, who has telekinetic power. Oh God, I remember. Okay, I remember actually seeing the video case for that as a kid. I remember the video art for it. I never rented it though. But that sounds interesting. Burton's latter day film choices are kind of are kind of interesting. Like he he picks some films that you wouldn't expect. I would do Exorcist 2 in a heartbeat. Oh, I my think. God. That soundtrack. Oh, my God. That's sad. That's all I can hear as soon as you mention it. It's just that, wah, wah. <laughs> that great. <laughs> I believe that was Enio Morricone that did that. It's so, oh, shit. That's some good. That's some great, great soundtrack. I mean, no shock. It's Morricone. But, uh, uh, yes. Uh, Le- who was the sadistic bastard that put Leonard Part 6 on here? Oh, <laughs> oh sweet lord you want, oh my god if we did that now you know how many how many rape jokes it would not be would probably not oh, a yeah. good idea to do that episode <laughs> well the thing that gets me though is because i would have to track down leonard one through five and watch all of those before i would do a leonard part well six. you know mike i don't know if you know this there's a rumor that um Part one through five are in the same vault that surf one is in you know most people are familiar with surf two that right is that the same vault that the day the crown <laughs> yeah yeah i would love to think that jerry jerry lewis owns leonard parts one through five and surf <laughs> one um no wonder he's a cranky bastard um that's that's like having the the portal to hell right there in your house is having leonard's part one through five <laughs> all right kids we're gonna have a screening tonight oh, Call up Harry Shearer. Get him over here. We're going to watch Leonard 1 God, through 5. God, what a file man. What a file, <laughs> file man. Oh, my God. Oh, I see just one of the guys. Classic taste uh, take on, what is it, Much Ado About Nothing? Or or was it Twelfth Night? I can't remember. Oh, God. I'm trying to remember. You know, I never read Twelfth Night. I, I must confess. I've read some Shakespeare. I've even acted in some Shakespeare. Um isn't it true you played Othello on Broadway? Uh, no, that was my evil twin, Heather Drion. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, actually, Frank Catolo, who I've worked with, uh, the aforementioned Catolo, Frank has a connection to Motel Hell. He, mm. uh, he, uh, under, uh, he, I don't think he got credit for it. He did work on the script of that. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, because he asked me one time. He's like, he's like, Heather, you're into cult and horror movies. And I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> He's like, have you ever heard of Hotel Hell? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I own it. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I know my typical like valley girl answer of course and he was like yeah I, I was with the writers on it i was like holy shit frank i mean he's he's also worked with wolfman jack i mean frank's got holy shit yeah frank's actually there's a biography of wolfman jack you see frank's name in the thank yous Wow. Yeah, he's he's a cool guy. He's got some stories. Motel Hell was the only horror movie that my folks enjoyed. Like they would talk about the the whole they my folks who just really weren't into horror movies but very much, but my dad would say like, Oh, meat's meat, you gotta eat or whatever that line is. I'm just like, Holy shit, he's like, Oh yeah, Roy Crock Cochran, blah 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 I'm like <laughs> what the fuck. That is insane. I cannot Yeah. I mean that's of all the horror movies, Motel Hell, that's, that is curious. Cause that one, I mean, I've known other people who like horror movies where I'll mention that one and they make a face. They make a little scrunchy right. face. And I'm like, what? Well, it's not that bad. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's got Rory Calhoun and one of the greatest taglines ever, which is, you know, it takes all kinds of critters to make Farmer Vincent's fritters. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be a really good double feature. We have uh, T- Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 on this list. I think that'd be a great double feature. Oh, my God. I would so do that in a heartbeat. I love, I love Chainsaw 2. Bill Mosley alone mm-hmm. oh my god that and that soundtrack like that has a really really great soundtrack if you're into like post-punk and uh new wave uh which i am because uh, you got like concrete blonde and uh torch song which was like william orbit's band before he became kind of a big hotshot electronic music producer some good stuff well thank you so much heather for being on the ego fest i really appreciate this oh it's my pleasure it's like this is uh the ego fest is like a, a special a very special occasion so it's my honor to to get to partner up with you mike yeah we gotta lock that shit down <laughs> that's, i feel like that's a big daddy Kane line or something i'm like that's how i hear it i just hear like damn <laughs> You gotta lock that shit down. So, uh, but all seriousness, thank you, Mike, and and thank you to any you know to all of the listeners. Um, thank you for your support and for um, and for just you're you're as part of you're as much as part of this process as we are in a way. So, exactly. so definitely, we love you guys and we appreciate you. So yeah, if you want, go on over to iTunes if you haven't done so yet. Uh, you know, we get we get a couple people that listen to the show, and we just have very few iTunes reviews, so that would be really cool. Just go on over to projection-booth.com and click on the iTunes thing, and it'll take you over to our page, and then you just log in, and they review. Everything will be good. And yeah, if you haven't donated to the show, go on over to our Patreon, which you can also get through projection-booth.com. And like I said... If you donate to the show, you will get early access to episodes as long as I'm not running late, and you can get your name mispronounced on an ego fest the next time we do one of these. So, <laughs> yay! I thought you handled the names very well, Mike. That's, Thank you. That's not an easy task. I tried to just say them with authority, whether I was saying them correctly or not. <laughs> that has gotten me through so much things in my life, whether it was writing school papers that I was only half prepared for, <laughs> or what, or job interviews. Like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> my strongest weakness, well, I would have to say that that's because I'm a little bit of a workaholic. <laughs> I always am such a perfectionist. <laughs> I never let anything go by me. Oh, <laughs> that was that was beautiful. That should have been my interview to be on the show. 
<laughs> You're like, hey, Mr. Hey, Mr. On, we must interview you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, well, Mike, thanks. It all, you know, uh, all kidding aside, thank you so much. I, I'm always, I'm always honored and flattered when you have me on and to be a part of the Eco Fest. Uh, and to put up with my yammering <laughs> for hours upon hours, you are a saint as well as a great man. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I'm always glad to have you on. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the honey drippers in the house tonight. And they just got back from Washington, D.C. I think they got something they want to say.
If you enjoy this show and want more people to know about it, head on over to iTunes, leave a comment, and rate it five stars. Make sure you like and share us on Facebook, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Just search for Christopher Media. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Most importantly, we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you. Christopher Media could not exist without your support. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net, and thank you for listening. Christopher Media, let's make some noise.